This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Oh, God's nightgown. I'm so busy right now. I don't know if I'll even have time to do my anniversary show. Stella, you've got to head to the computer. Something incredible has happened! What in the name of... Dustin, Shag, and the rest? What are they all doing here? We chipped in with all our friends to record the podcast for you. Check it out. Well... What do you think of the podcast that love built? Calm down, Italy, 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 Italy. They did their best, shuttly, Italy, Italy, Italy. Gotta be nice, hostility, Italy, Italy. Oh, hell, diddly, ding dong, crap. Can't you morons do anything right? Stella, we meant well, and everyone here tried their best. Well, my podcast can't run on good intentions, Dustin. Oh, your website is out of control, but we can't blame you because you have good intentions. Hey, back off, man! Oh, okay, dude. Thanks for the spoiler, man. Here's a catchphrase you better learn for your adult years. Hey, buddy, got a quarter? I am shocked and appalled. Stella, with all due respect, Ben didn't do anything. (gasps) Do I hear pretentious dribble? It's got to be little Harold Shoot, host of questions we don't have answers. More like questions nobody asked. <laughs> what do we have here? The cheapskate Alan Middleton? Any book over 25 cents is over his budget? The last book you could afford was a coloring book. Coloring books. <laughs> That's a good podcast idea for the network. Oh, yeah, the Fire and Water Network, the best podcast network for putting me to sleep. And as for you, I don't know you, but I'm sure you're a jerk. Hey, I've only been here a few minutes. What's going on? You ugly, hate-filled man. Hey, hey, I may be ugly and hate-filled, but I, uh, what was the third thing you said? What are you looking at, four eyes? But, 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 but you, you have glasses, too. Josh and Don... You two are the worst friends I've ever had. Hey, we got off pretty easy. All right. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman.
Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusaders. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 167, which is both No Man's Land Part 5, the finale, and the ninth anniversary for December MMXVIII. Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by... Hey, who likes Wild Dog? Who likes the dog sound? Who likes the dog sound? No, 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 no. I'm taking this podcast seriously. There's no way that song will appear anywhere in the show or even the ads. I'm doing this right. I'm FKA Jason from the Silver and Gold Podcast at SNGPod.com. I'm here to tell you about a special podcast I've been working on. Wild Pod, a wild dog podcast, is a series covering the DC Comics character that is sort of their intro to the Punisher, Wild Dog. 
I'll be covering all appearances of the character in all forms of media. What began as a little mini-series about one of my favorite non-mort DC characters has become a regular ongoing podcast that I love and have no plans to end anytime soon. You can listen at SNGPod.com or on iTunes, Shout Engine, or Stitcher. Backworld Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Well, friends, I could not have planned this better if I tried. I've got the final part of No Man's Land for my anniversary in December, and so much of this final part is surrounding Christmas. So it's just a wonderful time. And as I look out my apartment window, the snow is falling. So it really is. It's just a perfect day to record, and here we are, the the ninth anniversary. As with all anniversaries, I've got to bring on my two dearest friends. Now, one of these friends constantly likes to harass me when I clear my throat. And unfortunately, I had come down with a cold this past week. I always try to stay away from the diseased children, but they always seem to find me. So I'm sure he'll be doing that a lot. So it is friend number one, Joshua Lappin-Bertoni. It's a good thing we vaccinated BTO when it was two years old because it lived (laughs) to the ripe age of nine. Yeah, the ripe age, yeah. Yep. And my other friend, I guess we can say, I think we're still recovering from the shock that was part three, but he (laughs) is back on here right now, sort of as a trial basis to see if we can maintain our friendly podcasting relationship. It's Donovan Morgan Grant. Three for three in 2018, the hat trick, baby. (laughs) Three for three. Oh, okay. So the shipper part, no, you're four for four. Because oh, Spider-Man, uh, remember? Spider-Man. The, yes. the video game discussion. So, gotcha. so we'll be on here for a while. <laughs> Need to cut you off. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for hopping on and, and just always being willing to come on and celebrate my show's birthday with me every year. Thank you for having us once again. I'm, I, I've expected for you to learn your lesson and get tired of us, but uh, you're very gracious to have us on again. <laughs> she did learn our lesson. Listeners, before this recording started, she like sat us down and said, this is what you guys are not going to do this time. <laughs> I thought we weren't allowed to talk about that. <laughs> oh, well, it, it is true because going into this, you know, you listeners have already heard three plus hours for each episode of No Man's Land. I thought I'm going to get these two people that just blow steam out of whatever orifice. And so I thought I really got to just tamper it and, and not let the show get out of control. And as you listeners know, I mean, I wish you people, everyone gets on me because I blame other people for the long run times. But if you were to look at my audio file and you saw me versus everyone else, you would you would believe me. You would believe me. Uh, so here we are. 
<laughs> now, the one person, which he did call it a betrayal, the one person who hasn't been on at all for No Man's Land is Josh. And uh, there is a funny backstory. Oh, yeah. There is a funny backstory because I sent out an email, an interest email, and said, you know, what parts would you like? And he wanted to do a part, and I said, I'm sorry, you can't do that part. Yeah, you, you said you said there's no parts available, and I'm like, then why did you email me? <laughs> I emailed you because of this part. So he is the only one that hasn't had a chance to talk about this, which we'll get to about his history. But I think before that, as a nice history. little warm up, we're reaching the end of 2018, and we always talk about how this year has been for us. So thinking through everything, it's always tough for me to think about it in terms not like school years. But the whole, you know, 2018, how has 2018 been for you as a year? It has been a roller coaster of a year, that's for sure. There's been some ups and downs, but I would say as a whole, in some ways, it's been a lot better than 2017 and obviously better than 2016. Holy cow. But like 2017 (laughs) was kind of like a hangover and like rebuilding year from like some of the stuff that happened to me in 2016. And in a way that there's still kind of that, like, you know, rebuilding next phase of life stage. But 2018, um, there's been some hard times, but there's been some, you know, great times. Um, I got to begin the year by going to Washington, D.C. for the D.C. and D.C. convention, which was fun. You know, uh, some cool things. Um, I got to become a freelancer for DC Comics this year, uh, working on their website. I'm not writing any comics listeners. Sorry. But uh, that was a cool thing that happened within the last few months that I alluded to the last time I was on BTO for the Gotham by Gaslight commentary. Yep. We, I just wasn't like ready to come out and say it yet until like everything had been dotted. So that was fun. The thing that is not fun, which I think I mentioned on the Gotham by Gaslight commentary, is that 2018 is the first calendar year that I have not seen Stella since oh. uh, 2011. Don't remind but, me of the sadness. I know. We still got a few weeks to go, though, so who knows what, <laughs> who knows could, what happen. could happen. Yeah. Who knows? Oh, um, yeah. But uh, and, and we tried, listeners, you know, like <laughs> – I, like, texted Stella from the San Diego airport. Okay, Don and I are here. Where are you? And she said, new phone. Who dis? I'm in Kenya. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I invited her to Washington. I invited her. Or do uh, I think I invited you to something else? I don't know. But you were considering coming to I think South Carolina at one point. Was it yes. like a couple months back? I think for maybe your nephew's birthday, and so you had thought about maybe reaching out. Yes. Yeah. So, but we'll see what happens. You know, uh, before December thirty first, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I was going to make a no man's land reference to like something that happened by December 31st that would have to do with visiting you, but nothing comes to mind. You'll be, I was, I don't know. You'll be flown in like by uh, Lex Luthor, like a Christmas tree to Tampa. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) How about you, Don? Well, me 2018. Yeah. It's, I think just the last several years have been very uh, tumultuous generally for like the planet. Uh, But I think that we've been kind of maintaining as best as we can. Um, psychologically, um, I'm dating again, which is which is kind of a nice and un, somewhat unexpected uh, upturn. And work's going well, uh, especially around the holidays. It's been very busy at Barnes and Noble. I've been there for over a year, and again, thank you for that because you had a uh, <laughs> unexpectedly direct uh, influence in that. Yeah, uh, you and Carolyn Coca. Yeah. So, um, 
that's been kind of really consuming a lot of my time lately. But I'm pretty sure this is the last podcast I'll be doing of the year. Okay. Because Harry and I finished up our, our show. Uh, not fucking up, but we still have a few stuff that we have to get to. <laughs> oh, um, Gotham Chronicle? That, that, that show is not coming back for a very long But we'll see. Uh, <laughs> We're also supposed to record with Bailey next week about Elseworlds. <laughs> Are we? Seriously? Uh-oh. I told the friend. Keep, keep going, keep going. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is what's going anyway. on after. <laughs> um, but no, like I, I think it's been fun. I, I I really enjoyed the ups and downs of of uh, recording the last No Man's Land episode, oh and that's stu- that's stuck in my mind for uh, ever. And um, I'm looking forward to finishing off one of the greatest Batman crossovers of all time today and <laughs> celebrating BTO's ninth, ninth anniversary. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. At first, when I created the show notes, I put eighth. And then I thought, I, like, I put a little star because I thought I need to check this. And then I went online to see, I was like, oh, wait, it's the ninth. And I was just miscalculating. I think I'm always a year behind. But just to think that I've dedicated this amount of time to a podcast that initially started out as like a little joking statement of, you know, what show would you do if you did one? And then I did it and then it kept going. And here we are. Yeah, 2018 for me personally, I'm not dating again. I uh, I went to Kenya. I think that was the, the, that was the biggest thing for me. And it was just eye-opening in many ways and, you know, has put me on a path of, of considering a career change and, you know, pr- perhaps a change in <laughs> location. But we'll see about that. And yes. I think my eyes have also been opened more like social like social activism wise and it's just been opened more to the things around me and I've really started to I think research and, and better understand other types of people, you know, instead of just walking around in my ignorance mm-hmm. and being more aware of bit more if you know me you know it's just a little bit uh you know politically and and just kind of understanding what's what's going on there but yeah i i feel like i'm growing perhaps socially culturally you know other other things aren't as good but for the show i wish i should have done this research i wonder i feel like 2018 might have been the year with the most co-hosts because I feel like almost I've done every episode with somebody else and maybe just a few by myself, but I haven't done any any sort of research like that. But Stoneless returned. Stoneless did return for a brief a brief time, which was great. The rubbish man. But I think, you know, overall No Man's Land has just been it's been such a big part of my life. It seemed to have taken up so much and uh i'm happy that i did it but i'm also happy that it's done because i am i'm really tired it's it was it was a long journey maybe i should have done it in more parts i don't know but it's over now but you know doing 16 (laughs) to 18 to 20 you know issues and then editing all that is just it's a lot so i'm happy that i'll be done with yeah plus twice and you know what's funny about that (laughs) is we were in the same hotel. We did not have the same hotel room, but we recorded in your hotel room. And my thinking was, once this happened, once the uh, replace recording happened, Don started. <laughs> he just started yelling. He was like, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, and then, you know, like, oh, God, oh, God. And I just thought to myself, you know, a little modest me. I was thinking to myself, you know, anyone outside these doors 
might be wondering what's <gasps> happening on the inside, you know, with this when he's saying, oh, God, oh, God, and uh, hitting the wall and things like that. But, yeah, we survived that. But that was that was traumatic. It was a little bit traumatic. But we also get to celebrate the birth of um, little Tomas, Tomas Grant, and uh, I think he's faring well, and I was just happy to be a part of that that birth. And and finally, I got a new mic, and hopefully the last mic I will ever get, and it was rather expensive, but I'm very much enjoying it and the, and the quality and everything. So 2018 has been a whirlwind, but we always make it somehow. Well, I think that's it for my, my warm-up question. So now I want to ask Josh what your history of No Man's Land was or is so i was in middle school when no man's land came out and i was reading it live and uh so that that's uh that's an experience for me and i wasn't reading every part because there was so much back then and um when you are in oh i was in seventh grade when it began and i was in eighth grade when it ended so like uh when you're in middle school you can't really afford to buy like all these comics week after week but, you know, I, I kept up with it as best as I could. And I would go on to the DCComics.com, like, original message boards. Like, they're very, very old message boards. Like, and I would, like, read about this and post about. And this is before, like, superhero stuff was as mainstream as it was now. So, like, back then, like, I had to, like, kind of, like, be slick about, like, the Batman logo that was on top of, like, the Batman boards. Because, like, then, like, this, like you know, classmate who was a few rows down from me would be like, Josh is on a Batman site. (laughs) Whereas like now it's like, you know, who cares? And then like, once I was like, I remember like consciously thinking to myself, you know what? They're going to make fun of me. I'm just going to do it anyway. So (laughs) here we go. I want to read about what's going on on the message. And there was these like pages and pages of like, who is the new Batgirl? As middle school boys often do, like, I wanted to, like, you know, create attention on in the topic. So, like, I kept on guessing that it was Ariana, Tim Drake's ex-girlfriend, just to, like, see how people would react. <laughs> and people would, like, I would, like, log off because, like, computer period was over. And then the next day when I would log on, there'd be, like, 30 responses to me of people being, like, there's no way it's Ariana. She's too tall. She's this. She's this. She doesn't know martial arts. And then I would just like reply to it. I'm just pretty sure it's her. And people would like. So if you're one of those people who wasted time arguing with me nine years ago about this, I'm sorry. I was just a middle school boy who wanted attention as opposed to. I, think I remember that actually. <laughs> <laughs> you told me about that one of the times we first met. You're like, I remember that guy. Like, yes. <laughs> That was me. <laughs> How could you? <laughs> Very easily. Um, so I liked it. And I remember like eagerly anticipating, oh, my gosh, we're going to find out who the new Batgirl is. And like and and there's going to be a new I, I think that I knew that like she, she was going to immediately be replaced. I don't remember how I knew that. And um, at the time of like Cassandra Kane, who was unnamed, when I looked at that book, I was like, she gets to be Batgirl after like just like appearing like two issues ago okay but um these final issues that we're going to discuss are like really special to me because um because they came out around christmas time and they were like holiday issues um every christmas we used to go to my uh late grandfather's house in uh long island new york and uh i have a lot of special childhood memories there and i took and i took those final issues of no man's land with me when we stayed you know that holiday season you know, read them over and over and over again. So like 
they're very closely associated with Christmas and the end of the year. And I remember um, we knew that somebody was going to die. We did not know who it was. So just eagerly anticipating that. And it was also the Christmas that, uh, do you remember Mindy, uh, Stella, my stepmom? I absolutely do. So that was the Christmas where um, uh, my dad and Mindy got married, too. They got married the day after Christmas. December 26th is their anniversary. Oh, wow. So so while Jim Gordon lost his wife, oh, my boy. father gained a wife. Yeah. <laughs> Fair Thanks truth. for spoiling everything. Thanks for the spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ben, I didn't know you'd be here. <laughs> no, uh, he, he, he will not be here, but... In two days, I will be picking him up, and we will be going to New York City to see No Man's Land, uh, because Gotham is adapting No Man's Land for its fifth and final season, and uh, we're going to the uh, Ah. premiere of that. (laughs) Donovan's like, ha, as if it's his personal victory. (laughs) Did you know who was under the cape and cowl as Batgirl when you were reading it? When it it was Huntress? Yes. No, um, I, I don't remember who my guest was, but I remember actually being disappointed that it was the Huntress, like, because I thought that that was lazy somewhat. And I also thought that, like, it didn't make a lot of sense for her to, like, because there's, like, an arc or two where, like, she's Batgirl one page and then she's Huntress another page. And I remember, like, specifically on the message boards when people would, like, talk about different suspects, they'd be like, well, it doesn't make sense because why would Helena change from her Batgirl costume to a Huntress costume back and forth throughout a story. Mm. And then I apparently... A, I have a question. I, I, I was like, Hunter, before we was revealed to be Huntress, had, did she just like disappear from the... Because I don't really remember. Did you just not see her anymore? No, we saw her. She was like in the church with uh, Scarecrow, right? Yep. Okay. And, she, and, and she, she was like around the books and like still doing stuff. I was disappointed. I thought it was lazy and i don't know I, I i was hoping that like a character who wasn't a visual anti previously would be one like that they would take someone established like renee montoya the was there yes i think right renee montoya was a very popular theory because what people kept on going back to was the fact that it was a full face mask so we thought they're hiding somebody's uh, ethnicity so it must oh. be like a person of color that well you're not wrong potentially uh, but yeah <laughs> Well, yeah, eventually, yeah, but, like, when we first see her in that issue where, like, we find out it's her, like, before she takes off her mask, she's, like, kneeling and she's holding, like, a crucifix like the Huntress does, so it was like, oh, okay, it's her, and I, I just remember, like, her name on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, I guess she does have that <laughs> Catholic guilt, but, <laughs> oh, well. Okay. And by the way, you you guys, I think it was you and Dustin, or it might have been you and Don, were like, in your episode, you talked about, when did Renee Montoya get captured? Did I miss that? So I did a read-through of No Man's Land again this year because it was on sale on Comixology. Um, in fact, like, Ben and I wanted, he wanted to read it this summer. And when we got to, like, Renee Montoya being captured, we're like, wait, when did this happen? Like, we missed it, too. It's uh-huh. like, it happens off-panel, like, basically, because... Uh-huh. Um, during the Poison Ivy and Robinson Park arc, two, I think, like, Two-Face, like, goes to see Jim, and he, like, hands her Renee's badge and, like, says, like, oh, I have Renee or something like that. But, like, it's – so they do mention it, but it's just – you don't, like, see her getting captured. He just says that he has Renee. Okay. What about the parents? Because the parents, you find out, they have been there for nine months. 
I have to go back and like I, I decided not to go back any further than that, but like I know I I remember like stories about like her parents and Two Face though, like uh earlier. Where like remember she told Two Face like maybe you let me hold on to the coin now. Oh gosh, yeah. Yep. Man. Okay. Well thank you for letting us know what your history is. I always find that interesting. I think you were so far, maybe the only one who had been reading along with everything. I think maybe. Well, no, I guess I, I think you might be in the company of Bailey and Shagalicious. But other people yeah, you as were, a, were catching up afterwards. As a seventh and then eventually eighth grade boy. Oh, man. Was it tough back that's then the grade being that, a Batman that's the grade fan? That, that's the grade that you teach. That is true, yeah. So I guess I'd be – well, I'd be hanging – well, I wouldn't be hanging out with you. But I'd be talking to you about <laughs> it at this time. Do you, I would have loved for I would have loved for my teacher to like talk about like No Man's Land comics with me. Like, yeah. I would have been so excited. I would have like come home from school every day. I'm like, in this class, we talked about who the new Batgirl <laughs> probably is. <laughs> and then it would sound like I was not doing my job. What? And then like, <laughs> oh, I'm sure my mom would have appreciated it. What was the culture like for uh, for you back then? I mean, was it hard to be a comic fan? The thing about middle school is it's not just like comics per se. It's like any anything that you can be made fun of for, you'll be made fun of for. Like it, sure. it didn't matter that it was Batman. I could have been looking at like a web page about geckos or a web page about, you know, astronomy or something, and it would have been like, Oh, look at Josh or something. It's like it's all about how you react to it. I eventually realized that like the more casual I was about it, the like less people would they'll just find something else to like make fun of you about just don't open yourself up for it um but that's a good way to put it yeah yeah this stuff wasn't as mainstream um i do remember like you know like showing like classmates or like you know friends from other places like oh no batman comics are actually extreme look at this one and i'd show them uh, a certain comic that we don't talk about on this show um, anymore, and you know stuff like that. Batman Odyssey, of course. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I I went into the future and said Batman's penis is in this book. Check it out. No, that's oh. the other one. <laughs> oh boy. Oh whoops. Oh, that, that's Batman. <laughs> Damn. Neil Adams, how could you? Oh, man. I don't know why I confused those two. Oh, I don't know. Do you, well, you're the one, you know, welcome. Thanks for bringing that up, by the way. You were the one who pointed both Donovan and my attention to the Wee Wee. As fast as you could. <laughs> That's probably true. I didn't believe you at first because I've learned it's better not to believe you on certain things. And so, but then you you said, no, seriously. And then I had to go and actually look it up for myself. Twenty eighteen will forever be the year that we saw Batman's penis. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Yeah. That 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 is the capstone, isn't it? Well, I think we're going to get into this now. And so for the final time, I get to talk about how we're going to do this. So this is part five. And if you recall, I organized them mainly according to the thin trades that first came out. But I started adding in more issues that corresponded with the ultimate trades. So if you have the thin trades, we're in trade number five. And if you have the ultimate trades, we're in the final trade, which is number four. 
for the most part, we're going to go in order of the ultimate trade, but there were a couple. I, I switched some things. So, number one, there are some overlaps, like major overlaps in stories like Azrael and Catwoman, especially during Endgame. You'll see some story points pop up that you had seen in a previous issue in another book, something like that. And I also switched... I moved Nightwing a little bit, and I moved the Robin issue especially because it didn't make sense where it was. The Nightwing issue, there might be some continuity issues uh, in two ways, which we'll talk about. So it might not fit, period, but we're just going to do it. So for the most part, we're going in order. So what Don and Josh are doing, I've got two now, so they get to split the, the heavy work. They're going to give title, creator credits, the publisher summary, and then main points that you as readers or just listeners need to know and you know what Babs was up to so I think that about covers everything so get ready you know buckle up for the final part perhaps the most tragic part of No Man's Land yeah so first up we've got Batman Legend of the Dark Knight Legends of the Dark Knight issue 125 falling back and the publisher summary is after Batman committed the ultimate betrayal Abandoning <laughs> Gotham in its time of its greatest need. Jim Gordon wrote the – it actually says James Gordon. I, I, my brain corrected it to Jim. James Gordon wrote the hero off, shunning any efforts made at reconciliation now. The Dark Knight is determined to win his friend back <laughs> at any cost. And um, the creator credits are Greg Rucka wrote it. And um, I can't see the first name on this little uh, scan file, but it's someone Burchett. Pencil? Rick Rick Burchett. Oh, Rick Burchett. And in this issue, Oracle and Robin are tensely waiting at the clock tower, hoping that uh, the talk with Batman and Commissioner Gordon ends in a reconciliation, not a divorce. And uh, it's a tense talk. They don't say anything for a while. Then they make small talk before Gordon just unloads on him. And uh, he wants to be taken seriously by Batman and he because he feels let down by him and Batman offers to make the ultimate gesture by taking off his mask, but Gordon looks away and says, put it back. Just put it back. I don't want to know. I don't need to know. But that's enough for Gordon that he was willing to do that, and they agree. They're going to work together, and they're going to rebuild Gotham together. And that was that issue. Thank you. So I've got, of course, discussion questions to go along with us. Some issues have a lot, some have some, and some have none. So here we go. This one has some. This is actually one of my favorite issues in all of No Man's Land. And mm. it's it's just the way that it's laid out, and especially with the silent panels that you just have a couple pages of nothing's really going on and you know just a lot of contemplation. So for you as readers, how do you feel the silence impacts this story? story overall as as well as the relationship and the history of the relationship between jim and batman history <laughs> thanks dustin i it's paced really really well uh the art does the issue a great service um i think at that time that this came out i wasn't as much of a fan of silent issues but um this this is good and you really kind of like feel the tenseness and the awkwardness almost to the point where like you feel like your Oracle and uh, Robin waiting in the clock tower, like, what's going to happen? Are we going to be okay? <laughs> uh, so so I, I, I like the silence. I Yeah, I think that this is a perfect issue. Uh, spoilers for my, my thoughts. But, like, uh, I, yeah, I, I like how um, – and I, was, I wasn't thinking about this just a few minutes ago, how you're kind of flanked by, you know, Robin and Oracle, the people closest to – ideally closest to Batman and the commissioner. And uh, 
it's like, you know, oh, what are they talking about? They're taking such a long time. They're talking. And it's like, well, they're not talking for a while. And I think that, like, so, you know, the image of the fire kind of, you know, making Batman look almost ghostly and Gordon's sort of human, almost awkwardness. Like, I think, yeah, no, I, I think that, like, um, a lot of these issues, I think, are are really some of the best Batman comics. And this is right up there because uh, it's not just action and punchy, punchy, run, run. And, and there's some yelling, but, like, it's an emotional issue for characters. And if there's no bad guys in it, is there? No. no, and and I think that like this is one of those stories that like I feel should be talked about more in terms of like how these two relate to each other. Of course, this is very specific, but I I I thought that the pacing was was spot on. It could not have gone been any better. Absolutely, yeah. I think it it heightens the emotion because it's hard for both of them to even start the conversation. And and you know, I th- this is probably going to come off as a little sexist, sexist, but I think in general, maybe men have you know some trouble like voicing their emotions. And even Batman gets to it at the end where he says it's tough for me. Or I've always had trouble saying goodbye. I right? love that part. Yeah, yeah so I, I think it's just hard for them. Like, how do they start? Because however they're going to start, they're really going to lay it out. And I think that that's hard for them. These two, like, really masculine men, right, in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so just to have them consider how is it. And oh, and then the tension, right? Because this has been building since nightfall. You know, I always bring that up because he felt betrayed. And he even brings it up. You know, you thought, I didn't know there's someone else in the suit. And then him not being there at the beginning of No Man's Land. So there's so I, much Your parade on. of imposters your or whatever it was yeah. that he's – Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That part I remember very specifically reading when I first read this issue, like like all those years ago. Like when he, he brought that up, I was I kinda like I was like because <gasps> he was like, You didn't think I didn't know about that. And you see in those issues that like he was like kind of like like giving the side eye about Dick Grayson and Jean Paul, but like when the fact that like it was a really long time uh from this issue to those issues that uh that really to me spoke to like the real the real hurt that was kind of bubbling under him for a long time and kind of added more it's not just no man's land it was the first the decade of the 90s well i I also love when he's like ranting at him he's like you know friends don't do this friends and friends don't walk out on each other in the middle of a sentence and i'm like (laughs) and then batman like just his like shame reaction to it's like i've never been good at saying goodbyes and like you feel that like Gordon has like a reaction to that too, like that surprises him. Um, I love that. I do have to say, when I first read this issue, as um, I'm trying to remember, I guess this came out late summer, so I guess I would have been in eighth grade. I did not like this issue for a really, 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 really petty reason. What's that petty reason? <laughs> I know what it is. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna let Don guess. <laughs> he says he knows. The ten-year timeline. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So DC did this thing where, like, after Zero Hour, where they said that, like, the DC universe had only been around for 10 years. And all of the Secret Files books had this 10-year timeline. But the 10-year timeline, like, never made sense because, like, Teen Titans would have a 10-year timeline. But so would Batman. And how could Batman and the Teen Titans have both been around for 10 years if, like, Robin doesn't come into Batman's life until year three? And even Nightwing had a 10-year timeline in his Secret files and origins issue it's like <laughs> how are night like there was just never any case of like trying to keep it straight and i was like uh, always trying to do the math in my head the way that like dustin did after the new 52 and uh 
And I was like, if Dick became Robin when he was eight years old, which I, I believe because Marv Wolfman said it, Don, I know that you don't like that time, but like, that's what I was going by when I was in eighth grade. I was like, if he became Robin when he was eight years old and he became Nightwing at age 19, there's no way that the timeline can be like 10 years. So whenever someone would bring it up, I would just like get really, really annoyed. And like when Jim says, I've trusted you for 10 years, I was like, nope, nope. It hasn't been 10 years. It's been longer. Nice try. <laughs> so, Well, I think that this is the last time that this is mentioned, the, the, this 10-year thing. I, I don't remember this coming up again afterwards. I, I didn't even think about it. There are other things that I've, I've considered with continuity as I've read this story, but that certainly isn't it. You mentioned Jim understanding or knowing that there was this parade of imposters, and I think that goes to prove, of course, that Jim's no idiot. And then I just think forward to our current Batgirl series and the times that he's in the same room with Batgirl, very close to her, and you know the, the uh. pretenses that he doesn't know that it's her, but again, he's no fool. I think he's got to. He's got to. Why do you think, <laughs> especially with that current mask? <laughs> uh, yeah, now, yeah, now it's even worse because you can see more of her face. Why do you think it's the garden that that breaks the ice? Because Batman is over there by the rose bush, and the garden has been a theme, right? It started with with Shag's episode, and he asked, you know, why is this so important for Jim to have? Why does he tend this garden? And then Batman, that he's the first person that speaks and breaks the silence, and he takes a rose and says, or he's looking at a rose, I suppose. I can't tell if it's in his hand or not. And he says, your garden, you've done a fine job with it. And that's what ends up breaking the ice. Why do you think it, it, it's always come back to this garden? Why is this such an important place to have the conversation? I think it's, uh, it's um, part of control. You know, he had control over, I would say control, but like, you know, he was head of the Gotham City Police Department, you know, in some ways, you know, kind of head between the government and uh, Batman and the villains. And with all of that kind of thrown out the window, it's like, okay, well, this is his own home. This is what he can control. This is what he can uh, kind of cultivate. I think that we've, we've brought that idea up before. I think that like it doesn't change at this point, and and because it doesn't change, it's it's a showing that like Gordon has control over this, and maybe even some small control over his sanity. What do you think, Josh? I think it's like if this was a TV show, this is one of the sets that they've built this season, so they're using it. Because like we, we've seen lots of conversations happen at the Garden, like Montoya and um, Gordon, Two-Face and Gordon, and then uh, Sarah. Uh, and eventually um, uh, Jim's there during um, a certain character's wake uh, at the end, too. So I think it's just a set piece that they're using. But it's also – it's a more private and intimate place to have this talk. Like – I don't know yes. if this talk would work as well in his office, especially with all the chaos the going rooftops. on or on the rooftop. Yeah, like it, it, it wouldn't make so. It's he's going to Jim at his home. It's private. It's intimate. It's it, it, it's better. Um, I can't imagine this story happening in his office, especially with like the other cops like outside while they're like there for like three hours, like talking, you know, like hearing them yell and stuff like that. Uh yeah. Or, or, or on the rooftop, which is potentially, like, you know, dangerous right now with all this stuff going on. So uh, this is the place to do it unless they I, – I, I don't know. Where, where else would they go? Yeah. The Batcave. Yeah. That would be interesting if he took him to the Batcave. Bring him in there. Ooh. Yeah. I think the intimacy, I, I absolutely agree with that. We've seen the garden – 
grow and mature, and I think this might be the most growth in life that we've seen. So it's interesting that he he gravitates towards you know the most beautiful thing that's in there, and it, it's also a nice little juxtaposition because on the inside of this garden, you know, you've got order, and on the outside, you've got all this chaos. And this is you know this is the place they're going to discuss how they're going to wrap up no man's land and just throw it all out there. So I just think it's a nice controlled environment and it's also Jim's like it's his home turf it's his little safety area and so it, perhaps it, it helps him feel more comfortable whereas the rooftop that's been mostly business so I think depending on where the setting is it would change the tone of the conversation so I think here you just have more intimacy and, and friendship right to, to say that F word out there I think is is pretty big and powerful as well. Uh, final question on this. Why do you think it's now, this moment, this time in No Man's Land that finally Jim and Batman are open? And then, of course, you get to the point where Batman is very willing to reveal his identity. Why does it take this? Why have we been pushed to this point? Well, you and Dustin talked about it last time, but like the two-phase debacle was like not just you know uh, uh, a thing that happened in No Man's Land. That was a major I – th- I feel that like – I, I don't know the ins and outs of like the planning for No Man's Land. I mean, we interviewed Chuck Dixon a couple years back, and he talked about it, but we don't know like a Life of Riley esque like deep dive on the the structure of the story. But I feel that the whole Two Face thing was like uh, organized from beginning to end, and I feel that this is sort of like the fallout of that because Batman tried to come to Gordon at his at his, at his uh, house um, uh, in in the assembly issue, uh, and that didn't work. So he's trying to do it again, and they need each other they can't do this you know they they can't get gotham you know one or the other they 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 need each other like they needed to protect gotham together as well and i think that thematically it's the one of the it's probably the biggest uh conflict in no man's land for batman readers like you know the friendship between batman and gordon and i liked how at the end of this decade in the modern post-crisis era we're having things said that have not been said before like you know gordon says I don't believe we're friends. You don't respect me. You don't trust me. And Batman, that's complete opposite of what Batman believes. But this is a this is a grown man, you know, not his partner or somebody he's trained or somebody who looks up to him. This is somebody who Batman respects, who doesn't really take a lot of his guff saying like 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 dude, you know, I don't like how you talk to me or how you like, you know, walk out on me when I'm in the middle of uh, a sentence and stuff and you, you can say that Batman isn't under, isn't sure how to kind of put on the posture of being Batman while still saying, "No, no, no, that's not true." And I think that, like, because we all love when he kind of emotionally breaks down. I remember Stella saying that you don't think that he thinks with his heart. And I think that this is kind of that time where, like, okay, this is no man's land. Everyone must be revealed. So, you know, beneath who the core of who they are. So before we finish the storyline off, we got to kind of get over this sort of emotional hill. And he tries to reveal his identity. And so I, th- I think that, like, this is a great sort of, like, you know, first step towards the final chapter of the story. I think Jim is also in a situation of enough's enough, and now that we're like we need to unite and not have different districts, but all be a- as much of one district as possible, and also just finish no man's land or gain as much control because the government stuff hasn't come into play yet. And I-, I think you know you can be stubborn all you want and give a cold shoulder to somebody, but when you need that person. And it's better for the city that you love to be united. I, I think you've you've got to be drop drop all of that and and come together. So, well, any other thoughts before we give this a grade? 
uh, real quick, uh, the artwork, Rich Burchett did the Batman Animated Adventures comic books, which is why I knew who he was. And so this is like him doing the modern stuff. I was curious to know what you guys thought of it, because it's, it's definitely not the more rendered, realistic artwork, usually. Um, I think they did the, free, the Freeze episode that it was on, uh, or the Freeze issue, but like, uh, what did you guys think of the, the penciler? I liked it. It's uh, he, he did a good job. Yeah, I liked it as well. I think I especially liked, I don't know, it, it had... It had a, a little bit of flat with the colorist. It had some me, me flashing too. Becquerel Year One, just with the Marcos Martin sort of style. And I really liked how he drew Barbara Gordon. And I think, you know, how much importance was put on the art. He really came through because there are wordless panels. So you're only looking at the art. And I, I thought it was really well done. It was some of the, I, I would say, most beautiful and enjoyable art that I've seen in No Man's Land so far. Also, uh, just a final note, but you have more of the, uh, the Tim and Barbara relationship in this issue. That you do. Yep. Yeah, of all the two people yeah, to have waiting around. And Tim was right. You know, he said, I feel like it's, you know, my parents are fighting and we're seeing if they're going to break up or not. But it is interesting that it's those two and not have the whole Bat family there. But, um, yeah, I mean, that that that's an interesting relationship. And that's a nice uh, continuity touch, too, because before um – Tim Drake became Robin. His parents were on the verge of divorce before uh, his mom died. Mm. You see, like, in, in in their first, like, appearance, they're not on, like, speaking terms before they get captured. Okay. I kind of like the uh, the sort of computer nerd uh, part of their characters because, like, Oracle's working on something for a while. Then Tim's like, you want to try? And she's like, no, go away. Like, <laughs> it, they're, they're almost rivals in that way. I thought that was kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, that's what I love about them because with with Barbara and Tim, I think they have a unique dynamic that she does not have with other members of the Bat family. And it very much started with Legacy when they were fighting that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's really come through. I thought it would have been really, really mean of Batman, like where like when Gordon says put it back and like you see him like turn around slowly and look and Batman has the mask on. I'm like. How 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 big of a jerk move would it have been if Batman had kept the mask off? Like, ha, you saw it now. No take backs. Oh, my gosh. No that sure would have been in character. Yeah. Yeah. Got him. Oh, my. He kind of looks like the animated Bruce Wayne when his mask is off from, like, the original animated series. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he talks like Kevin Conroy does when he's, like, doing his Bruce Wayne voice. Like... Yeah, like in that later later issue with that weird stuff going on, and Babs is there helping out. Well, what would yeah, you... <laughs> I have a note about that in my recap. Sure? <laughs> well, what would you give about. this issue? Ten out of ten. Uh, ten out of ten rose gardens. <laughs> I would agree. Mm -hmm. Like I said, this is one of my favorite issues. It's one that I, in my first read through with those slim trades i really latched on to and i always thought that that's my favorite issue of the whole run and there are momentous moments that you know go on throughout the whole thing that this doesn't you know that you've got mom and dad getting back together but in terms of i don't know overall impact in no man's land you might not necessarily have it but just i think it's very beautiful and how it's choreographed with soundless as well as with sound i i think is just great and the art adds to that so 10 out of 10 for me 10 out of 10 parades of imposters okay well the next uh, we've got a, a short little arc w with some overlap we've got an asriel and a Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> so much overlap that we get the same scene like three or four issues in a row. It's true. <laughs> okay, so Ezreal, issue 59, <laughs> The Pilgrim's Return, which is written by Danny O'Neill and Penn.
penciled by Roger Robinson. I had to pull that up. So, uh, publisher summary. Batman has charged Catwoman with a near-impossible task, smuggling a valuable object into the former Gotham City. Asriel's assignment, make sure she makes it into no man's land by basically beating someone up for a page. So, Selina must sneak into Gotham City with the plans Batman wants, and Batman tells Asriel to shadow her, which basically consists of him, like, beating up a military guy for a page while Catwoman, like, runs away. Otherwise, the whole story is a long helicopter heist scene. Like, the action is, like, one or two pages. This is just mostly about Catwoman stealing the helicopter and Asriel, like, talking, okay, this is where Batman said to meet her. You know, let's see what happens. And she gets away, she gives the plans to Batman, and Leslie Tompkins makes John Paul Valley feel guilty for being a crime fighter. Catwoman 75, The Rules, which is pulling up the credits, written by our buddy John Ostranger and penciled by uh, our buddy Jim Valent. <laughs> I was going to say Thomas Mattis' buddy because uh, he like jokingly offered to adopt Thomas on a podcast like six or seven years ago. Jim Valent. Hot on the heels of the unfortunate deal gone bad, Catwoman is at death's door but still has to break into No Man's Land and track down Batman or else a major strategic battle in the war to reclaim the city could be lost. This story is, and this is my notes in big letters, the exact same story but with a pointless flashback showing Selina once joined the circus and then like her mentor died and then – she gives the plans to Batman and says, come chase me, Batman, for the second time in a row. But don't worry, we won't see that again. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah, I should have I, – I forgot to remind you. See, those things – I don't know how who's who does it. But I forgot to say that if single issues, we'll go through them individually. But if it's a, an arc, we'll try to do the whole arc and then, and then talk about it. So uh, I'll call this an arc, but it's got sort of quotation marks on it since it's really just one issue but yeah. two times. Well, I'll ask – there are, I only have two questions really for this one, but the first one is actually with this backstory that you just called pointless. Does it add at all to Selena's backstory, Catwoman as you know her? Do you feel like it aligns with the Catwoman history that we know? All right, that sounds about right. That she was in, like she was trained to be, you know, kind of, kind of doing kind of almost magician stuff by people who are experts to steal more. Like I, I, th- I didn't, I wasn't necessarily surprised and. It was like, okay, you know, I mean, well, there's an explanation as to how she was trained a little bit. It was fine. I mean, Selena's childhood on the streets is like, you could fit a lot of stuff in there. So I don't, don't want to say this. It's not like it didn't make sense, but it's just like a very, very weird thing to like add into her origin. Like, oh, like Kathy Kane and pre-crisis Jason Todd and Dick Grayson. She also was in the circus for a little while. Like... When you put it that way. <laughs> like, that that's really weird. And then, like, this guy who was always, like, doing stunts, and then, like, he, like, dies, and Selena's like, all right, screw the circus, and, like, left. Like, that, that was, and I'm sure there was, like, symbolism, because, you know, like, it showed to never, you know, let your enemies see you hurt. Like, and, and, like, that's what that taught her. Like, but otherwise, like, from that little piece of symbolism and thematic stuff tying it together, it was... Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't I mean, I don't know her history as well as I think you two might. You know, I think about her past obviously as a prostitute and but but I don't know that I've ever like gone back to see this and and so I was trying to align those two to see where one fit the other and I suppose they work together, but 
I, I think if anything, it adds some sympathy to the character to see that, I mean, she's had a pretty rough life the entire way. She's never, and so I don't know if they're trying to excuse also why she does the thing she does, i.e. steal. But mm. it, it was interesting just of all places to put it in a no man's land. But, you know, one should not question John Ostrander. Her history has been like really weird, like post crisis though, because it's changed like a few times. There's like a few versions of her origin post crisis. Zero hour changed a lot of stuff too. Yeah, so it's it, it, it's when you say like you don't know much about her history, neither did DC because they kept changing it. My other question is about Wilmer Von Slinkery. And as I was typing up my notes this morning, because I had them him. in the notebook, I had to, yeah, I know, I had to think about who is this guy, but he's the one who wanders the street. He's like in charge of public works of some sort and so comments on everything. And we see him pop up other times, I think mostly in the Asriel, yeah, because he pops up again in, in another Asriel when Asriel and Batgirl are there. But do you have any thoughts on this character? I. I don't know. Is it just like a random fun guy to have around to see how how broken uh, may, maybe some people are in Gotham, or was there really no point to him? And it was just like a weird filler character. Do you have any thoughts on Von Slinkery? Having read a lot of Daniel Neal's Bronze Age DC Comics work, like Green Arrow, Green, Green Lantern, and Batman, it felt like something an also ran like supporting character from like that era. So I guess it was one of his sort of you know like 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 Silver Age, Bronze Age Jones that he couldn't get out of his writing because because like um it would be fine but like Roger Robertson's artwork is way too like dark and gritty for this character to like make sense so it was a bit odd. I actually liked it because it's one of those things where it shows like it helps illustrate what Gotham is right now and just how broken it is like Stella said and also like how different people handle it and this is a guy who has to hold on to some sense of like his previous life and he does it via delusions. So uh, I like that because it's the, it's one of the type of things that you could really only do in no man's land. Like if this guy was walking around doing this at nightfall, it wouldn't have the same impact or make any sense. Final question is for Josh alone. Cause I've already asked you, Don, what do you think about Asriel and Leslie's relationship? I hate it. Oh, really? Explain. <sighs> Leslie Tompkins has great moments in No Man's Land, and I'm glad that, like, she's helping people and she has the clinic and stuff. Like, that makes sense for her. But, like, Leslie, when she's written certain ways, it really annoys me. And, like, throughout No Man's Land, like, you know, Asriel will be like, well, Leslie, I have to save a bunch of, like, you know, like, toddlers from getting, like, ran over by a steamroller. And you're going to punch someone to do it, aren't you? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. And it's like, like, he's, like, constantly, like, you know, like, off to, like, do something to, like, save the city. She's like, uh, uh, you guys and your violent ways. Like, and uh, I wasn't on here for that issue that you did with Dustin where she's like, Killer Croc's not the monster. Mr. Zaz isn't the monster. She's like, Lynn Kyle man's the, the monster. Yeah. You know what? So she's like, she's like, Lynn. She's like the Lynn Kyle of the company, which is a Robotech reference. Okay. Just kind of pecking everybody. Yeah. Like, uh, she is. No, like, I, I think I even have a note in here. I said, Leslie guilting JPV. Like, that's one of my notes. Yeah, which happens frequently. Like, every time he goes out, he says that he tried. But I feel like she gives yeah, him a she little makes more slack so than bad. Batman does. Don't you think she's harder on Batman for what he does than John Paul? 
think she's hotter on Stephanie Brown. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that's another question. Are we seeing this character? Because I've not read that. And I know that's coming up sometime. But are we seeing like the formation of that character that you see in War Games? Like, is this the start of it? No, that, that was still out of nowhere. Okay. That, that, yeah, that, that was out of nowhere. Okay. And technically, it, it was a war crimes retcon. War Games, like is like when they retconned oh actually like you know leslie did it oh, but okay. <laughs> but thankfully like everyone like abandoned that story as quickly as they could because it made as little sense as it sounds like it did thank you chuck dixon <laughs> yeah okay i don't have any other questions on this one i feel like it's well it, it wraps up which is weird actually because timeline wise Donovan and I did this. We did the disc arc with the sealing it and everything. So it's like still going on. You'd think it would have this would have been better placed earlier on, but here we are. I I didn't have any control over that. Had I read the whole thing, maybe I could have better ordered things, but I'm so sorry. So it's any even thoughts? the new trades have have problem yeah. ordering things. Yeah, it's I, like is, I had to Frankenstein it up with Dustin, and still it wasn't perfect. So yeah, yeah. So what would you, unless you have final thoughts, what would you give these two issues, this little arc here? I actually don't think that these issues were bad. I, I overall like the Catwoman issues better. I give them both a seven. Uh, maybe a six and a half out of ten. Um, circus Thieves. <laughs> I think I'll agree with Don and, and give it a seven out of ten. I think, yeah, there wasn't anything horribly about it. Just wondering why publication or, you know, how the trades, it, it took so long to wrap that up. And then how much i i don't want to say copy paste but just how much overlap and to a certain extent that's cool but also i thought you could have potentially just done it in one but i understand also showing two different povs right points of view from Azrael and then catwoman so it worked out so i'll go with the seven it wasn't even povs at one point like we got like oh well did Azrael? Well, no, but like we see the same like scene with the, with that the guy in the helicopter yep. from the same point of view. It like maybe I'll crash this helicopter yeah. and like change. Yeah, they even credit Denny O'Neill for saying the same thing, saying the uh, the same dialogue, which is fine. I, I just kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now we're on to oh my goodness. Let me just say that these two. I was in heaven, shipper heaven. But there's also <laughs> I was trying to figure out where to put these because with the hunter situation on multiple levels, I wasn't quite sure. I think something's happened maybe that don't align with the rest of the story, but we can talk about that. But oh yes. <laughs> so on to the Nightwing. It's called Ballistic Romance Arc. What's so yes. important about this arc? <laughs> Oh, sir, it's really important. So all you uh, Dick and Corey shippers, all you Barbara and Jason shippers, you might want to avoid these two parts. Oh, my goodness. Barbara and Jason shippers? Wasn't there a thing in like a – Or what was it? It was Death of the – no, it was Eternal. Batman Eternal? Yep. I I do remember them being a little flirty with each other in that, but like, ugh. (laughs) I didn't read it, but it was sick. (laughs) Maybe Uh, Barbara and Jason barred shippers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's that's more wholesome. So these are Nightwings, Nightwings, Nightwing issues uh, thirty and thirty-nine, Face to Face and Force of Arms, both are written by Chuck Dixon and illustrated by Scott McDaniel, with inks by Carl Story. Face um, to Face because it's not nineteen ninety-two and they're dancing with uh, masks. <laughs> so uh, this picks up where like the uh, the Bloodhaven, not the Bloodhaven, the uh, the um, Blackgate 
arc left off where Nightwing showed up beating the crap uh, uh, at Oracle's clock tower. So it begins with a hallucination where Nightwing and Batgirl are flying through the air of Gotham City. So you know this is not real because that never happened. Uh, even if it did, Dick's wearing the wrong costume. Dick wakes up in uh, pink pillows and a blanket in Oracle's room, I imagine. Uh, she's taking care of him. She's taped up his ribs and his fever has gone down and checks his fever uh, by uh, touching his forehead with her lips. They're very friendly. This is the first time they've, I think they've seen each other in a while in the same room in Nightwing's title because they've usually been on Skype. So they're very uh, comfortable and warm together while uh, Petite's evil, cold-hearted men are about to storm the clock tower. So throughout the issue, they're being very copacetic. She's making food and uh, kind of checking on her security systems. And the entire time, Dick's like, this is really nice. This is very um, uh, familial. You know, I can get used to this. You cooking for me and me eating it and at, at that point when he kind of looks her in the <laughs> eye she uh she rolls away saying I, I i got stuff to do so when dick presses her she gets more and more defensive saying like you know go away you, you go ahead and uh, go heal up and he's like well why why are we because they both know what's on their mind why can't we get closer and you know he's like, i don't care about you being in wheelchair she's it's more than that and she eventually talks about how uh, she has feelings of regret and everything, basically everything she's gone through emotionally since the killing joke and the events of Suicide Squad, although that's not specified. Just her missing her legs. And it, it's not being said, but what, what what's going out there is, you know, who she used to be when she had her legs and when she was Batgirl when, and Dick was Robin, essentially, their relationship. And can they go back to that now that things have changed so much? And she said she just wants time. And he says, I'll give her all the time you need. So A few pages. To, yeah, so she starts to shave its face a la Skyfall um, with a straight razor because he's still injured, so he can't move and shave himself safely. So uh, she gets closer and closer and feels, touches his cheek. He's like, that's not how you checked my fever before. Very smooth and sleazy. Uh, so there's a huge moment of tension, and uh, they start furiously making out as the guy picks her, picks her off of her chair. It's about time. <laughs> I just died in your arms tonight. Must have been something you said. I just died in your arms tonight. As they're about to make the earth move, the earth literally moves when there's an explosion through the clock tower doors. And Petite's men just, they basically break through the doors right as uh, Dick puts on his masks. And, um, he he wants to take Petit wants to take Oracle's information, um, and obviously Nightwing and Oracle aren't going to have that happen. I don't think he knows that she's Oracle though. He knows that she's he, just he doesn't. They, 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 yeah, they say that explicitly in the story that he doesn't know. Right, uh, and the the thirty eight ends with the Huntress uh, uh, showing up. Uh oh, <laughs> so um, talking like the Black Cat for some reason. Yeah, she's a lot, she's very villainous in this two parter. Weirdly, she's like, hey, lover. I like spider. <laughs> Why are you calling me spider? So, uh, issue 39 is a big fight issue, uh, as opposed to issue 38, where basically Oracle owns these guys every page with her defenses. Um, she has a, she has a mnemonic code to where they're, they're blinded and there's like sonic attacks while Nightwing kind of tries to fight off the Huntress. And Petit just lost his mind, just starting shooting everybody. He, sh- he destroys her wheelchair. <laughs> what a jerk. And Huntress is seeing how crazy he's becoming. Nightwing is still suffering from uh, the fever and, and beating he got in Blackgate, so Orwell has to take care of him and herself. And they eventually 
head down to like a kind of an elevator elevator shaft where the power has gone out. By that time, Huntress has uh, teamed with them to help them escape because she knows that like she doesn't want to kill them. And uh, they eventually make it out of the clock tower. And Nightwing plans to head up with Batman, so Huntress. Uh, leaves and gives him a big old kiss on the lips and says, see you around, lover. And then Oracle's like staring daggers. Uh, but but Nightwing says she's dangerous in more ways than one. Um, so he plans to go back to to Batman, and hopefully this uh, this is the end of No Man's Land for him and his title. Um, Oracle drives away, at presumably just to meet up with her dad again. And that was uh, Ballistic Romance. Oh my goodness, be still. Thy shipping heart. Someone give Stella a cold towel. Oh my goodness! Let me tell. Even I even knew it was coming this time, and uh, my the little butterflies were going crazy when I saw it on p- page again. I have a, a long and sordid history with this particular issue. When I first, no, I'm just kidding. I just wanted to make it more scandalous than it really is. But when I first started collecting, that's right, collecting shipper issues between dick and babs this was on the list so i had read a a weird portion of no man's land before ever reading no man's land itself and i remember having this as well as other nightwing issues i I think the hunt for oracle was also in in some i just had this like little excel document and i printed it out and it had all these like you know shipping and you know if there was minor shipping then i wouldn't be too concerned with looking for the issue if i went to back bins and stuff but just know listeners that this was one of the first ones that i had so there's a lot going on i do want to i want to discuss the continuity a little bit before we get into little details but the reason why i had some trouble placing this is because it seems like at the end of this issue Huntress runs off like she completely distances herself from Pettit and and the rest of the ex blue boys and whereas the rest of you know the rest of no man's land she's actually with she's still with the group though you can tell that she's having issues with it and then the other thing so that's one reason what when you when you talk about this the other reason why I was having trouble is the romance obviously which is marvelous and amazing but at the end of, of No Man's Land, during the interaction at that party, it's a little weird and cold between Babs and Nightwing. And I guess you could kind of explain it away. Like the kiss was, you know, she feels like it might have been a mistake and somehow it's awkward. Died. That is also true. But then, of course, he ends up being with with Huntress over New Year's. Right. And so it just seems like a very quick change from him doting on Barbara having a really serious moment with her and then and then changing. So do you think that this is like a weird, you know, it's misplaced and something's happened here that don't drive with the rest of the timeline? I I I don't know. Is there any way to explain it potentially? So th- th- there's a few things here. Uh number one with the petted thing, which is the easiest to explain, the first of all, there's no way that Petty would let Helena back after all this, but the book does try and explain it by like when um Oracle sets that last trap for the guys, like the like trap door that they fall through, they say, you know, Huntress, if you put your hands up right now, we think Pettit will forgive you. And she does like put her hands up. So like the like guys like kind of allude to like, oh, Pettit will probably take you back as long as you like cooperate. So they do plant that seed there. But yeah, like it's for a tiny who we seed. Yeah, a tiny C. But, like, for who we know Pettit is, like, 
this story doesn't make sense, but they at least try and acknowledge like it. Um, it's funny too, because if you're just reading Nightwing and Nightwing's book was really popular, like back then at some points it was outselling Batman. Oh yeah. If you're just reading Nightwing, like they like set this up, like, you know, where like Nightwing says, all right, it's time for me to go back to Bloodhaven. So like when you read the next issue and he's in Bloodhaven, it makes sense. But like, no, he didn't go back to Bloodhaven after this. He stuck around for like the end of no man's land. Now, regarding the KISS stuff, it's – and not to get too much into what you're going to be covering next year, but, like, it gets weirder because, like, Barbara, (laughs) like, still, like, is kind of involved with other people. And, like, it takes, like, a solid, like, almost year or so for her relationship with Dick to be defined. Like, Jason Bard shows up and Dick is like – who's Jason Bard? And I'm like thinking, you know who Jason Bard is. You met him before and like stuff like that. And at the time, I remember this from being on the DC message boards. I have not found any of these interviews. I have not found any of this stuff since then, but I have a memory and maybe this is the Mandela effect or something where when the new year's Eve issue comes out, somebody involved with DC editorial basically said, which we, what we all suspected is, uh, because these books were all being written by different people at the same time, there was a hiccup. And uh, they did not mean for Dick to be kissing Helena on New Year's Eve, like not realizing that, oh, he's getting together with Babs over Who wrote the that? Night. Greg Rucka? Was it Rick, Greg Rucka that wrote that, that, that scene? I think so. Because he's writing Devin a lot Grayson, of, the, a lot of I think books. Devin Grayson like, wrote it with him too. But like, yeah, like um, I remember reading that at the time because people on the DC boards were like, what is up with this? We'll talk more about it when we get to that issue. But uh, it's that's the timeline thing. And I asked Chuck Dixon about it when I was researching an article for Dustin that I still haven't completed last year. And he said and he <laughs> said something completely different than what I remembered, like reading, because he says and maybe he remembers this wrong or maybe this is just his interpretation of it. But he says, oh, all of that was on purpose because I didn't want their relationship to be easy. I wanted there to be like obstacles and stuff like that. I'm like, OK, <laughs> so that, that okay. that's the timeline question. OK, so it does. It hmm. sort of fits a little bit. OK, uh, so first of all, talking about these people that are the ex boo boys that are coming in, you don't realize. No, well, I guess you should realize right away who it is. But there are a couple quotes here. Uh, he says, "Take her down, and the rest follow." And knowledge is power, and she has it all. So I wonder, first of all, how Pettit knows about Babs's power. <laughs> um, you know all of this. And secondly, I mean, coming from someone who should have no connection to her whatsoever, what does that say about her and her presence in the DC universe that someone knows about her as Barbara Gordon and sees her as this giant threat, even though she is in a wheelchair when someone says that she's in a wheelchair for Christ's sake? What what do you think about these two quotes? She's really bad at keeping a secret identity. (laughs) I think at the end of the day. Well, I think in No Man's Land, she also has, like, a reputation, though, because people have been going to her for information, and she's like, bring back these supplies to me, and, like, you know, and I'll put them with the thing that takes the poison off of them and stuff like that. So, like, this stuff has gotten the pet. Like, it doesn't mean that she's Oracle, like, supercomputer to, like, the Justice League. Like, they just probably think, okay, she, like, she has a lot of data, and she helps the JCPD. Is her, is her, like, government 
uh, history still in, still in the fetch because they might think that she's like useful in that way in some ways, not in terms of, like politics, but in terms of, like information. The suicide Squad and such. I think you mean like Congresswoman. Um, I oh, oh. that has not been. Yeah, I it that was that did survive crisis. There was never any word on if it survived zero hour though. But oh. like it's it it has not been mentioned. So like. <laughs> She did randomly become a lawyer, though, in, like, in the next year. She had That's later on. Yeah. So she just took a test or whatever. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes every single person who went to law school, like, you know, like, rip up their comics. Like, <laughs> the bar for fun. How dare you? Yeah, I have two people in this house right now who wouldn't like that. What do you, oh, what do you think about the dream sequence in the beginning with the two of them flying through the air? Love it. I love that. Like, like the, the first image of Nightwing and the the panel of Batgirl where she says, you know, you're a mess, former Teen Wonder. That to me is like iconic. Like that's kind of like my mind's eye. Like what those characters kind of look like. Like not so much Barbara Gordon, but like Batgirl and Nightwing. And even though like I don't know, Josh is going to go on a rant. We've never seen Nightwing and Batgirl together in continuity until like the New Fifty Two. Like like uh, it's it's, still- a, it's a dream. I'm not going to rant about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a, it's allowed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I give this one a pass. Um, oh my. And this was something that the Nightwing book did a lot, especially with the Scott McDaniel art, because he was really good at it. it was like we we always got a lot of like trippy Nightwing dream sequences, like that Scarecrow issue, yep. uh, Nightwing Secret Files, and I remember like in the early issues, he was always having these nightmares about being Robin and like a little boy falling to his death. Yeah, that was like the first like twelve issues. I remember that. Yeah. What do you like, think about their ball. choice to use the the gray, the gray and blue outfit? I think it's more kind of like a. I don't want to say, I don't want to say wholesome because that's not what I mean. But it's kind of more of a you know old school, you know maybe the black one with Nightwing suit would, would be more threatening. So it's a nice contrast in terms of personality. Okay. Um, and there's like a lot of more yellow kind of pops out with the gray. Uh, it's a very interesting image when she's on the wheelchair, though. Yeah, that that it is. Well, that is my favorite costume that she wears. So I enjoyed seeing it. So then we get this this hunter's kiss at the end, and I wondered if it was on purpose, and on purpose, I guess, in multiple ways, potentially. But, you know, I think, you know, she wandered in on that conversation. I think she could tell that there was something going on between the two of them. So, Probably. you know, was it a black cat-esque thing to sort of throw a wrench into the into the works? Does she actually still have feelings for Nightwing at this point? What do you think? I think she's being playful, and I think she's trying to, like, make them uncomfortable. I don't think it's as much romance because she's got so much other stuff going on right now. And it's really weird because over in the other books, like, she's very, very, like, kind of, like, sullen. And, like, here she's very, very, like, happy-go-lucky. But that's the thing, like, um, I think she's utilized well in this story, though, in that respect because Mm -hmm. if you're going to do an issue of Dick and Barbara getting together, you know – add some drama to it and and when i say drama i don't mean like smallville drama where it was like (laughs) she kissed you dick i saw it as like you know like lifehouse plays in the background or something and they're like sitting on a loft like it's you know action-packed so like what better way to complicate things than having dicks like you know i don't know if ex-girlfriend would be an appropriate word because they like slept together like the last chick he slept with yeah (laughs) yeah the the well accessing bertoni memories probably (laughs) don't do that uh, well, I was trying. I was trying to think. He did marry that girl, but like, no, that was earlier, and and he didn't sleep with her, which was weird that was, too. That was how, before the miniseries. That was really weird. Like, how could you marry someone and like, like, not sleep with them ever, and like, they don't get suspicious? Well, and in any case, um, 
I love and I love the drama too of like they're in the different zones and like she's like when I'm in zone 12 was it like I'll be in trouble right. and they're yeah. kissing and it's that awesome panel and then like you zoom in on the computer and it says like zone 12 and it's like that's awesome and then Huntress comes in like it's a great way to like you know add action and drama to like this momentous moment in their momentous moment that is an oxymoron <laughs> I, I don't even think I used oxymoron. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's a anyway. This momentous occasion in their like relationship, this turning point in their like shipper, like this very important shipping moment. You add action and yeah, it's uh, having Huntress in because this would not work if it was I don't know uh, Deadshot or something like that. Like there's and even though the tension wasn't really romantic, it just adds in that sense where oh no, it's the last girl he slept with. Uh, I do like Barbara kind of like I don't think she's like mad about the kiss at the end with Huntress. Like I feel like she's like being playful with Dick. Like she's like in more ways than one lover. And I think she's calling him lover as a joke because like Huntress called him lover earlier in the issue. So like it's her like teasing him about it. No, oh, yeah, she's smarter than that. Because I, as I think about it now, I don't think Hunter's ever actually had any romantic feeling towards Nightwing at all. Like she said that she, she used him in that minute. Yeah, yeah, she said she used him. And you'd think she'd be upset um, since he was there when Batman dressed her down too. You'd think. She'd... Well, I mean, she knows that he was there. The uh, she, she she knows that he was trying to help her because like he tried to like comfort her, and she's like, "Don't touch me." Yeah. I. Uh... <laughs> Stella, what do you think about um, yeah. Barbara's pink socks? Her pink socks. Um, in the makeout panel. Oh, in the makeout panel. I have to scroll back to that. Now <laughs> Don't lie. That's your, that's your background on the computer right now. Oh, well, no, it wasn't. I had to. Oh, is it? I can't see her feet. Oh, she's got shoes on suddenly. She had time to do that. Oh, there are the pink socks. What's wrong with them? They're just pink socks. <laughs> I don't know. I thought, I thought, I thought like it was. <laughs> well, I, I thought that like her her room decoration. Leave it to Donovan like, to look at feet. Oh Shut boy, <laughs> you're right, sir. You're right. <laughs> you opened yourself up for that. You did. I suppose <laughs> I did. This is on you, Dan. It's true. The it's interesting how you know Josh brings it into focus how it's laid out because you do you keep going back and forth between the infiltrators getting closer and then. Dick and Bad's getting closer, and it's like one thing on top of the other. It sort of reminds me of the Smallville episode that I think takes place on Thanksgiving, probably season nine. It was after Lois and Clark slept together, and I don't know if it was the first. I think it, I, I guess it was the first time. And so you have them like ready to do it again in the uh, in the morning, and then you have like this. Do do you remember this? Like this tactical machine saying it's getting closer. Where's he going? He's going to the Kent farm. And you're like back and forth, back and forth. And then it happens to be General Lane shows up at their house. So it's almost that sort of thing because it's like heightening <laughs> this. I don't know if you remember that, but anyway. I'm going to stop you from murdering my daughter by like killing her during <laughs> your Kryptonian sex. It already happened, so she was alive, so it all worked out. Well, I'm too late. She's dead. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. What is it? What's that paper called? Uh, Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex. That's what it is. I want to talk about this idea where you have Dick, who is injured, and then you have Babs, who obviously is paralyzed, and she's managing pretty well, and to a certain extent, I think she's surpassing him. I'm I'm just looking at the, the page with them 
in the actual elevator shaft and, and she's saying, you know, I, I can pull myself up the cables. Can you? And he's saying, give me a second. Is it degrading at all? I mean, do you think it's a good match? Do you think, you know, that's it's heightening her power or do you think it's degrading at all that she's able to do something when he she's able to do something he can't, but only when he's injured? Have Do you have any thoughts on this at all? I didn't think about it uh, that in depth um but like i was just like yeah she's she's used to getting around this way like she she has the upper body strength because she's like she hasn't laxed with her arms so like you know it made sense for me because yeah he's injured and she doesn't need to use her legs to climb so it, it made total sense to me and she's also on her home turf which is another thing i loved about this issue is like she's constantly like saying these code words and i love her thing it had to be three stuff that i would never like yeah. say like ac- yeah, accidentally sure. english scholar a baseball grade and a flavor of gum yeah yeah what's what's you saying like it's degrading towards who digger babs Oh, I I wondered if it was. I'm not putting any opinion out there. If sure. it were to her, because she can surpass him, but only if he's injured. Um, I don't know. Well, when I read about that, it wasn't so much that like um they were saying this is a special occasion where she's better, she's more physically adept than him. I thought it was just a serious like we got to get out of here. I got the, I'm I'm I don't, you don't need to I, you don't worry about helping me. Can you do it? Like I I guess I guess there there's an element there, but like I didn't think that like uh. I don't think the book really is aware of that element, so I, I, I wasn't aware of it. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. I was just looking at it now, and I, I wondered about it. I, I like the fact that she is able to do something that he can't, and I think it, it shows her, you know, how she's been training. She's never really given up, even though she had that uh, tragedy happen to her. So I think it more heightens rather than denigrates, but I, I feel like you could potentially look at it on the other side. I think my – well, I have two questions. One of them will probably uh, – it's not a loaded question, though. You may think it's a loaded question. But she says that she set up all these defenses for Batman, and I wondered what I you that. thought <laughs> about that. What does that say? Uh, I, I don't know about the relationship or about Batman himself maybe being um, someone who spies on – which we've seen in, in Birds of Prey that he spies on her. But what do you what do you think about this? She set up all those defenses for Batman. I I think she just like wants her boundaries and Batman will like, you know, come in there and like, you know, she wants him to like use the front door and not come in unannounced. And uh, I don't want to say a friendly rivalry because maybe that's not the like best way to like put the way that I see it. But um, there is one issue and I don't remember what issue it was where like he like shows up behind her and she and and she says like I can't believe you got through my defense system this time. And he says I have to admit it was like extremely difficult. And she says, well, next time I'm going to make it darn near impossible. And uh, it, that's what this reminds me of. Yeah, I think that like um, a it's a good metric for you know toughening your defenses if, if you can make it tough for Batman. And two, he <laughs> has no boundaries anyway. So I, so I think I think that like. It, it doesn't have to be like I don't want him here. It's case like you know he keeps coming in here, so I don't want him to do that. And uh, also, you know, you're also ran, you know, uh, GCPD thugs keep on breaking in. So, yeah. I, I I thought that was a really funny line. I like that. Yeah, I think he's he's a he's a bit of a busybody. I would say. I don't know if anyone's mm-hmm. ever called him that before. Is that hypo- hypo- hypocritical and judgmental, and you don't like it, Don? 
But uh, you told us not to talk about that. <laughs> no, I, well, I have to bring that up because that's Don's quote for 2018. I yeah, no, he's a bit he's a bit of a busybody, right? He, but I think well, I think he you know cares about people. Obviously, so that's why he's a busybody. So he has to stalk people in a really creepy way. So I I, I like that. She's also that. a jerk. Well, use your words, not mine, sir. The final question is about Pettit. Actually, uh, he has a meltdown. Um, and I guess we've really seen his degradation all along, but it's it's getting pretty bad, and he'll have a meltdown later on, and it'll be even worse than this. But why do you think it's it's happening now? I mean, ha- has everything just been building on itself? And of course, he was going to have a meltdown, but I mean, he goes woo, he goes crazy once he sees, especially once he sees Nightwing there. Yeah, I think it's because like it's just the time. Like they've they've said that it's been ne- close to a year, no man's land. So he it's just like everything. Uh, he weighing on Snickers. him, in, in, yeah. He needs a Snickers bar. Calm, calm himself down. Maybe he's got to check himself. He's a real he, he needs himself. to be in Anacarlo. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no man's land a go go. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that's all I have for for this one. I, I have a point I want to bring up, and I, and I know we, we don't want to go too long, but like, uh, what do we think about? Because the Nightwing books have definitely been like kind of leading up towards this this is a big kind of a big moment in the books but in terms of like what they were talking about especially in the 39 when she says i really had a thing for you back then and then bang saying that like basically implying that that that, uh her being shot by the joker stopped all possibility of them getting together completely ignoring the titans and and coriander but like uh stella what do you think about like how their relationship has has progressed in terms of what you've read and josh what do you think about how this has progressed in terms of what you've read I think that <laughs> for me, I think it's it's progressed pretty well. I, I've been keeping track in my recaps and things when there is an interaction between the two and, and how they are actually interacting. And for the most part, it's just been flirtatious. So I, I would say the whole, you know, the, the issue like leading up to everything with their just jokes and everything. But then they have that serious conversation. Which is interesting, you know, why now of all times would this happen? But I think because we're in no man's land, you you do have to, I think, consider what's important to you and, and where you want it to go. And this is something that we'll see this theme almost of her legs getting in between the two of them will, will happen a lot. As well as she's a bit of a, a Debbie Downer, I would say. She's a, she's a, not a Lisa, she's a, uh, no wait. She is a Lisa. Yeah, she's a bit of a Lisa compared to a, to a Minmay. And he's the one that snaps her out of it. He's always the optimistic side, I would say, of, of the two. So I would say that it has progressed well to this point. I think it, it really – I think if we weren't in no man's land, the kiss would not have happened. But I think with everything being built up and her taking care of him and just the intimacy and everything that uh, it just ratcheted up to to 12 as we saw and and we had it. So in my opinion, I I think that it worked well and that, you know, that had been going on. There's been a history between the two of them. Yes, of course, we're ignoring, you know, Coriander and annual Nightwing annual, too. But, you know, there had been that flirtation between the two of them. And he had that dream of her at one point when he was Robin way back when. But, you had that age difference so i like to think that it works well but i'm sure now we'll be told by joshua lappin bertoni oh my god <laughs> how it does oh align so yeah let us let break our hearts right if now. we're going by the chuck dixon run alone you know basically everything since like the beginning of his series um it's been 
a progression from then. Yes, like it's it, like, as Dom mentioned. Yeah, like the whole thing is oh, oh, I had a thing for you back then, and then bam, it's like it's weird because there's times where like they kind of imply that like they were dating back then too, and like they never did. But there's just this like assumption like among like the readers, and I remember there was even an assumption among the fans too that like they were dating back then. And then like when you go back and look at it, it's like wait, no, that's nothing that like actually happened but yeah, i thought they were dating when i read this when i was a kid i just i just assumed that they had but no me, me too me too and he even like says to clancy in a few issues like there was a girl who i was serious with a while ago and now we're back getting back together or something like that like that's a weird thing too because we talk about the timeline stuff like dick's still kind of like he doesn't immediately like disregard clancy after this either and barbara doesn't immediately disregard her stuff so i wish that this issue of them getting together would have been more defined like define their relationship and like stuff going forward but that's just the way it was but i'd say that it was natural in the sense that like you know you could tell that when chuck dixon like was starting the nightwing series that like he was setting up clancy to be the girlfriend to be like the ariana or the gwen stacy but like as then he was writing... sub zero and changes mind <laughs> well as he was writing the dick and bab scenes like it uh i think it got more natural but like yeah, Sub-Zero is the first time in any continuity that Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon become a couple, and it was right before this, and, and I, I've had conspiracy theories that, like, it uh, <laughs> it caused the DC writers to cause Dick and Babs to get together, but, you know, it's I think I've calmed down from my Spider-Man crawl space message board arguing with Kevin and Stella ways. It's, uh, oh boy! We've come a long way since then. That was before there was even a first anniversary of Batgirl the Oracle. That was when I didn't like Josh. You tell that story to everyone we meet too. It's it's funny. Like well, it's, I find it amusing because we're <laughs> very, we're so close now, and so to yeah. tell someone who has like listened to us or seen us together, if you were to say that uh, there was a time I really didn't like John, they'd be like, "Say what?" I mean, I was remember when I was a little symbiote on your back in the pool. I mean, yeah, if you were to tell yeah. someone like there was a time we weren't <laughs> friends, they'd be like, "What you talking about?" At Comic Con 2017, Don, when you were like recording with Harry, it was Stella <laughs> and I downstairs uh, having uh, ice cream with Ben for his birthday, <gasps> and like Stella and Ben are like, "Yeah, that was the that was the the time when he did the thing." Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> but like, <laughs> and like Stella's like saying, and Stella's like saying to Ben, "Did you know that I didn't like Josh years ago?" And I'm like, "I don't care that she's telling this, but this is a really weird thing to be telling him during his birthday dinner." Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like she's like yeah i really didn't like him back then and he's like okay <laughs> and, and then like uh when you guys came to florida last year and we like had uh dinner with alex after laser tag you like told him the same story the same way you told ben and i'm like she's just she's just telling this to everyone like <laughs> i remember seeing in those those message board posts of you guys going back and forth and so it was sort of like me kind of watching a boxing match and eating mm-hmm. popcorn so I, I do remember that <laughs> Do you want yeah. me, should I not tell this story to any more strangers? No, 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 no. You could keep telling it. I like. I'm not like. I. It's just like. It's just fascinating to me. I'm not like. I'm not saying stop. Like, do what comes natural because it doesn't bother me. I'm like, this is a really weird thing to be telling children. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, in that sense, it's it's yes, it does not jive with the previous stuff, but. I'm not as mad about it here as I will be in, like, later stuff because, like, here they don't, like, retcon. Like, 
What I get mad is when they retcon later that like, oh, they were thinking about each other all along. Like when he was with Corey, he was like secretly like imagining Babs face and stuff like that. And like none of that's here. Like this is more of a natural progression of like what we've been seeing since the early issues of Nightwing with their Skype calls. So And also that, he did have a crush on her in the in the original issues. That was well, established. Well, yeah, yeah, he did in Batman Family. He told her, you know, like, Barbara, you know, let's let's date. And she, like, snored. And he's like, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> that is the thing that happened, um, you know. And forgetting the fact that he was dating Lori Elton at the time, you know, like, screw her. <laughs> well, we all saw how he, how he dealt with her. <laughs> uh, uh, I guess, we, uh, okay, I'll make this, like, a two- minute tangent or less because you know we're on a clock here yeah like do you remember Lori elton stella i do so apparently like she broke up with dick after like you stopped covering his issues in uh background oracle because like barbara was involved with them and she starts dating this new guy and dick finds out that that new guy's a criminal so instead of as robin arresting him or capturing him or tipping off the police he confronts them on campus as dick grayson and says robin told me you were a criminal and keeps on like saying like stuff like and you killed this guy and you did this and like Lori's like sitting right there watching this whole thing and dick starts beating this guy up like gives him a savage bean in front of the student body and then looks at Lori, who like is like crying and like reaches out to like dick like okay are we back together now and he just like walks off as like the student bodies like pat him on the back like way to go and that was the end of her character and now he's with barbara <laughs> wow okay <laughs> well what grade would you give ballistic romance 10 10 out of 10 lovers. <laughs> yeah, 10 out of 10 uh, butterfly tum-tums for me. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Just the sheer – and a lot of it's you know nostalgia, too, is just thinking back to that time when I was collecting random shipper issues. So I was glad to – Yeah, I had 39 when it came out because I remember I got it like around Christmas time, and I didn't read 38 beforehand. So like it was it was very different when I did. Yes. Okay. Okay, well, there you go. Unanimous again, and uh, for shippers of all sorts, but definitely for the Dick and Bab shippers. And if you're, again, you know, shameless plug, if you're looking for a gift to give me, there is a $200 statue of a Dick and Bab so as Nightwing and Batgirl that I would be blessed to have. So you can just send it my way. Uh, now on, now on I, to, I think we might have to like do like a community like gift for that. To, like you have to like, like chip in a certain do a month. Kickstarter get you know or whatever the the ones are these days. Indiegogo. Good, good, good. Yeah, there you go. Good GoFundMe. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, like 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 a community thing where it's like okay, like Shaq pays like you know this percent, <laughs> I pay this percent, oh, Don no. pays this percent, Dustin pays a percent, and I'm like, <laughs> but then it's like. Why are some of my friends paying for more shares than the others? Yeah, and you and Shag aren't even friends, so. You uh, keep on saying that. <laughs> I decided to do it just I for got fun Firestorm. To... Yeah, The real yeah, Firestorm. Yeah. You to, always like, back it up with this. A... I know, I know. Well, that's a pretty – I think you were with me when that happened. Oh, I no, think... you left. You, you yeah, left. You didn't sure. stay for Legends of Tomorrow. I think I got scared. Okay, next up is <laughs> Batman's No Man's Land number zero, ground zero. I thought you said Snowman's Land for a second. Snowman's Land, yeah. <laughs> Batman's Snowman's Land. Okay, 
Batman Snowlands land number zero. Some guy who I never heard of named Jordan B. Gorfinkel? You've never okay. heard of him? I think he's joking. He was the editor. I, I met him. He was a group editor, yeah. Oh, I you thought he was joking. Soda? I, I did. Okay. Wow. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> and Greg Rucka. Uh-oh. <laughs> Greg Rucka I've heard of. And Greg Land. So... <laughs> Learn how the Huntress became the new Batgirl. That's right. She was once Batgirl, fellas. And what happened to Batman after Cataclysm in Gotham? Three months have passed since the city's bridges have blown with no sign of the Dark Knight. Revealed here are the Huntress's transformation into Batgirl, an unexpected player's role in prompting Bruce Wayne's return to Gotham. Spoiler, it's Talia. And more. So we flash back to the early days of No Man's Land and see Huntress trying to keep order as the only vigilante being left behind. And she realizes that, like, if she was Batman, she'd strike more fear in their hearts. So she fashions herself um, a Batgirl costume, which changes throughout the story. Like, it becomes – it kind of, like, goes through three different phases before it becomes uh, the costume that we know and love and that Cassandra wore for years. And that Stephanie eventually wore, too, for a, f- a few issues. Meanwhile, Bruce Wayne is drowning himself in his playboy lifestyle to kind of numb the pain from losing Gotham until Talia shows up to kind of slap some sense into him and, like, get him, you know, motivated again. So Bruce returns to Gotham as Batman and is surprised to see the Huntress acting in his place. But he decides he's going to let her be when he sees that she's making an effort to, like, pull her punches, be less lethal, and is showing more compassion it pretty much sets up uh, the beginning of the No Man's Land proper. So that's the story. Lovely. Thank you. So I looked up when this came out and it, it, the publication date was October 13th, 1999. So, you know, near the tail end. And one of my questions actually is why publish this issue, this story now in, at this moment in No Man's Land? Why not do it earlier after the reveal of Huntress being Batgirl? Was this a fifth week event or something? It kind of feels like it was. Um, yeah, it's almost like an annual or something. It's not like they published it years later. It's only like a few months later, so, you know, it's it's fine. And obviously you couldn't do this earlier because it doesn't have the same punch, especially with, like, knowing what we know about the Huntress, you know. Uh, uh, this wouldn't have worked at the beginning of No Man's Land. And it's not only the untold tale of Huntress, but also what happened to Bruce because Bruce disappears after like talking to Congress and we don't see him again until the beginning of no man's land and he's been gone. And that's why Jim's mad. So now we see why he was gone and what caused him to come back. Okay. Why is Martha often the focus of Batman? And, why do you say that name? Oh my gosh. I should have realized that, that was going to happen. But there's a lot of, yeah, she, 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 right? So I'm assuming, especially given the images that we're talking about Martha, though at the end it seems like it could also double as Gotham. But why do you think mm-hmm. of the two that Martha is is often the catalyst of, of Bruce Bruce's journey into Batman? And, and not that his father's neglected, but it just seems like Martha's the, the bigger reason. Do you have any thoughts on this? And this is true, I think, of more recent years as well when we were when like Snyder was revisiting it was it was a lot about Martha and looking into her impact on his life why do you think that is oh I think that like it kind of goes back and forth sir go ahead I I, yeah I think like Don what Don says it does go back and forth but uh Bruce was eight years old when his parents died and if you took a group of let's say 28 year olds on a playground 
and let's say they're in nuclear families, meaning like, you know, like they're not single parents or whatever, like they have two parent households. You put their mommy and daddy on like, you know, the park bench and these 28 year olds are at a park and each of them stubs their toe. Most of those kids are going to cry mommy and run to mommy and not daddy. So Bruce was eight when his parents died. So he's he's a mama's boy. You watch his mommy. I think it's also that like like it does go back and forth because like you know this is my father's house and my father's company all that kind of stuff in terms of like yeah. it it does depend on the writer because I don't at first I was like I don't know if I agree with that but then I was like no there are times where like I know in um the the Jeff Loeb Tim Sale stuff like she read him Alice in Wonderland and stuff so I think it goes yeah where you say why do they focus on Martha why do they focus on Thomas I think it is very very um bipolar where like some people are like it's always about like like the nolan films were most mostly about thomas wayne but like the snyder films are about martha wayne so like i think it depends on the writer i don't think it's ever one or the other i think it goes back and forth okay yeah i you know I, in explaining it in my mind i also wondered if maybe martha was just more present in his life than than his father was because you know he's a doctor so he, he's got things to do so you're going to be closer with the person that might be home with you more often it's just like a weird aside you know for like a minute but like it's kind of weird how like thomas wayne his backstories evolve where like in some cases he was like you know a small time doctor that does house calls but also like he ran wayne enterprises and stuff like that like which was it was he like this big like multi-millionaire ceo like his son becomes or was he this hometown doctor and i guess in some iterations we're meant to believe that he's both but that Did is he like inherit the, inc- the fortune inc- and become a doctor. It's an inconsistency that's kind of like bothered me, but like only slightly because mm-hmm. like it's not like we see it all the time. It is inconsistent, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Huntress, we see her, we see Batman. Of the two, you know, odd couples that you could put side by side, I, I would say that it would almost be these two, especially given the tension between the two that have run <laughs> rampant. You say odd couple. I'm imagining them like drawing a chalk line in the middle of an apartment. Oh, so, well, This sure. is my side of the house and you <laughs> stay on your side. <laughs> I could see it happening. I could. But why do you think pair these two together for this little, as you, you know, this special issue? Uh, because it's, we got to figure out how batman got back to no man's land that's the story that you got to tell and we have to see how huntress became batgirl that's why you pair them together yeah we know everything we know where everybody is and why like like robin and nightwing and oracle and and commissioner gordon these are two main characters of no man's land who like uh i think i think there was more to tell in terms of what what had happened in the beginning in terms of information but if this story was so important why are they putting it in in a special one-shot issue and not in one of the main books as the story was going on. I think they had, like, you, you could, you could ask the it. opposite question the same way. Like if this story is so special, why doesn't it get its own special issue? I mean, is it, is that so? I think, I think it feels like an exposition issue um, or and it's a flashback issue. I feel that like with the time skip, there's a sense of expediency or maybe that's not the right word for it. There's a, there's a sense like, you know, like, like oh, we're into this right now. There's no lead up to it. It's just sort of a fast forwarding. And it kind of makes No Man's Land feel more stark. I don't know. I mean, I, I never thought about it. And I don't know if I necessarily mind as much. But, like, uh, I, I kind of like the fact that it wasn't as linear uh, with, with this being a special thing that they told near the end. 
I don't care for it not being linear. I think that this would have, I mean, I just had to take my mind sort of and, and remove it from the current timeline. And they're like, okay, this is happening at some other time. Whereas I feel like it would have helped out had it been elsewhere and threaded through the story and in some way. But, you know, that's just me. Does this make you see Huntress Helena in any new way? Do you feel more of a regard towards her and her fight and, and seeing her struggles and, and the uh, evolution of, of her throughout No Man's Land? Not really. I think that like it's it's what I've come to expect from the character in terms of like like she she pulled out her crossbow and I was like, alright, he's going to get it. No. And then she like as, as she's wearing the bat symbol, she's actively operating differently. And I like the scene where Batman is like, if she tries to kill somebody or she tries to inflict harm, I'm going to jump in. But like, he's seeing how the the mantle changes her. Um, I would not say I've seen it in a new light. I've seen that like we're seeing it in a new light, kind of demonstrated. But like, I feel that probably because this was in the past, I knew that like um, the character that they had built up to this point was changing at this point. But it wasn't so much me being like surprised. It was like, okay, well, this, this is how she is at the start of No Man's Land. Yeah, um, I, I like it, but I mean, I, I already kind of felt the empathy towards her from reading, you know, her and the other books the previous few years that I'd been. And I love that first version of the Batgirl costume that she has, where it has like the yellow oval and stuff. It's like and, Barbara uh, Wilson. Barbara Wilson didn't have the yellow oval, though. But like, yeah, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like a mix between, you know, like, yeah, Bronze Age Barbara Gordon and Barbara Wilson, maybe. Uh, like, and, and I like how, like, and then the next time, like... Um, it's similar, but it has like the Cassandra Kane chess symbol then. And then like eventually she does like the full, what did bother me a lot. And this is something that bothered me about a lot of Batman books in this era is like, you don't see Batman like solve mysteries. He just automatically knows things. And he sees Huntress in the costume and he thinks, and it said Huntress, like automatically, he automatically knows that it's her. And instead of like him doing detective work and, uh, you compare that to a book that had come out the previous year, which was Batman the Lost Years, which was an animated series continuity, where you see in that book him working out, like Barbara Gordon being Batgirl, and him how he figured that out and came to that conclusion. And they erased that subplot when they adapted it for the animated series. He's just like, of course I knew. Uh, well, and and, here it's followed up with like left pivot, then right lead, which he leaves like – so they tell you how he knew it was her. Yeah. Okay. I I don't know. I I I just hate the way that it is. Like he sees her and he's automatically huntress. <laughs> That's right, readers. This thing that you were debating about on message boards for five months, I got it in one panel. Come at me. <laughs> Can you? Uh, I I like okay, seeing her. this with with huntress. I think it it backs me up anyways in in how I try to defend her. You do see the struggles that she goes through, and and I appreciate that. And I also appreciate that Batman gave her a chance and didn't leap in right away as you know I might expect him to do, but not even you know seeing uh, what her intent was. So I I do appreciate that. And Josh was getting Huntress, to it. you're killing this plan. Oh my gosh. Uh, Josh was getting to this a little bit with the, the evolution of the Batgirl costume. Yeah, so you've got, of course, the chess symbol and her hair flowing freely. And then you have the new symbol, no hair. And then for a funny reason, she covers up the mouth. So what are your thoughts just on seeing the evolution, the fact that she had a couple different iterations of the suit? And then what do you think also about the reason behind the stitched uh, mouthpiece? 
It reminded me of Batgirl Year One, where Barbara was like like flash tanned because of the explosion mm-hmm. in her mask. Like you know, her, she had like the kind of like the oh, same that's right. yep. look on her face. I it was alright. I I kind of felt bad because she's like, oh, I better cover this up so that like, what if he recognizes me and then he still recognizes her. <laughs> Or, well, yeah, it's also like, is there no school? Si- I guess there's no school system in No Man's Land, so she doesn't worry about like her children worrying about like, why do you have like a brick-colored spray paint on your face, uh, Miss Bertinelli? And then she gives him detention. Uh, so like, uh, I- yeah. well, why you saw, she do you that? saw earlier that she, she was worried about her kids getting out of No Man's Land, so I think the majority of them did. Okay. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to school. <laughs> Although no, I, I, like- I think I think that people are doing makeshift schools in some of the shelters, but like, yeah, like. Okay. Yeah, they never they never said where uh, uh, Tim's friends went to school during the mess. I don't think. I don't well, Tim was Tim's friends were in Gotham Heights, which is like outside of Got. It's like a suburb outside of Gotham City. So, like, they were like largely unaffected by No Man's Land. I think because like when when they go to that restaurant and Ariana's there, like they're fine. Mm-hmm. They're not in like a refugee war zone. Like, I, so I think that like they kind of like established in the Chuck Dixon run that. Tim's area that he even though he lived in Bruce's neighborhood like he went to school like outside of the city he had a travel and it was un- there, yeah. and it was and it was like unaffected gotcha i i liked seeing the the changes that she made to make it more tactical i guess would be a you know just for it to make sense but it's also funny you know as we talk about you know what do you think about the fact that you can't see any part of her face the reason why that is Compared to, you know, Cass is just wearing a hand-me-down to a certain extent. So her reasoning for that would obviously change. So, mm-hmm. you know, if she that had... That costume went through three Batgirls. Indeed. That's true. Well, uh, what would you give No Man's Land number zero? I'll just say real quick that, like, I like, uh, very quickly, like, like, like Talia's, the use of Talia in this issue. I think that she's greatly in character. I like, you know, don't talk to the daughter of Rachel. Go that way. I like them explaining him changing the belt because he goes from the capsule belt to the pouch belt from year one here. Uh, and I like the fact that they explain during Prodigal and stuff, he'd make uh, makeshift bat caves around Gotham City. So that's all. I, I really like this issue for that reason. I want to give this a 10. Yeah, because like, this is like them explaining this. that mystery. Yeah, like where he went. Uh, yeah. I think the artwork's great, the writing is really solid. The only thing I don't like about it is that that goofy image of her, like, uh, with a mask off in her own apartment, like dancing when she has the costume on. I don't know what that's about. She's yeah, she likes the that's... feeling of being in 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 like the Batman cowl, kind of. She enjoys the feeling of it. That's what, yeah, and now I like it. I suppose I, I don't know. That, that was that was strange to me, but uh, that's not a good reason to like give it a bad grading. So I will. I guess a nine point five. Um, I think I'll give it a seven out of ten. Um, and like Don, I like Talia in this issue. Like, I like it when she's used like this. Like, I don't like her as a villain. I like it when she's kind of like I like her as a villain <laughs> in in the gray area. Well, after all, they've been through together. But like, I like her in the kind of like the gray area where like she's not gonna like you know she's not as virtuous as like Barbara Gordon or like you know or even Helena Bertinelli. But she's not like the joker either or her father like she cares about batman and she doesn't like want to kill him so i I like her like you're a disgrace to yourself like i love her being utilized this way um and that it takes her to snap him out of this bruce wayne funk too uh and (laughs) i I had a note in this too where like bruce is talking about different people and he says oh 
Pete Peterson behind me. And I'm like, is that Bruce like making fun of the guy or is his name actually Pete Peterson? In which case, holy cow. Larry Lenny Linerson. Yeah, the alliteration. Not only his name is Pete Peterson. That's that, that that's the same name twice. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you thought it was a reference to Peter Parker. No, no, I doubt it. Okay. This well, they do that sometimes. Me. Wasn't someone? It wasn't Peter. Somebody in actually one of the issues that we covered. Not that we, but in No Man's Land, didn't something weird happen? I thought there was I a crowd know. scene and there was a Marvel person in there. Oh, Marvel. Unless it was something else. I could be thinking of something else. But anyways, I think I'll give it a nine. I do – I like the side-by-side. Again, my, my complaint, my main complaint is that they didn't put this where I think it would have maybe been more impactful, uh, you know, along the timeline. But that's just that's just me. I like Batman taking taking his lumps, as it were, and, you know, just in a way to feel the punishment for, for letting – his beloved city down. And then of course, Talia and Talia almost being like, I wouldn't want you like this. I thought, Oh my, look at that. But yeah, overall, I I think it was, I liked seeing the evolution of the costume and, and how Helena was showing different, you know, sides of herself as Huntress and then as Batgirl and, and what that was like. So overall, I thought it was a good issue. Oh, so here we are a single issue. It is uh, Batman shadow, the bat 93, Oh, yes, Assembly Redux. And it looks like I'm covering that. All right, so publisher summary. Batman gathers his forces for the final battle as various powers in what was once Gotham City, like any other march, prepare for total war. The mysterious benefactor behind the possible reconstruction of Gotham is revealed, leading to darker days ahead for Batman and the city. Yes, Greg Walker Ryder and Paul Ryan and Bill Sienkiewicz as artists. Oh, well. (laughs) So Batman gives Catwoman's disc to Oracle, who reveals that the whole Catwoman subplot was actually bait to see who was trying to buy and rebuild Gotham. Penguin's deal with the mysterious lady, it's it's Mercy Graves, we find out, is soured. (laughs) Sarah and Jim finally discuss the alliance with Pukeface, you know, as Tim Drake would say in the (laughs) anime series. Hint, she's not happy. And Pettit's boys try to overrun the JCPD, which leads to an awkward reunion between Batman and the Huntress. But anyway, when this issue lands, the mysterious employer of the mysterious lady, who's Mercy, is revealed to be Lex. Have you ever heard of Alexander the Great Luthor, <laughs> who is arriving in no man's land and is about to make his plans, you know, uh, come to fruition? So first question is, did you see as you were reading this, either in real time or as you went back, did you know that Lex was the buyer slash the man in the shadows all along? Oh, yeah. It was a popular theory, especially because like in the Secret Files and Origins like issue, you have like the mysterious people behind No Man's Land. And there's like a silhouetted figure in the shadows who's obviously like Lex Luthor. When I was reading these issues, uh, I knew Luthor would figure into the final part of No Man's Land. But honestly, uh, when I said read about these issues, I should say like you know years ago, I didn't know when he was going to come in. So I was like, oh okay. But like when the woman uh, at the end of this issue put on her like you know sort of like chauffeur's hat and she lo- she she dressed like Mercy Graves from the animated series, and you see Lex Luthor pop out. I was like, oh okay, this is where he is. Okay, so in a way, I was surprised actually. I knew my second read through. I don't know that I knew my first read through though. But everything it was sewn, you know, practically 
not from the beginning, but very, very soon after with, with all, especially with, with Bane going in there and, and all of that stuff. But I felt like they did a good job and that it wasn't just random, but it had been built up and there were little hints here and there with that. Mm-hmm. This is Mercy's uh, first comic appearance, by the way. Is it? Uh, when she first appeared in ba- in uh, Catwoman, like earlier in the CS, like we had not seen Mercy Graves, and like uh, unless it was like an animated series comic, yeah. Well, I was gonna say that like uh, Harley first appears in No Man's Land, right? Yes, in the comic. Yeah. Yes. Would you ship Mercy and Bane? Do you think that would be a good couple? Oh. <laughs> no, because uh, I, I don't. I don't see either of them as romantic people. I agree with that. He's a romantic person. He's he, he in love with Talia, but like, uh, she doesn't. I don't know. I don't. It just feels weird for me to see Bane in a relationship with someone. Okay, I just wondered. Perhaps you're wondering what restaurant you will choose for our anniversary dinner. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Uh, My final question, because I don't really have too much on this, is about actually that awkward encounter between Batman and Huntress. Do you have any thoughts on that particular page? I mean, they look at each other. There's some silence there. That was so mean. Hey, Huntress, still want to prove? Shut up, Batman. (laughs) Not even I like that. Yeah, I thought that was kind of more grand gratuitous. Yeah, that that, that, that was – like, and, and I get what he's saying, too. Like, are you serious after everything that you tried to tell me? Like, you're with these people. But, like, the way that he yeah. vocalized it, it's like, grow up. Like, he should have said, Huntress, this is this is beneath you. Or, like, no, this isn't this isn't the way or something. But it's a, still want my approval. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like, I mean, he said something to Nightwing after that big blow up way back when, when, when Don and I covered it, that seemed like he was, he had plans for her and that maybe I don't know. So I, I've just been watching to see what, what that could mean when he was talking about it. Like, Oh, don't worry. You know, I'm not, I'm not done with her yet. And so I just wondered, and, and I guess I was wrong in this because I've, I finished my reading, whether she might be like a secret agent for him infiltrating the, the petted and Foley crowd. And uh, it doesn't seem like she is, but that that could have been some some good potential. And so maybe it was one of those plays that you know be overly dramatic <laughs> uh, to throw people off the trail. But it did seem kind of terrible. And she doesn't even reply; like she just goes off and and yeah walks. Because because sometimes it's the best thing is to not reply right. when people are heck heckling you or right. cat calling you or whatever and it reminded um, me of the time when jim punches batman and batman doesn't even do it he just like puts his head down and walks away who deserves it yeah. <laughs> there's another thing that annoys me too with the mercy reveal issue like oracle's like and her name is i know her name like shut up like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the start of batman knowing everything before everyone says a sentence yeah like, like well, we used to see him be a detective and he's just always like i know I know. But we got to get the Catwoman scene for the third time. That is true. Yep. So this that wraps up the disc situation. <laughs> and Actually, Stella just said lie. this that's wraps up the disc situation for the second time. The second time. But I just realized that it doesn't it doesn't wrap up because we'll see it again in her yeah. in her Well the, the discs are like stolen again, like an off panel land unless I unless I miss something. It's like Mercy's like, ah, oh, I stole the disc from Catwoman I'm like you did well that was in her book book, that was in her book when don and i did it so i guess the assumption is that she made a copy so mercy stole a copy but she had the original 
Because okay. I think she does that. Okay. Yeah. Not to spend too much time on this because I think it, it starts some things that will thread through and, and lead us to the end. So what would you give Assembly Redux? Give it a seven. Yeah, seven, seven out of uh, ten uh, uh, approvals because you <laughs> oh, still want approval. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I would also give it a seven out of ten. So now on to our shell game arc. All right. The rebuilding of Gotham City forces the Joker and Harley Quinn to step back into the spotlight and sabotage the efforts of Gotham's savior, Lex Luthor, while Petite and the Strongman prepare to save the city through extreme measures of their own. Okay, this issue was written by Greg Rucka and penciled by Sergio Carrello. I guess Oracle Batman and Robin plan their next moves, which involves Oracle watching the city records for changes while with, and Robin spying on the Huntress who is talking with Foley about how Pettit is losing his friggin' mind. Meanwhile, Batman and Oracle make a phone porno for Lucius Fox and then tip him off about Lex Luthor's <laughs> plan. What a way to describe it. Uh, they simulate sex on the phone for Lucius Fox. I don't know how else to say what yeah, they did. Babs, it, was, it was a massage. Of all people, why does Babs have to be the one to do that? It's a hot she seems massage. to be having fun. She's like, <laughs> she's enjoying herself. Imagine like Dick like walks in like, oh Barbara, thanks for that. <gasps> what am I listening to? <laughs> Dick, I can explain. Explain nothing. <laughs> I should have known after Batman Mystery of the Batwoman that this would happen. Oh my gosh. Never bring that up. So Lex's people <laughs> continue to rebuild as this issue ends with the Joker making his move and causing havoc. Okay. I actually only had one question on this and it was about Bane. Do you think he would leave Gotham so easily? I mean, Batman just walks into his trailer. They don't fight. They have a sensible conversation and Bane's like, okay, I'll go uh, to Santa Prisca right now. I mean, what are your thoughts on Bane living? I actually love that because it's like <laughs> – because it's basically like these two people are like – they're both so smart and they're great tacticians that like they're both on like another level where it's like – where Bane's like, yeah, I figured out your plan. I get what you're doing, but I haven't told Lex. And it's like, well, you know I'm going to take him down, so you might as well cut your losses and run. And Bane's like, eh, when you put it that way, yeah. Because when you think of there is nothing in here for Bane, there's like in, unless he wants to beat up Batman to break him, like he has no reason to stick around. Like he get, he has what he wants. But I kind of like that mutual respect for each other, where like they both know what the other person is up to. Yeah, I would agree. Like Bane's not dumb, despite several incarnations of him in the media, and like. Because, because you know, they, they've been through so much together, they can kind of speak to each other in sort of that sort of guarded respect where it's like, you know, he, oh. Bane knows Batman doesn't lie. So. <laughs> We're talking about part two. <laughs> I got to do the recap and the publisher summary for part two. Oh, well, yeah, I was doing the shell game as a whole, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, 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 I forgot <laughs> that we were doing that. <laughs> Part two's publisher summary. When Joker and Harley's violent move against the rebuilding of Gotham forces its benefactor to pull out the ultimate weapon, the Huntress questions her alliance with Pettit in the wake of growing insanity. And my recap was uh, Batman checks in on Robin's takeout of Pettit and Huntress. Pettit is going nuts because people are abandoning his camp to join Lex. Pettit wants to keep them prisoner and Huntress can't talk sense into them. The Joker 
causes chaos at Lex's construction site until Mercy and Bane put up resistance. Batman confronts Bane, tells him to cut his losses and run. Penguin tries to strong arm Lex into getting more assets, and Lex shows him that he means business by having Mercy beat everyone up and execute one of the Penguin's men. That the was issue, awesome. Yeah. The issue ends with Batman and Oracle not doing a phone porno this time, but watching with smiles on their face, Lucius Fox announced on the news that the president has given an executive order to reopen Gotham City on January 1st, New Year's Day. And Babs will still have a stepmom then. Shut up. I know. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, we did the Bane thing. Uh, what do you think about uh, Batman, you know, having someone look out for or perhaps just watch Huntress and the goings on of the exploit? I mean, I guess you could say it's, it's, it's condescending, but like, I, I don't think it's out of character for him. I think that. Uh, he, in some ways, it's almost like because they were working together that it's it's almost like he it feels like he owes her kind of some sort mm-hmm. some sort of like a guardianship. There's 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 you know him being kind of a kind of a jerk in that absolutely, but at the same time, that feels like something that he would do. So like I, I, I don't is, look at that. is a powder keg. He he needs yeah. someone watching there. Yeah, I think with Tim, I mean sending Tim, I think was a good. A good job because Tim has the empathy potentially that Batman might not, and Tim shows his concern for Huntress. And I think I I saw even way back in Contagion how those two work really well together, and he always tried to be on her side and and help her make good choices. But you do see some I think care and concern from Batman, at least you know if you're reading between the lines in the conversation between. I think he was saying, you know, Huntress will be all right. And, and Tim said, are you trying to convince me or yourself? So I think there might be some worry just because Huntress is in a bit of a bad situation now that we see. I mean, she's always been in a bad situation, but just is getting worse and worse because Pettit is like really about to lose it. And she's had opportunities to leave. And even Foley is saying, like, we could potentially do it. And the coup is an idea, but they don't know if they can get enough. So it's a lot of... A drama that's really building and it's interesting that it's happening now because you had way back in the beginning you were concerned as a reader for who this pettit guy is and and their and then and his belief system and and versus jim and then you had the breakup of the gcpd and now you've got this so it's been like a three-act arc of pettit and and we're we're reaching this climax here which is it's nerve-wracking yeah and that's why he has to have Robin Mantra because Pettit is a powder keg yeah. and in no man's that you can't have people running around unchecked. Well, anything else on Shelgate? I like when the Joker, like he thinks that he's finally gotten Batman's attention and he turns around and he's Bane and he says, oh, this is going to suck. <laughs> yeah. I like the use of uh, Lucius Fox's story in terms of like, mm-hmm. like the political aspect. I thought that uh, – I think Lucius is actually way too tolerant of Bruce's shenanigans because like they were a lot more kind of like can- – he doesn't know who he is, but they were a lot more candid with each other in earlier eras of the, of, of the series. But like whatever. But I, th- I thought that like – I like the fact that like if we're talking about the government aspect here, Lucius Fox can be used well. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually like the whole um, – even though I made fun of the whole like Bruce and Barbara like calling Lucius thing because – Barbara is like kind of like having fun role playing, you know, like with it and like just like putting on the role of this like goofy like bimbo on the beach thing. And uh, it's it's in no man's land. It's rare to see Barbara Gordon like get to like have fun or like role play or joke around. So 
that was a nice moment. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that everyone got a world's finest um, animated series vibe from like Batman confronting Luther in bed as Mercy sneaks up behind him. Yeah. I literally looked out for that clip on YouTube when I read that scene. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's a lot of like in the late 90s and this bothered me more when I was a child and like I'm more tolerant of it now. Like I did not like when like the comics would take uh, the lead from from the animated series because I thought it should be the other way around. Like the animated series should be influenced by the comics, not the other way around. But there's advantages, obviously. But like I was like, oh, now Mercy's a character because someone watched cartoons, fake geek boy, you know, and like stuff like that, like. You're not a real fan. You just watch the cartoon, and you're assuming. Really, like a priority straight back then. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. If Stella didn't like me on Spider-Man Crawl Space in 2009, <laughs> in eighth grade, that would have been a much different story. Oh my! Oh my! There's a part where they talk about influencing the president and like <laughs> tell him that we're going to send like a tape to the special counsel's office, and I was like, oh my! This was true <laughs> in 1999, and it's true now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad they got back to the government stuff because that, you know, it all began with uh Bruce Wayne goes to Washington and Cataclysm. And so it's good that we we have to connect. We can't just leave no man's land out. You know, cleaning it up, getting the territory is one thing, but bringing it back in the fold of the United States is a completely different thing. So I'm glad that we're getting a a role on that. And it makes sense to do it alongside or running parallel with Lex. Uh, yeah. So uh, with this issue, or sorry, two issues, Batman 573 and Detective Comics number 740, what would you give this arc? Seven. Eight, eight out of ten. Bimbo's on the beach. Oh, Bimbo's on the beach. I think I'd give it an eight as well. I, I think, uh, yeah, the, the the emotion, it's just getting really stressful right now with, with all this stuff that's happening and just building up towards the end. Well, on to another Asriel issue. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, that was not that bad. Asriel <laughs> 60, evacuation. I almost said allocation. Uh, writer Dean O'Neill, il- illustrator Roger Robertson, inker James Pasco. Batman uh, instructs Batgirl and Asriel to kind of e- evacuate the areas that the Joker's going to attack because he knows the Joker's on, on. He can kind of feel the Joker out. He's going to attack people to get to him. So he wants Batgirl and Asriel to, to keep people safe and to basically get them out of, out of Dodge. That's essentially what happens. The Joker takes on this this mook to kind of dress like him. So when Azrael and Batgirl are given instructions not to take on the Joker directly, Azrael freaks when Batgirl starts beating up the guy who they realize isn't the Joker. So when they end up confronting the Joker, like the real Joker, Azrael's like, ha, your hair is stupid. It's a wig. You're not the real Joker. And they walk away with uh, the little girl hostess that he had. And the Joker's kind of just confused and annoyed that like someone thought he was a fake. End of story. <laughs> That that ending can I had to read that ending three times because I was so confused. Of, oh, I, I feel like there's a bit of an out of character moment with at the very beginning with Nightwing and Babs because Babs is usually the one to go to bat for the non Cassandra Cassandra character, and here Nightwing is the one to do it because Barbara has concerns for why she had been chosen for the mission to go, and then. Uh, Nightwing says she's highly trained so I thought that was a little interesting because I feel like it would have been a role reversal that Nightwing would have been the one that was a little dubious and then Barbara would have mm-hmm. sold, sold him on it I think it's Barbara being a concerned parent I think I, I agree with Stella because Barbara 
had the one was the one to convince Nightwing that she was, she was good enough for the role. So like, and in that gas station issue, so no, I, I agree. That I think that the dialogue should be switched. It does feel off given what we know about like the later parts of their relationship. But like at this point, I just. While it doesn't feel natural with the context of what comes later, I just write it off as well. Barbara's concerned because it's the Joker, (laughs) you know, Batgirl's going up against even though like the Joker didn't shoot her while she was Batgirl. Just, you know, Batgirl's going up against Jokers. It kind of, you know, Robin's going up against Jokers. Yeah, triggers something in her. And this is she has a personal attachment to Cassandra. That's her baby. So, yeah. So the ending, of course, talks about, I mean, Ezreal is saying that Joker was an imposter and little did he know. He was almost able to use like reverse psychology, which almost reminds me of that issue where I remember Barbara was laughing at Joker and Joker didn't like it very much. And I was trying to work that out for myself. But the Joker hair, what do you think about the design of the Joker hair in this Oh, my God. I'm glad you said something. Of course. That was my only note, actually, was Joker hair. That's what it says. (laughs) What do we... Well, well, it it made me think of of Jan from Gotham Chronicle, because, like, she will, like, down and I will, like, what do you think of this thing this week? And she'll be, like, the hair. I just couldn't stop looking at the hair. I was, like, oh, my God, you guys. Like, what is going on with your hair right now? So I was like, if she was on this podcast, we'd be listening to a lot of stuff about hair. hair. That was crazy. Yeah, it's usually Alan, Professor Alan and I always talk about Barbara Gordon's hair because the style changes depending on the artist. But this was just like wacky. Yeah. Oh, uh, one quick note about the Nightwing conversation, too. He says that like she's as tough as last week's old bagels, which I thought was a really weird description because like – that's what Peter Parker used to insult one of his like ex-girlfriends in Amazing Spider-Man once. And I was like, what is it with people talking about weak old bagels? That's so... Yeah, I don't know that that, that was, a, that was a, a reference for anything. Yeah. I have nothing to say about this issue, really. I, okay. I, it, it's fine. Yeah. But I like it, but like it's it's nothing. Yeah. It sure was Ezreal. Okay. Uh, well, what would, would you give Ezreal Agent on the back number 60? A seven. Uh, five out of five old bagels. Uh, five out of ten old bagels. Five out of five old, ba- weak old bagels, of course. Five uh, out there's, of ten. Yeah, Von, uh, what's his name? Von Schlickery. Von Bagel. He's no. Yeah, William Von, who cares? Yeah, Schlickery is that. <laughs> oh, man, poor guy. I, oh, goodness gracious. I think I might give it, phew, I'll split the difference. I guess I give it an, a six because I think it is lower than the, the sevens that we've been doing. But there are some funny moments, especially with Von Schlickery yelling something and then Ezreal <laughs> and Batgirl sort of look at each other in a wordless panel like very concerned of what's happening okay oh boy we're getting close to the end here we have Catwoman a couple Catwoman <laughs> issues to create what I styled as the Catwoman Penguin Luther arc so Catwoman 76 and 77 we have Strange Bedfellows and Payback both issues written by John Ostrander, uh, illustrated by Jim Ballant. Yeah, basically, Catwoman uh, wakes up after she passed out from a gunshot wound on the rooftop by the Penguin, who has uh, helped you know, heal her up and, and taken her clothes her off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't forget that. She is and, way uh, too okay with that. <laughs> well, later on, she's like, you know, men and women have separate changing rooms. Prudes. Okay. Um, but, like, uh, 
Penguin looks evil as he can be, as he says, you know, Luthor's, you know, running into my... I had things going on great in No Man's Land, but Luthor's ruining that, ruining that for me. So uh, make, th- make life hard for him. And she's like, when can I start? So this issue is basically like she sneaks into like kind of you know luthor's plant when they're kind of helping rebuild gotham and you know kind of mucking up things stealing these high uh, high-end class lexo suits which are like right out of the superman series not in terms of literacy but literalism but in terms of, like that's a good idea that they would have had um she also realigns with the uh like her henchmen fellows that she met in the last and like two uh bto coverages ago basically Part of this is, is, to, is to like get back at Luther, but most of this is getting back at Mercy because uh, as we're going to seventy seven, she really wants to get back at Mercy for shooting her, and tells Penguin that you know I I, I was always going to betray you because you were always going to betray me, and he's like why why why, um so she meets up with Batman again and asks can you get Dead Man for me because something suspicious is going on with uh, one of my henchmen, so as she continues to make her life hard for Luthor and Mercy, uh, he eventually comes up. Uh, to Catwoman says, okay, what do you want? And she says, just ask me to leave and say please. So he does and wags his finger. That's all you had to do, Lex. Yeah, she 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 like moons and gesticulates around making these very strange uh, poses. Uh, the issue ends with Dead Man, the 90s Dead Man, I forgot he looked like this, showing up and saying that like uh, the guy who was imper- impervious to bullets and explosions, Mookie, is actually dead? <laughs> he's a he's a lost soul who's who's trapped between the living and the dead, and he takes him back to where he needs to be. Of course, yeah, it was obvious. Uh, Catwoman was like, you know, t- telling the reader and herself, you know, that, that seemed nice of me, but you know, I'm still a bad girl at heart. What do you expect? I'm just a cat. And that was that arc, the Penguin Luthor Catwoman arc. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you think Penguin no longer fears Batman because he's certainly making? some moves that he would not have in the past or he he had in the past but then batman slapped his hand a little too hard and so then he was very much in line with batman but now he's going out and doing his own thing again so do you think the fear of batman is now dissipated and he's he's back to his old ways or do you think he fears lex more potentially after what mercy did to his men i think he has he wants to have any some sort of wiggle room to to go wherever his ambitions take him like, like, I don't think he's he's not unafraid of Batman, but he's like, uh, Luthor. Yeah, let's let's go after Luthor because Luthor's powerful, but he's not as frightening as Batman is. It's more about the fact that like, it's not that he doesn't fear Batman, but like, he just has this greed for power, and Luthor is coming in and taking power. So like, Penguin's like, no, mine. Okay. Yeah, I I wonder if he sees that the end of No Man's Land is coming, so he wants to get like a, a a firm hold on what he has. But it's just interesting that he's doing more than I thought he would prior because he's you know scared of uh, Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think it's it's odd that Batman doesn't question what Catwoman has planned? He just sort of goes along with it when she asks him you know, <laughs> if, if she could borrow Dead Man for a bit. I got Robin, you know, spying on Pettit. I got to find the Joker. I'm training a new Batgirl. Leslie Tompkins is yelling at me because I'm a worse monster than Mr. Zaz. I don't have time to figure out what this is. Just <laughs> just give Dead Man back to me when you're done, Catwoman. <laughs> yeah, that, that was kind of a weird tangent. And I was surprised to see these guys again. Uh, this feels, you know, much more of a tie-in issue because it's clearly a Batman, a Catwoman story, you know, with stealing all the kind of stuff. But, like... uh it was – I was surprised, yeah, because Batman says in Robin, you know, I can't be spared. You know, I can't – you know, they couldn't do that over the phone. But maybe she can't contact him. 
Yeah, I think for me it was just the I would like, you know, dead man. And he doesn't even ask her why, whereas I, I don't think they're at that point of their relationship in this, you know, at this point in time in comics history that he would just give her whatever. So that that seemed a little odd to me. I did like the return of those three. I thought it was funny how it all worked out because she mentioned she needed some people and then they were in a new job and also talking about how she betrayed them basically. And then, you know, they come back together and she ends up ma- really making it up to them and helping them out in, in more ways more ways than one. So I thought that was uh, kind of cool and you got to see a softer side of, of Catwoman. Well, I, I that's it for, for this little arc that I had. Any other thoughts? The last Catwoman issues we, we you and I did together, yep. I really didn't care for those too much. I thought I like these issues better, although I still can't stand the artwork. These are fun. Like I love like the montage of her like just doing little things to inconvenience Lex. Like I ripped up the payroll, even though they'll just order new checks and whatever, you know, like it doesn't matter. Like it's all about inconveniencing them. I'm stealing the food and just how much of a jerk she is. She did all of this to like embarrass mercy. Like this was a fun story after like the stupid detours that we had. It's funny. Like this is like the second or third time in no man's land where like Catwoman will wear a disguise, but we know it's her because of her purple lipstick. Like, uh, (laughs) That always uh, makes me laugh that she has that distinguishing feature. That penguin scene at the beginning where he's like leering at her while she's naked in bed after he stripped her. And yeah, yeah, it's (laughs) oh, my God. It always reminds me of this weird X-Men issue where Arcade kidnapped the X-Men and changes them into their (laughs) costumes. But no one questions it. I remember that. Well, and he's like leering at her as she's like waking up and like she's just surprisingly Oh, I don't want to say okay with this, but like I don't know. Like I feel like she should be more upset than she is now. Whenever Penguin and uh, Catwoman are together, I always think of Batman Returns. Like I get a like Batman Returns vibe from this too. <laughs> I guess um, ten out of ten purple lipsticks for me. <laughs> what <Did> really? You... <laughs> I had fun. A ten out of ten on this. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's fine. I don't think you're a Jim Ballant comic at ten, but like uh, I did like the issues. <laughs> I'll give him a seven. I think I, wow, I would, yeah, it's the art that's a hang up. I mean, even in the first page, it's like the the sheet is is barely covering her her nipples. I would give this, ugh, I think I'll give it an eight. I, I like how it wrapped up for her little crazy characters and, and even Mookie is, you know, he's dead. But yeah, okay. Well, we're moving on. We've got two single issues left and then the last arc that brings us all home. So first up, we have Robin, 73. Robin 73, The World Around the Corner, written by Chuck Dixon, illustrated by and Stephen Harris and Adrian Ward for Colors. As we left last left uh, Tim Drake, uh, his father dropped dime, and now his face is all over the, the uh, <laughs> East Gotham. So <laughs> everyone's talking about, you know, the poor little boy who's trapped, you know, in the, in the no man's land. And um, Tim's like, this is so embarrassing. But Bruce is like, actually, this could be, you know, the, the pull we need. Uh, politicians are like cattle in a thunderstorm. They'll, they, this, this sort of like... Um, news might force people to you know get things rolling uh and jack joy gets visited by people of the government i guess like it's like federal marshals who want to take tim out for various reasons that he doesn't necessarily trust but it is legitimately going to take tim outside of uh the, the restricted zone while batman and robin plan to meet up with the federal marshal he says take batgirl she'll protect you during that time and tim is not about batgirl at this point he's like she gives me the creeps i don't like her and um, I'd rather not be next to her, uh, including when he changes. He, he keeps like, talking to her as though he, she can understand him, but I guess he doesn't care. 
long story short, well, she uh, she can understand English. No, she can't. <laughs> it's it's all like, like verbal emotions, or it's all like physical emotions, or what have you. Anyways, uh, long story short, a gang, and I forget if the gang is named or if it's like the like the Z boys or whatever, uh, show up and just kind of, just try to just to muck up the rescue operation. Batgirl and federal marshals hold them off while Tim is airlifted from via helicopter out of Gotham City, and he's and he makes sure that, that, that to a spanking from Jack Drake. Yeah, yeah. If you thought that he misses television before, um, that's, pretty, that's, that's, that's pretty much the issue. Uh, everything goes goes fine, and uh, as far as the world is known, Tim Drake is safe. Okay, I had no, my only note on this was that Batgirl gives Tim the creeps, and it is funny to read through her s- series and see that relationship develop. But to just have that out there right now is is pretty funny. But yeah, this just yeah. wraps up. Because it, it had been a while, so I'm glad it came back. But I guess it was just because I was reading all this other stuff where, you know, he had snuck into into God. But it, this poor kid, I mean, he – man, it, it must be really hard to have parents who don't know your secret identity because of what he has to do. And he already snuck in once to be with Stephanie who is having her baby and all this. So it's just – the, the dramas that normal teenagers go through are, you know, somewhat painful to watch. But the dramas that Tim Drake has to go through is like really painful and sometimes hilarious as well. And you're like, what? How are you going to get out of it this time, Beef? So yeah, that, that's really all I have to say about this one. Do you guys have any thoughts on this? I like how relatively or comparatively low stakes it is. I mean, it's a big deal, but all the issues we've read, you know, lives are at stake. There's explosions, and you know the Pettit's going crazy with the police and Gordon, and this one's mostly embarrassing for Tim, but it makes sense in his in his title. It's not like we're reading something that's that's like a waste of time. Mm-hmm. So I like that Chuck Dixon can tonally shift from book to book, and I also take notice of the whole him and Cassandra, which does carry over. I mean, that that is brought up again in her own book how he feels about her, and considering they're much more warmer to each other many years down the line it's interesting kind of like with you and josh it's interesting to see how things started out <laughs> i didn't want to stella to see me change she gave me the creeps in, in her early appearances mm-hmm. <laughs> yes exactly it's funny that like this was written so long ago that like they spell cell phone with one l because like they weren't sure how to spell it so like, <laughs> i didn't notice that yeah tim's been keeping touch with us on a cell phone like <laughs> let's see this. <laughs> um this reminds me of like old episodes of Smallville from, and I mean like season like one or two episode of Smallville where like you'd have a villain being set up for the entire episode and then there'd be like a 30 second fight sequence and then like it would be over and like I feel like a lot of this issue was like set up like we're gonna stop the extraction and then like they show up and like Cassandra like makes work of them in like a page that's it like otherwise it's just basically you know like all about the drama of like getting Tim home like I almost feel like you didn't need the like those people like to like show up and try and stop it because otherwise i don't know that part felt like a waste of time but i know that they need to have like some sort of drama or stakes there but yeah like the jack drake problem oh man i feel so bad for tim and of course the timeline for this is all weird because the trades never know where to put this book this issue because like you know like in some trades you have like lucius fox like we did it gotham's open again and then like uh <laughs> bruce wayne's like and then this issue, and Bruce like, this could be just what we need to get Gotham open again. Didn't Lucius do that a few pages ago in the trade? Uh, da, 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 da. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> Why do you? <laughs> and of course, after all of this, after all that Tim puts his death through, he sneaks back again. Of course. <laughs> like, <laughs> how did his dad not notice? Like the next time. They never tell you because like he because he's like there for like the final arc. Right. And he even makes like a reference to Dick like, oh, my dad would kill me if he knew I stuck back in. Like, what'd you do? Make a Ferris Bueller like, you know, like oh, dummy or like. Like, Ives, I need you to like, you know, I, I, I need you to do something for me and don't ask why because we're best friends. I need you to wear a wig and just lay down in my bed. <laughs> I was going to make a Mrs. Mac joke, but I'll spare Don from that. Okay. Well. Uh, grades for Robin seventy three. I don't love the artwork. Uh, the artwork's fine, but but I, I like the usual Robin artist. Every time I'm on this podcast, it's like the villain artist for Robin. But like, uh, it's Chuck Dixon Robin. So like, I'm giving him yeah. an eight out of seven out of ten cell phones. Ooh, yeah, I think I'll give it an eight out of ten as well. I, I think it's just the the drama that goes on it makes it uh, humorous as well as. Isn't this also where you've got the swarmy? politician who's like all of a sudden you know yeah. saying that we need to bring we'll it back there even Jim though that wasn't his, yeah it wasn't his initial platform or whatever so you got some flip-flops there i just want to say as we're going to the end <laughs> you voted against no man's land and i regret it every day <laughs> no he would have voted for wouldn't he have yeah yeah that's why man oh okay i did look up on pronounced names because my co-hosts have been having trouble they go back and forth i've been saying pettit the entire time here's the correct pronunciation pettit aha Pettit. They just realize that people take that. You me again with that. What was what was it? Leith last time. Le- yeah, it was, and it was Leith. Yeah, someone is being like, okay. yeah. There we go. Foil again. Yeah, of course. Well, I was saying Pettit, and everyone's like adding some sort of French uh, twirl to it. Pettit. <laughs> okay, last one. Last single issue before end game. We've got Azrael, agent of the bat, number sixty one. Written by Danny O'Neill. Robinson. Be our guest, Bell. Yeah, that's what okay. I was about to say is like the cook who loses the lobster <laughs> or whatever. Oh, I was thinking uh Lumiere. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about a little mermaid where he goes, Oh, oh, oh I missed one and then throws, you know, some Christmas in No Man's Land finds the Joker taking instead of giving when Batman learns that the Joker has kidnapped babies from all over Gotham in another book in an effort to murder Hope. It fa- it fails to Azrael and Batgirl to save them. Oh no, this issue. <laughs> okay, so Batman has mobilized the Batman family in a scene from a later story that we'll get to. So Batgirl and Azrael head off to receive their instructions along the way. JPV, uh, which is what I wrote in my recap instead of John Paul Valley, bonds with her. Oracle sends the two of them to find the missing babies. What? What? Why? Oh, find out later, folks. And gives them Christmas gifts, much to their, like, confusion and stupidity in a scene that I think is very, very undignified. So, Azrael and Batgirl don't find the babies, only a decoy Christmas tree that's been set to blow up. 
And while Asriel takes the brunt of the blast, he's able to give Batgirl the star on the top of the tree. Aww. <laughs> They're not in love. <laughs> Uh, what's funny is why is the Patty Mayonnaise song in there? I know. <laughs> what's funny is, and you both dear journal upset. today, oh, the new Batgirl and I stopped a Christmas tree from blowing up. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that right, pork chop? Oh man, what's funny is, and you won't like it, but I actually started to ship Azriel and uh, Will Batgirl by the end. Now I know that there's a. a You're a, sick. I know. You're I know. Sick. I know. Thank you, Stella, from the past i know that there's there's a bit of an age gap but i do i like them working together whether it's romantically whether it's romantically or not but what do you guys think about because these have been paired up quite a bit why do you think that it's better than clayface oh okay what do you i don't know why it would be better i'd if we had time i'd ask you to expand on that but why do you think (laughs) batman paired these two up together how do they fit together what do you think of their relationship as we saw in no man's land Maybe it's because uh, everyone else is are very familiar with each other, and he believes that like they're more they're similar. They have they have very messed up upbringings, and they're very capable, so they would work well together. As opposed to like Tim, Barbara, and Dick, who are kind of more familial. He giving Batman too much credit. <laughs> it's like Batman. Stella always says. Stella always says I give him too much credit, which is probably. No, it's like Batman. That's why you put them together, isn't it? Because of their similar backgrounds. What? Oh, yeah, 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 sure, yeah, that was the reason. I I think it's sweet in a platonic way, and, like, I love the moment where, like, he, like, she takes off the mask and, like, you know, uh, and he's like, you have a very sweet face. It's too bad you have to cover it up. So it's it's a nice, I feel nice, genuine friendship there, you know, not not shipping. Okay. Uh, you could ship someone friendship style, yeah. not yeah. romantically. Yeah. She's young friend. She's underage. Oh, <laughs> That's the thing, though. Goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go on and on with that argument. Her yeah, age is like. <laughs> what, what, when do we definitively get an answer for her age? Because I feel like it's very uh, in story. In like not, not that she was seven. Like they said that like she was like you were squeaking. We couldn't it's, it's tell her, you what we, we couldn't tell what you were saying. You were squeaking. I get what you guys are saying. Like they're they're good friends, but like I do feel that like at least with the artwork, there's some implicit romantic stuff. Like she's supposed to be like. A teenager, like she's not just this, like oh, she's this woman who no, she's a kid. So stop it. <laughs> but whatever. I thought I, I hate every time I get to this part of the story when I reread this because, like, I think it's very undignified when Oracle's like, "By the way, I have Christmas gifts for you," and they both look at her like, "Christmas gifts?" <laughs> and then it's like, "Oh yes, Christmas is a tradition." And she like rolls her eyes like these silly people who don't know life stuff like you know and then like it's like it's perfume it's to make her smell good she doesn't smell bad oh these silly people who i have to educate on the world like you know it's i that was not yeah I, I thought that was very interesting <laughs> but it turns out and i i really like that one panel where he's playing the harmonica and she's dancing to it so the i gifts, love that yeah the gifts end up you know, working well for them, I would say. I mean, the perfume is a little says, oh, odd. Oh, the dance, the dance is your gift for me. I get it. I, I, I like that. That's how I think that they're similar. I, I don't know if Batman put them together for their personalities exactly, but like, you see, they're similar, and uh, you see in like the letters pages, readers are picking up on like their partnership in these issues, A and B. Yeah, I, I think they work well together. I think you know it could be the the two newbies 
but it goes a long way for for Batman to trust Azrael, I think, and and you know take someone under your wing. But he had done it before with Tim, so maybe he just sees Azrael as someone that could use a partner potentially. I don't know, not necessarily to calm him down, but maybe he just needs someone there. And uh, yeah, with with the others, it also I think speaks to Batman that he trusts. Tim especially, because Nightwing obviously deserves that trust, but Tim, you know, to go off and do their own mission, but maybe these two, uh, he feels like they, they should have a partnership instead. He looks like Hush at the very last panel. Oh. Uh, great. I would give this... Um, I mean, like, yeah, I, the, 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 the whole cast in Nazareth thing is not that big of a deal. I actually do like what we're seeing her, because she's not really in much of these issues, so I'll give this a 7.5 out of 10 Christmas gifts. I'll give this a 5 out of 10. Christmas gift? What's this? It would have gotten really? a lower it would have gotten the lower grade, but the only reason why it got up to a 5 was like I thought that it was really sweet the dance that he gave for her and the unmasking, but like don't don't make these characters this undignified. Oh man. I think I'll, I'll give it a 7.5 out of 10 as well. And now we move into our last it's a four issue arc. Uh, known as Endgame, and then they've got little subtitles in there. So Greg Rucka, Devin Grayson writers, Damian Scott, and Dale Eaglesim artists. Now, that's for part one. Is that for part two and three, too? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, Damian Scott and Dale Eaglesim on, our, on all of them. Endgame, part one. The city is being rebuilt. Home, I mean, Jim Gordon is made commissioner again. The babies <laughs> of no man's land are set up as Chekhov's sausages, and Leslie Tompkins is invited to Christmas with Bruce and Dick. Sarah Essen promotes Renee Montoya to detective after chewing her out about puke face. We see some Christmas dinners with the Gordons, the Montoyas, the Waynes, the Drakes, and the Pettit's camp, which isn't very happy, and they're about to get a lot unhappier because it's crashed by the, 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 the Joker at the end of part one. So in part two, which is in uh, Batman 574, Endgame part two, tender and mild, the Joker taunts Pettit, who comes out and shoots the Joker, and the Joker's now dead forever. Or so he thinks. It's actually his own men who the Joker has, like, disguised as himself. And Pettit is too blind or too angry or both, or he doesn't care. He keeps shooting, despite Foley and the Huntress trying to stop him. Foley tries to get help from Central, but Pettit fatally shoots him, which makes the Huntress lose it. She unloads on Pettit and says that she'll kill him. And before we can figure out if she was serious or not, the Joker does it for her. Helena fights off Joker's men, but he eventually overpowers her and points a gun to her head, which when I was like in eighth grade, I I knew that someone was going to die in this last arc. I was like, this is it. This is it. So Detective 741 Endgame, sleep in heavenly peace. The Joker is about to finish off the Huntress, but Nightwing and Batman intervene at the last moment to save her, which makes me wonder if, like, Robin was still watching, but how can that be if he was, uh, you know, having Christmas dinner with his dad? Joker and Harley make off while Batman stops a bomb and Dick tends to Huntress, who, like, is very, very, like, fatally, almost, like, fatally wounded from the Joker. And she says, Batman happy now? And he says, rest. Good work, Huntress. To which Nightwing says, congratulations. That's his highest praise. Honest. And uh, Stella gets vindicated. And we all go home happy. Batman interrupts the Gordon family Christmas to gather everyone to help find the babies that the Joker has captured. Everyone splits up. Nightwing drops Oracle off at Tompkins' 
wow, I put Nightwing Drops Oracle off. That's a Freudian slip. Nightwing Drops Huntress off at Tompkins Clinic and is desperate for her to get well. The Batman family and the cops all chase false leads for the babies, which are really booby traps from the Joker. During the search, Sarah's radio breaks and Jim sends her back to Central to replace it. And I have a lump in my throat and a tear in my eye as I'm typing that in the recap because I know what that means. Batman catches up with Harley and he learns that the babies are at Central. Oracle tells everyone over the radio that Joker and the babies are at Central. And we get a close up on a horrified Jim Gordon's face because he knows that Sarah has just entered, entered Gotham Central not knowing what's ahead of her. Because her radio is broken. And this is where we're going to go a little beat by beat for this final part of the story because it's important. So we see Sarah looking at her broken radio and looking at the other ones that she's about to replace. And she hears the babies crying. So she cocks her gun and goes downstairs and sees Joker in a room full of the babies. And he say, it's okay. You won't feel a thing. I promise. You'll thank Uncle Joker. Trust me. I know what I'm talking about. Most of the time, life is the biggest joke of all, and you're going to get the punchline sooner. Freeze! GCPD! You're under arrest, Joker. Put the baby down gently. Now, the Joker kind of, like, looks at her very defiantly and says, Oh, it's the police. Hmm, I'd like to report a crime. She tried to shoot me, and I dropped the baby. Stop! I mean it. No, I mean, she rushed me, and I dropped the baby. And now he's pointing the gun at the baby's head, and he says, oh, maybe I just – and he throws the baby, and Sarah catches it. And then he points the gun at Sarah's head and says, Merry Christmas. And we get the blam sound effect as, as Joker walks off. With a smoking gun, Sarah Essen face down on the floor, dead, with babies crawling all over her. And Joker, a look on his face that I don't know. I don't, I don't know why he – but he, he's not amused. He mm-hmm. comes out and everybody is rushing there because they want to save Sarah. They want to save the babies. And the Joker doesn't put up a fight. He just says, I surrender. And Bullock and Montoya are standing in the doorway. They just have seen what's inside. And Bullock says, Commiss, Jim, I'm so sorry. And Montoya says, she's dead. Jim punch slaps the Joker across the face. Blood's flying out of his mouth and he screams, animal. Joker is on the ground from that Jim has a gun to his head, and now the Joker's kind of feeling feisty. He's like, Commissioner, you'll be hearing from my attorney. Gordon cocks the gun, and Batman says, Jim, and Jim says, he's gone too far. And I'm not going to not gonna ruin this scene with any homeless cop voice. He's serious <laughs> this time. This is like, I can't solely it. This is a serious matter. He says, he paralyzed my, my daughter, my little girl. He just murdered my bride, my Sarah. Too much, too far. He's crying. Yeah, we've all gone too far. Look at them. Look at us. They can't take anymore. It's time to bring our people back, Jim. Then there's a moment of silence, and Batman says, I won't stop you. And there's a moment of hesitation, and then the Joker says, you have a little boy too, don't you? To which Jim shoots him in the knee. The Joker, ah, hey, hey. You just gonna let him do that to me? He shot me in the knee. I may never. Oh, like your daughter. I get it. Good one, Commissioner. And Ugh. Jim walks away down the stairs, away from this arrest him, charges murder, 
and loses his footing in grief. Batman catches him and says, I've got you. And that's the final panel is him saying it again, I've got you as the Joker is taken off. And that is the end of no man's land proper. Whew. Okay. So shadow of the bats 94, which is days of all Lang Syne. Let me get the credits for that. Greg Rucka is the writer and Paulo Ramondo is the penciler. So it's new year's Eve. Gotham City's reopening, but it's also a time of grieving because the day that's going to end with Gotham reopening begins with the funeral of Sarah Edison. Luther begins his plans to switch the real estate holdings, which Batman has been having Oracle watch and that they tipped off about Lucius before. And Bruce asks Barbara during this whole planning thing, shouldn't she be at the wake? And we cut to the wake, which is at Jim's house. And you see him, he's everyone's kind of remembering Sarah, but Jim just, he can't deal with it right now. He's alone on the back. And he said, uh, we see Dick and Tim and, you know, Tim, for some reason, snuck over here, you know, away <laughs> from his dad, risking his murder at this point. And, you know, <laughs> Dick says he's going to check on Barbara later to which Tim reminds him, dude, it's new year's Eve. I guess we know who you're going to be kissing at midnight to which Dick's like, <laughs> but at the Gotham reopening gala that night, Barbara avoids Dick Meanwhile, Lucius is in, has investigated the fraud that Bruce tipped him off to and realizes that, like, Luther's basically switching, like, deeds and stuff like that and that the people who actually own these properties, they're too broke to fight him. Lucius goes to confront Lex, and Batman knows how that's going to go, so he's on standby. And Lex is ready to kill the unsuspecting Lucius Fox until Batman stops Mercy and Lex and tells Lex, that. yeah, cut your losses – you can be back in Metropolis at midnight. I told you before, Gotham's my city. Get out of here. It's now midnight, and Dick goes to kiss Huntress, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who's kind of earned a kiss after all she's been through. But like, and Gordon pops champagne with Sarah, which is actually sweet because Gordon's been kind of out of his element the whole issue. He was very uncomfortable, and you know, he at the party, he's like, Sarah always knew how to do these things. So he shares his the new millennium, as this was at the time with Sarah, and Batman stands by the grave of his parents as Gotham City has reopened. And it's our last shot of him in the Troika outfit, because the next time we see him, his costume's <laughs> going to be switched. I was wondering the about that. Like the end of No Man's Land. Ooh, we made it. <laughs> okay. I guess we'll start with the emotional impact first. And it's is it true that there was a rumor that they initially thought about killing Huntress off? Is that true? I'm not sure. I I, um, oh. I think I heard one of your co-hosts say that I believe it was somewhere. Shag? Shagalicious. Yeah. Um, it would not surprise me okay. because this whole arc is very much like a Huntress redemption arc. Right. And it feels like the end of her story. Like she's become Batgirl. She's going to give up her life to protect the city. And we have a lot of members of the Batman family to which like, she's almost redundant, you know, like, especially now that we have another bat girl, not that we can't have multiple bat females. So yeah, I could see this being the end of Huntress's story. Um, but I like it better that, uh, she lived and got to have that moment where Batman said, you know, good job, Huntress. Do you think it would have changed the impact if, if it had been Huntress rather than Sarah who had been killed? I wouldn't like that because I think that like there's been a lot of like Huntress needs to learn something. Huntress needs to change up her her mo. You know she's seeing things differently. I feel that you know as, as much like honestly as much as I've been 
trying to keep a certain focus on like the character dynamics and saying, well, Huntress, she's not as you know, she, she, she has her flaws. I do think that like killing her off would have been like mean spirited. So I like how it is now where like she kind of earned redemption by getting injured. I think it doesn't have the same emotional impact because like that scene of like Jim losing it after Sarah dies, like who would have had that reaction of the character? Like the readers? Yes. But like which character would have like, had that reaction, the Huntress dying. Like, yeah, Robin and Lightwing would be upset because they were friends with her, but, like, it wouldn't have been the breaking point. Like, you look at, like, all those people who were connected to Sarah, like Bullock and Montoya, and how, like, sad they were. It's, that would not have worked with the Huntress. Because you mentioned that Huntress is certainly, this is her redemption arc, and we see a nice parallel back to the Two-Face and his men because there she saw that, you know, going in there was certain death and and to protect people, but she decided to walk away from that. And here she has another opportunity where there are people to protect, but she's going to certain death potentially. So she, but she decides to plow forward and do that. And we've got some awesome silent panels of, of her just beating them down. For whom do you think she's doing this? Do you think it's for herself? Do you think it's for Batman and other people? Do you think it's for her, her you know, her reputation? What do you think? I think it's for everyone else. I think that, like, yeah. between not wanting to completely follow Batman, wanting to do it for herself, and not wanting to completely follow Petite, it all comes down to who she's trying to protect. And it's, it's, it all comes down to Gotham City, essentially. But, like, you know, specifically the people, the innocent people behind her, all the, you know, the cops are dead. Petite's pet, Petit's dead. Foley's dead. And, like, she was trying to have Foley get help. She was trying to have him get Batman. So it wasn't like she was, like, I'm the only one who can do it. But, like, she was at the point now where she couldn't leave. And so and I, that fight scene is so cool. I mean, she's mm-hmm. she's beating the crap out of these people. But it's not out of, like, some sort of, like, gratuitous violence thing. It's, like, you, you see the desperation in the artwork and how athletic she is and just how every panel is she's like she's on the ground and slipping around and everything like that. And she, they start running away until the Joker shows with a gun. Yeah. Um, and we knew that somebody was going to die and my guess had been the Huntress because I, I, I just felt like she was being set up and I wasn't as genre savvy and as narrative savvy, like back then as I am now, I, I love, like that Huntress got that good job moment. Although I feel like it was a little underwhelming after all she had been through. But as Nightwing says, hey, that's the best you're going to get. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, that is as much as Batman would give. I feel like that's happened for somebody else as well. So probably, probably to Batgirl, actually. So you notice when like Nightwing like runs to her, she says, hey, baby. Joker has the baby. It's like, it's like, but like, there's just one panel where she's saying baby. Like, is Nightwing like, oh, is yeah, she flirting with me as she's dying. Oh, like, gosh. oh, yes, oh, of course, you're talking about the babies oh, and not how hot I am. I didn't even. I didn't notice oh, that. Yeah. I did not notice that. That's funny. I was just gonna say, yeah, I think part of it, you know, with that weirdness that Batman says, you know, did you feel? Are you still seeking uh, appreciation or, or whatever the the word he was? Oh, acceptance. I think, you know, part of it is for herself as well, but I, I think maybe for the I, I think she's not doing it altruistically. Let's just say that. I think she's going in there knowing everything and deciding to turn it around from last time, like I'm not gonna make this mistake again, rather than just going in with, you know, selflessly and everything. I think there probably is something else back there. Really? I, I do. I mean, I think, you know, you, you have that moment and so you're 
yeah, I think that she is contemplating, you know, other stuff that that's that's going around. Is she saying, you know, I'm going to show him? Not necessarily, but I think she's also flashing back to what happened before, and you know, not again. And Truly she's, she's going to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think she would have killed Pettit? That's a good question. I almost I don't know. think that she should have, unfortunately, because with Foley, I mean, Foley was an unfortunate bystander that was that was taken out, and so the fact that she actually holds back on that was was rather you know of all the people to to kill potentially that would have been the the one because she could have saved that i don't know i don't know if given that she could have been forced to kill him maybe i can see that well like because she says you're dead and like you see like she's about to kill him but then like joker does it and i i wonder had joker not done that would she have finished the job yeah i don't know i mean i guess there's hesitation if you're just speaking it and she didn't do it you know whereas knee-jerk would be to lift it up and shoot rather than saying anything but speaking of pettit i mean he's taken down by the joker do you think we lost something that uh, (laughs) thank you that there wasn't a showdown a final showdown between pettit and jim do you think we lost something there i don't Uh, think it was needed oh okay i think the the potential could have been there but i no i've never that never entered my mind because i feel that like there was there was tension i think i think the last time he and gordon had a real standoff when when like he shot somebody in cold blood, and people had kind of split off. I think that's all they kind of needed to be said. It wasn't like they were const- constantly going across each other. Since then, I think it's just been mainly him and Huntress. Okay. Well, moving on to Joker and Sarah. First question is, and I don't mean to blame him, but why didn't Jim send Sarah with somebody? It seems like at all other points, Sarah had, you know, a partner to go with. And and especially in No Man's Land, you don't really walk around by yourself. This is, you know, buddy system. So why, you know, is just like, go, go back and get a radio. We can't have you without a radio. But it doesn't say, you know, take Montoya with you or something like that. I think... It's a case, it's it's a blind spot. Like she's not going into like you know Zaz's territory or something. Like No Man's Land is pretty much like about to be over. Like Luther has rebuilt stuff, the territories are taking over, and she's just going back to the GCPD, which he considers like their safe zone. It would be like you know like sending a, a child like you're at like a neighbor's house and you'd like you're not going to send your son to walmart by himself but if you say hey walk back over to the house and like you know and bring back a stick of butter or something like that that's like you don't think that anything's going to happen when you're sending your kid to their own house so and they're i think that it was also they couldn't spare anyone because like if he sends montoya back with her then montoya is not going to be there when they find the joker because they don't think that they're going to find the joker at gcbd they think they're going to find him at one of these decoy places so uh they need all hands on deck against the joker so it's a blind spot um and it's something that he didn't think of and that's the tragedy of it any thoughts on that? i would agree okay. yeah yeah i would agree as well as just <laughs> it was super sad uh, um, it was super sad. Yeah, it, it is. It, it is. I, I, I reread that sequence every once in a while, and like, I love the like cap on top of like it's very Joker that like he's like, oh my leg, I'll never like your daughter. I get it. Yeah. Like, and he's laughing while everyone else is like horrified. Sure. Why? Is he not amused when he kills Sarah? That's like, one of like, my questions I, as well. Yeah, and the fact that he surrenders yeah. and looks displeased about it. Yeah. It's like he like he can't to, get himself to laugh. 
I go back to like the the point of no man's land, or one of the points is that when you take away the safety of the government and the structure of a, of a society, what is everyone kind of down to at their core? And I think that a lot of this was Joker trying to get get attention and kind of amuse himself. But this is like this is hard. this. I mean, like you know. Jason Todd and and uh, uh, shooting Barbara Gordon and all the classics. People need to talk more about this. It's kind of like with Norman Osborn and, and, and the Parker baby, where it's like he kidnapped babies, threatening to kill them, and like I mean, and like you know, toss one into a cop with a, when they put a gun into its head. It's like, and I feel that like at this point he's kind of like lost the amusement of, of like his spontaneity. So he, so I think I feel that like he was maybe like just kind of. This guy is creatively exhausted. He's, you know, that's that's it for me. And I think that's that's very in character for him. Like he's, it's not like he's sort of this endless go-go rabbit kind of thing. It's, it's like you know, I'm, that, I'm, that's 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 me for this story. I'm, I've I've done what I I felt I I I felt I had to do. Um, and it is kind of confusing. It's not it's not wholly perceptible, but I do think it speaks to the character in in a kind of a small way. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's at all disappointed that Batman wasn't the one to find him, and that it was you know this cop lady? Maybe. I, I think if he wanted Batman to find him, he would have let himself be found. I mean, because he purposely had, like, Harley Quinn be a decoy for Batman. Yeah, I don't think that he was counting on Sarah showing up. I think he was counting on somebody vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. I, I I think for some reason he realized that, like, shooting Sarah wasn't funny. But, like, I don't know why. And, like, maybe, maybe that's something to ask Greg Rucka sometime. But, like, there's something going on there. And... He doesn't really laugh until the whole like your daughter thing. Yeah. So like, which that that amuses me. Um, you well, know, like, like that's what gets him smile. Like, he, he does smile when. Well, no, what, what, what I mean is that like uh, when when Gordon knocks, knocks him out, when he pistol whips him and he gets on the ground, when he stands up, he smiles. But until then, he's very like kind of like like grim faced. Yeah. Which is- if Jim had killed the Joker, what do you think would have happened? I don't think anyone would have would have done anything to him about it. <laughs> I think Jim though would have not been able to live with himself. I think that it's it's a good thing that Batman stopped him because ultimately he would have felt like he betrayed the memory of Sarah and betrayed the memory of everything he stood for. Exactly. I think that like there's a catharsis like oh he killed the Joker because the Joker deserves to die. But like the long run story of No Man's Land is also like kind of the soul of these people. Like he he was different than Pettit. He wasn't. He wasn't going to do what Pettit did. So, like, even when he's at his worst, there has to be something in him. It's like with Killing Joke. It's like by the book. So there has to be something within Jim Gordon that separates him from the worst the city has to offer because he's supposed to be the city's lawman. And again, like, I wouldn't have blamed him, but like, they would have lost. It would have been a moral defeat. And 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 I think he's smart enough to know that, which is unfortunate because it puts him in an impossible situation. And the next time you see Jim Gordon, and I think it was Detective Comics um, after this, like when they relaunched um, at, well, not relaunched, but basically like, you know, the new run after No Man's Land, he was like suicidal after Sarah died. He was like, like he didn't take sleeping pills or anything like that and like plan to like kill himself, but he like, he was putting himself in situations that would have killed him on purpose because he like was ready to die. So like, had he killed the Joker? I don't think he would have survived that. I think that that would have just pushed him over the edge too much because then he would have lost everything. Yeah. And he even says to Batman, like in the funeral, like, was it worth it? Yeah. No, I don't even think that in that sense is he's interrogating Batman. It's just kind of him going out to yeah. like, kind yeah. of wanting to know for himself. But what, what do you think that it is though? What's the it? In well, that quote? 
they brought Saving Gotham, Gotham back, but like everything that they had to do. Um, and I do like how, even though like we do have an epilogue, um, the final part of No Man's Land proper is uh, Jim in Batman's arms after like right. you know the beginning of it, where like they were not friends, and now like not only are they friends again, but Batman is you know well, there for him in his time him. of need. Say what? I love Batman catch him because he's like it's, it's not even yeah. so much like I'm sorry, it's like I got you. Because, uh, like, right. again, like, they're all, everyone's been broken down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was, the, you know, friends, you know, don't walk out on each other. Friends don't do this. And here's Batman being a friend to him. And yeah. I, I think it's daylight at the end. So, like, Batman's there in front of, like, all these people in pure daylight instead of, like, hiding in the shadows because he's going to be there for his friend. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that new Batman Adventures yellow sky? <laughs> I think, you know, Jim has been really put through the ringer with, with everything that's happened. And at the Joker's hand now and so for him to stay the course is I think speaks to his uh, virtues as a as a man certainly as a father and a husband why do you think No Man's Land ends with Joker as the big bad what's the significance of that he's the Joker like you'd like it, it's not going to mean anything if like the big bad of No Man's Land is the Mad Hatter or like Mr. Freeze like the Mad yeah. Hatter oh man okay it, you could it has have... to be the Joker okay you, you think they needed to have some final antagonist? Well, well that, No like, Man's uh, Land is also about chaos, and the Joker is chaos. And I, and I also think that, like, again, by by this point, yeah, the Joker's cloud has really ratcheted up throughout the 90s, but it w- he wasn't as, like, as scary as he was, let's say, let's say in the Scott Snyder run. Where, so, like, he could do, like, all the other villains, but where's what's, what do you think the Joker's going to do? And, like, near the end, it's like, what are we going to do is something, something horrible? So I think that, like... His legacy and and like the idea of what his character could do really heightened the 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 interest for like a climax. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a great character to use at the end rather than throughout or not at all. And it wouldn't mean as much if Sarah Essen was murdered by Tweedledee or um, Signal Man or the yeah, Hour Lockup or Kite Man or something. Kronos. Oh, Kronos. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Kite Man like wraps like a kite string around her and like chokes her with it oh, like. Wow. <laughs> Uh, just two final questions for me. One of them is about the Christmas Eve dinner scenes, and I just wondered what you thought they oh, added to the story or, or how, how they add to the story. The calm before the storm and some heart and no man's land. And also um, Sarah and Barbara interacting, which like you can probably count less than five times that those two have interacted, even though they're stepmom and stepdaughter. Like, and mostly in the we story. Didn't even look, we didn't even see like – and I think I wrote to you about this and unlike a year ago, like or two, is that like when Jim marries Sarah and stuff, like we never see Barbara's like reaction to that, like, oh, I have a new mom or my dad's with a new woman. Like that never like and that's because Barbara wasn't in like a birds of prey title at that point where we were getting her thoughts like sure. month to month. Yeah. Like she was appearing more infrequently. But so it was nice to get their relationship and it begged questions about the timeline, especially when like Tim says that he's been watching Helena for a month, and I was like, there's no way he's been in there for a month watching Helena. That's like, Jack Drake would, like, be dead from, like, heart failure. I, I love these scenes. I love how, you know, you see all the Gordons together, and Renee with her family, which we'll see more in Gotham Central, and Bullock's with them, and you see Tim with his father, and they go to Wayne Manor, and it's like, Alfred and Bruce and Dick and Leslie Tompkins. I was like, oh, that's really nice. That's that's really I you wouldn't immediately think of that, but like and Alfred and Dick is like kind of messing around like a little case like, like yeah, sit down, Alfred, I'll carve you sit. Like I thought that was really kind of like heartwarming before um all the and then you go to like, like Foley and, and Pettit and Huntress and they're all miserable. Yeah. 
I, that was great. Which I, I love that contrast. By the way, why is Jack saying that he's proud of Tim after he just like had government agents like pull him out of like no man's land for like breaking in there? Probably because he survived being in no man's land. It was no man's land. <laughs> I, it, and I, I guess truth and fiction. He's trying to connect with his teenage son so he doesn't run away again or like just not make where's Dana and Mrs. Mac? Why aren't they at the Christmas dinner? Come to think of it. Oh, they're probably in the, in the kitchen. Like, like, I don't know. It's doing something else. Yeah. I, yeah. I also liked it. I, I calm before the storm is good. And you also get these just, I think beautiful character moments and you get to focus on the family what, rather than them being in some sort of chaotic situation and, and saying something. And, and it's just like a, a piece almost that that's really, Harkin, you know, it reflects the the actual season and everything, and and you have hope. You have hope going into the end that everything's going to be okay. And I think to a certain extent, you remain with that hope. But then it's just really, you know, the picture of family is shattered for for the Gordons, especially. That's a great piece of artwork. Uh, I want to see real quick where, like, when Gordon sh- or Batman shows up to Gordon's home, he says, "We have a problem." Or like, I don't know seen this, but like, like Oracle turns around and you see like the shadow in, in the hallway, and then you see like the symbol. In her glasses, as as Jim is saying, "I love you." Like, I really like that bit, the, the bit of artwork, and I think that like uh, that elevates sort of the tension as well. Uh, one thing about that scene, you know, good transition is Batman says, "You know, I'm going to contact Oracle and have her contact everyone." So, like, not only has he like revealed the existence of Oracle to um, Sarah and Jim, but he's also revealed her gender because like Oracle's gender was a secret like in those days because like she had a computerized voice like there's a scene in Titans where um, Cyborg and like Starfire are like talking about Oracle and it's like why is Dick always talking to Oracle and why is Oracle so mad at you Corey. i don't know and then like cyborg's like do you think that oracle's actually a girl and then like Corey's like hmm because oracle would use that like computer avatar like face thing and like right. digitize her voice yeah. so so good job batman you know like First, blowing yeah well, i guess yeah, he blow, wasn't thinking blowing, about it in blow. terms of the blowing the secret identity i'll finish your statement for you i guess he wasn't thinking about it in terms of the dire situation that he was up against uh, my final right. one since he's been in there by want to wait till the end was just your thought on the role of lex in no man's land do you think that he worked well as sort of mm. a side villain i know michael bailey doesn't like that because he thinks that batman's stealing all of superman's good villains but i do like it because it says that like no man's name was greater than like it was a big thing in the dc universe I thought that that was a really cool cool way to end it. I think it makes sense. I think Mercy was used really well. And I love the scene where like, he's like, Mercy, kill him before he gets downstairs. And Batman just like kicks the door down. I can see arguments saying, like, well, wouldn't you want to use a Batman villain? But I personally think that like Lex works great in this story, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, and it's it's not like he was stolen from Superman. Like He's still a Superman villain, like, you know, primarily after this. I liked it. Um, one thing, whenever I reread this, I always get confused about like exactly the logistics of like what was going on with the discs and everything. I was like, wait, so why Batman steal the discs? And I guess it was like to draw Lex out because like he didn't actually need the discs. I was really, I, I was always confused about like why he needed the discs to reopen the Gotham because the discs seemed like unimportant, and it was basically just to give like these other characters side missions. Um, but I like that scene with Lex and like, and I love Lucius Fox. Like he knows that Lex is up to no good, but like, they're both like playing. He's like, Oh no, 
of course. I wouldn't imply that you did something wrong. He's like, yes, it must be one of my. Oh, look into this. Thanks for bringing this to my attention. Can I have a? Can I have this? Oh, of course you can. I have copies. <laughs> yeah, he's nobody's fool. He's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, any other final thoughts on Endgame and, of course, No Man's Land as a whole? I love Kissing the, last scene. the Huntress. What? I, I guess we talked about that a little bit in the um, ballistic romance thing. But, yeah, that was really weird reading that live when it came out. And it's still kind of weird now. But it's it's a good end to Huntress's story. It's kind of like her, like, action is her reward, you know? Uh, sure. <laughs> action is his Seriously. reward. Okay. Sure. Yeah, I, well, I mean, it's it's troubling, obviously, for a dick and bad shipper, as well as if you read Ballistic Romance, you're kind of wondering what's up with that. And he's always warned him. He warned himself in his own book to stay away from Huntress and romantically, and then we have that. She saved a bunch of babies. Sure. I mean, she didn't save the baby, but she, like, she helped him save the babies. I like the ending with uh, Gordon, because uh, he's, he's almost going to go back to her. And, you know, as cliched as it is to bring up Batman's origin, I do like the fact that the last scene is him at his parents' grave. Because it kind of just shows you, like, you know, like, oh, what's it all about kind of thing. So, like, I, I think that, like, it's a very perfect ending to the entire thing. So what would you give Endgame as a whole? I'll give it five out of ten bagels. No, it's, it's ten out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you and everyone that looks like you. <laughs> oh, my <God>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my heavens. Ten out of ten. Rest in peace, Sarah Essence. Yeah. You notice how many tens I've been saying this episode? It's, I mean, this is lot. no man's land. It's a lot. Yeah. I think I, I'll also give it a ten out of ten. I, I think you probably can't not, you know, wait. No. Yeah. You can't not give it ten out of ten. It's just, yeah, it's it's an emotional ride. Uh, things heat up on all all sides, you know, with Joker, with Pettit, uh, with Huntress, of course, with Sarah. It's emotionally, Huntress. it packs a punch. Uh, Action-wise, it's amazing. Art-wise, it's it's given uh, as well. So it, this is a great wrap-up to an overall wonderful uh, storyline. Absolutely. Okay. So, Josh, since you've not been on before, I, I do wonder whether you think No Man's Land as a whole could work without Barbara Gordon as a character. Find out next year on Gotham when Gotham does No Man's Land without Barbara Gordon. Unless, according to those promos, you know, Jim might be getting back with Barbara Keene. So maybe that will lead to a baby Barbara oh Gordon. But I gosh. don't think that she'll be doing Oracle stuff in No Man's Land. <laughs> As an infant. Give me my <laughs> bottle. <laughs> She's like, No Man's Land, day four. I learned how to crawl. Uh, anyway... It can, can it work without Barbara? Yes, but not like what? Well, like you lose a lot. You lose so much. Like Barbara's narration, Barbara as the emotional linchpin. Like, yeah, you can do a No Man's Land story without Barbara because there's so much to No Man's Land, but it won't be as effective, which I think was my same answer with Cataclysm, too, when you asked me this. Yeah, might be. So how does No Man's Land as a whole rank for you in terms of a Batman story? Where would it fall if you were to list your favorite Batman stories? Did you know? Did you know that it's my favorite? I actually don't know if I knew that about you. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's something that I've advertised or said a lot. It's my favorite Batman story. I love that it was like it took a year to tell, which, you know, I guess would fatigue me at any other time. But like, I love that, like. 
it was this whole thing in the Batman universe contained in Gotham. I love how it made Gotham into this kind of like Walking Dead type, you know, post-apocalyptic world, which was really done well in the early Bob Gale stuff, which is weird because I don't like Bob Gale's other comics that he did, like with Spider-Man. Yeah, no, this was a great story, a great human drama, and and I love rereading it every few years. Um, and I reread it again this summer and then uh, last week for the podcast, so – or last week, actually last night for the podcast oh while God. I was at work. I was like, <laughs> I know I've been so busy Between with work lately. So I was toasters. like, yeah, that was so weird. Donovan, a guy tried to light a cigarette with a toaster. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Because he didn't have a lighter. I mean, at least he was using his brain, I suppose, and thinking outside the box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, fans. Well, oh, Josh, I don't think I've ever asked you this. Are you team you have. or I have you have oh, and I gave you a hard time oh, I'm sure you have <laughs> I'm sure you did you do that with all things. and I was like and I was like you have to tell me the context and you're like no <laughs> you guys say what it is yeah, there's no like, context. I don't know it's just a question I don't know what I'm co-signing and that's like mm-hmm. asking you to vote for someone without like knowing like their platforms oh, like you know or something okay. like like would you vote for a president if you didn't know like which president stood for which issues hmm Oh, no. Well, there you go. Okay. I am voting third party then. I'm voting. Let's see. There's Team Raisin, Team Grape. I'm voting Team Almond. Oh, my Take that. Gosh, it's not even closely related. Next year we'll I have to. I think I voted to... Team Grape last time, just FYI, though. Okay. Next year I'll have better. to come up with a new one. Maybe it'll be Team Pancakes versus Team French Toast. Okay. You're still got to tell. You're still going to run into the same issue. <laughs> oh, I'll do a third That's one then for you. That's going to change the army. People are still going to say, like, what? Like, what? No, they just answer. I mean, it's fine. Okay, well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to review Batgirl 80, a.k.a. 28, and 81, a.k.a. 29. So two issues. Some weird shipping has been going on. Shipping as in, like, actual USPS shipping with uh, the Batgirl issues. So I've got two. Uh, but first, Zias's Radio Hour featuring Mona Lisa by Nat King Cole. Oh, cool. Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa, men have named you. You're so like the lady with the mystic smile. Is it only cause you're lonely they have blamed you? For that Mona Lisa strangeness in your smile. Do Smile to tempt a lover, Mona Lisa. Or is this your way to hide a broken heart? Many dreams have been brought to your doorstep, they just lie there. And they die there Are you warm? Are you real? Mona Lisa Are just a cold and lonely Lovely work 
To tempt the lover, Mona Lisa Or is this your way To hide a broken heart Many dreams Had been brought to your doorstep They just lie there And they die Are you warm? Are you real? Mona Lisa Are just a cold and lonely Lovely work of art Mona Lisa Well, welcome. No, get away. Well, welcome back. In the break, which happened to be about 32 hours, it was a 32-hour break, uh, I had a fun conversation with Donovan where we played What If One of Your Favorite Anime Slash Manga Manga Characters Met Batman, and we decided <laughs> that Batman could, in fact, be in the Uran host, wait, Uran High School Host Club continuity. Yep. I think it would work out. But he probably would not get along well with Lin Min May in Robotech. Aww. It's okay. Not many people can tolerate her anyways. So we <laughs> we just have two issues left. Like I said, there's been a weird shipping schedule, at least on my end, for uh, Batgirl. Yes, that's shipping. And then we have a special thing that's about to happen that you need to probably uh, gird your loins for, but I'll warn you before it happens. So first, I'm going to do both recaps for these issues, and we'll take it because it wraps up the story of the art of the crime. And then we'll, yeah, we'll talk about it. So first up is Batgirl 28, or as I like to say, Batgirl 80. Art of the Crime Part 3, Facade. Writer Margaret Scott, Penciler Paul Pelletier, Inker Norm Rapmund, and Colorist Jordi Belair. Picking up where the previous issue ended, Batgirl enters, re-enters the crime scene where she murdered the OG grotesque, as I call him. Wait, what? Detective Evans is there with some other GCPD officers demanding an explanation, and after a very weak one, Batgirl leg sweeps the lot of them and jumps out the window. She doesn't want to make any more enemies, and she knows the real threat is online, Dark Web and its agent Worm. Back at the apartment, a smart officer tells the detective that murder isn't standard for the Bat folks and that something seems up, but the detective dismisses him and says that they'll figure it out. After the officer leaves, Worm appears to speak with the detective and all is revealed. 
While the detective seems to despise Worm, he does in fact work for him, yet he threatens him all the same. Since the detective did such a good job with Batgirl, Worm gives him a treat in the way of a Spidey 2099 digital woman with whom Bear Bear seems rather close. Back with Batgirl, she has traveled far and fast on the rooftops and her body is feeling it, but Gordon's don't give up. She makes it back to her father's house and wisely changes clothing when she is greeted by her father like a scene out of a high school movie. He is rightly upset that she is putting a strain on her body when she needs to rest. Babs misconstrues his concern again and lets him know the pressure and importance she feels and only desire to not give up and make him proud. They both open up about what happened post the killing joke and have a nice father-daughter moment that alleviates the tension. On his way out, Jim says that he will be attending an art exhibit opening at the museum, which has since collected many pieces of art because people are afraid of having it in their homes. Jim hopes to get the GCPD more funding before the congressional race heats up. Is that a hint? Ooh. Yeah, I know. Babs tries to sleep but is unable to, thinking that the museum is a hot target for a grotesque. She goes to the clock tower to check the files that she got from the GCPD computer a couple issues ago and sees that Worm is all over the files and has interest in the museum. She looks through the art pieces grotesque stole and sees something that she imagined in her digital dream state. It seems her memory filled grotesque's lair with things that were important to her because the museum is important to her. If you recall, she and Jim went there a lot when they first moved. After trying to figure it out, Backer realizes that the things in the museum may be fakes, but the museum does not realize that they have fakes. Grotesque will attack the museum in order to cover up the thefts. She speeds off to the museum and quickly realizes that the intricacies of the plan mean it was orchestrated from the inside. Enter the detective. And then we have our final issue in this arc. It's 29, or as I like to say, 81. Art of the Crime Finale Diptych. Uh, same writer credits and everything, but it's Margaret Scott, Penciler Paul Peltier, Inker Norm Rapman, and colorist, the beautiful Jordi Belair. Batgirl goes straight to the art museum where the party is being held in order to help her father. Along the way, she finds a dumpster to hide behind while she changes into a dress, which hides the bottom half of her Batgirl costume. At the museum, she refuses to let security check her bag, which contains the rest of her suit, but she says it's filled with tampons. And as a woman, how many tampons do you really need in one bag? Her father escorts her away as Babs surveys the room, wondering how many have an implant connected to Worm. Babs runs into Detective Evan, a.k.a. Grotesque Redux, as we are now calling him, and he shows some concern for her and reticence, perhaps for the upcoming plan, but she's rather cold to him. She slips into the bathroom to change and pulls a fire alarm before finding the detective ready to digitize himself. She asks for his help to fight the dark web, but he says he is in control as he changes, and many cops throughout the museum change as well. The commish gets knocked out as Batgirl goes to fight many of these digital thugs. We learn that the detective became addicted to an AI girlfriend, home, and life. Wasn't that girl's name in 2099 Lyra, something like that, or Lyra, L-Y-R-A? Do you remember that? Miguel had that uh, little digital person. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it was something like that. I, I, I did not read a lot of 2099. Oh, okay. It just reminded me of that. So anyways, he's addicted to an AI girlfriend, home, and life that the rich had but didn't deserve. Batgirl takes some big hits but keeps on moving. Grotesque Redux orders the digital thugs to let the remaining people in the museum leave, but they don't listen. Batgirl again recites her mantra that Gordons don't give up as she knocks 
grotesque redux down. He realizes he is not in control and takes an inhibitor that Batgirl used before to take Worm down in the pages of Nightwing. He reverts back and the digital thugs come running as he covers Batgirl's approach to the bomb. She disarms it just as Worm appears, taunting Batgirl, killing Evan, and freeing all the others enslaved to the program. Later, Baz is with her father when he wakes up in the hospital, who takes the news hard that lives were lost and the department embarrassed themselves in front of the important people of Gotham. Babs decides to be open and tell her dad that she is also having a tough time with fear of the surgery and future. Three days later, they wheel Babs off to surgery and the FBI come to talk to Jim. Next, vote or die. That sounds like something that we were telling people across America on November 6th. Vote or die. P. Diddy said that back in the uh, 2004. Vote or die. He was screaming that around. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Okay. I'll never forget the massacre of the P. Diddy vote or die. All those people <laughs> oh. who didn't turn out to vote. All those dead Heavens. bodies. I'll never forget. I, okay. So as I've been trying to do, I wanted to bring art more into play into the fold as we do this so we've got two issues so i wondered what your favorite panels or pages were from either issue so we'll start with 28 don did you have a particular panel or page that you liked let's see as i'm going through because i really do love uh paul pelletier's artwork here what the He's making fun of me. I've got a oh, cold, was, and this guy, he doesn't pull his punches. He's got to keep I was, fun of me. I was very tired was yesterday, you. so I wasn't as like on with it, but like today I am. <laughs> I, th- I, thought, I thought someone was choking. I, I, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was, she's, she's, but he doesn't care. She's choking me again. Why? I, I like um because we're not counting the covers, right? The, the Middleton covers. Oh, you can mention covers, absolutely. Because the, the middle covers are like, wow. So like those are like definitely, like I think, the best artwork, but... That's not, that's not to do down Paul Pelletier's artwork, who I think, especially with number 29, is like the best I've seen him. I think he, he reminds me a, a little bit of like later day Tom Grummet, like when Tom Grummet was doing like um, the Jeff Johns T Titans and stuff. I really liked uh, the fight scene near the end of in issue 29 when uh, Batgirls, you know, says like for the thousandth time, Gordon's going, you're not control anymore. And she kind of has that like almost evil look on her face. But I also like um, just as a runner up, like when she's with her father in the hospital and there's a two panel sequence where she's smiling, then she's frowning. I think that looks really, really good. Um, so I, th- I thought no matter what I say with these issues, and I don't, I, don't, I don't have too much bad to say about these issues. I think that the artwork is some of the best that this title has seen in a long time. <laughs> I had some notes, but none of them were. It's funny because I thought that we were only doing favorite panel for No Man's Land and then they never asked. So I was like, oh, oh. And then I didn't even think to do fair panel for this Batgirl one. But um, I did like um, – is issue 28 the one where the variant cover is sort of like at the computer with like the glow? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, thought, I thought that that was a really, really good picture even though like it kind of illustrates just how that mask would not hide her identity. But I love that image of her. Um, and I don't even like that costume that much, but it, it makes it look good. I never want to ask about the costume. <laughs> I've been – yeah, I actually – that's one of my – points because I don't think I've talked about it with either of you before. But I've been making a point of buying the variants rather than the regular issues. So that certainly I mean Josh Middleton is is hitting out of the park. All of his covers have been really gorgeous. Some of them have been startling and and 
uh, macabre almost. I remember the one where it's almost like Day of the Dead style. Half her face is like that, and then half is a regular. But yeah, I I, I very much like the twenty eight. The twenty nine, I didn't get a variant. I don't know if there was an option for it. There is, yeah. There's there's a there's a variant for it. Um, it's oh, her, okay. Her in a picture holding like like a. It's her like holding the kind of you know. Um, the thing, like, like the, you know, Justice's blind statue. What's that? It's like the weights. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking oh, at, okay. and, and she has a sword. Oh man, I'm sorry, I missed that. It wasn't on my mail order comics thing. But on page four, I really like her swinging across the rooftops, and then, and then you see like in her flashbacks with um, the dark web and worm. You see those panels, but I just like her, her swinging across, and her. She's got battle damage, as I like to say. And then page 10, which was the same one that Dawn was talking about. I like when she removes her mask and sort of that look that she gives. And then in 29, the first page, when she's putting on her dress, the bottom part in the third panel, just the fact that you can see the scarring from the surgery, I thought, yeah, of course. Like, I didn't even think about that previously, but I just thought it was a very cool detail to put in there that, of course, she would have that. And, uh, yeah, I just applaud that, that sort of detail in the art. It's not sexualized at all. Oh, no, no, not at Yeah, and I just like that it's there. And it's interesting because, I mean, Babs isn't a, a superficial person, but I think scars to that extent often cause people to, you know, rethink certain things or, you know, in romantic relationships they might uh, step back a little bit. But we haven't dealt with that at all, and I, I don't know if that was ever a concern for her when she mm. first had the surgery or not. Uh, that'd be something to delve into potentially, but I guess we'll never know. There's a panel where you can kind of see her back in the, later the museum, and her hair and her backpack completely covered up a scar. Do you think she'd at all be self-conscious about it with Dick? Like if she were with him and they were engaged in some activities, do you think she'd be I think conscious? I think judging by like the issue we went over during No Man's Land, like the ballistic romance where she talks about right. her feelings of it, I think it, uh, and basically her never loving <laughs> being yeah. uh, having the use of her legs. I think that would make sense that she wouldn't she would not like the scar. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a, it's also a reminder too, and uh, so and and like Don said, you know we've seen. She doesn't advertise her insecurity about uh, the injury, but it's definitely there. When people like Dick kind of like get too close, it comes out. Absolutely. So, yeah, let's talk about the, the – we'll do easier stuff first. The, the new slash old costume, I don't know that I've talked about it with either of you because I think, Don, when you and I recorded, she still had her Burnside threads on because she had just done the transition from Burnside to Gotham. And I know I talked about it with Dustin. So what do you guys think? We'll start with you, Josh. What do you think about this new slash old or vintage costume? Okay, so this sentence is going to sound really messed up until I give context. So just just hold on for context for a second. Uh, from the neck down, it looks okay, and and not because like ooh she's sexy in her body, but I mean like I like the colors and I like the light of the costume. Like um, I was never crazy about Batgirls having a purple costume. Like I didn't love it with Stephanie, and I uh -huh. didn't love it with you know Barbara's last version. So like the colors for this are right. It looks like the classic costume. The um, only thing is, like, the mask, or it, honestly, the lack thereof a mask, it does look ridiculous. And now, granted, there's suspension of disbelief, because, like, Dick Grayson, you know, he wears, like, a really, really tiny mask sometimes in some versions of the story. Like, 
Like, yeah, he had like a mask that wrapped around his face like a raccoon in his early appearances. But then like there's other versions where it's just like a thing that's like pasted over his eyes. So on the one hand, like, yeah, that's not much different from Babs. But that thing, it doesn't even like cover her eyes that much. It's like if you were to paint your face. But yeah, there's suspension of disbelief in Superman's glasses, I guess. But it's just weird to have her face that exposed. So if she had a more traditional mask, I would be more about this costume. <laughs> but as of now, I'm I'm not. And there's no ears, which like, oh, wait, no, there is ears. Yeah, there are tiny ears in the top of her head. Yeah, they're, yeah it's, it just looks weird. Like, especially like ears without the mask. It's like, it's like those Halloween costumes that, that, that people wear. <laughs> that, that are like not licensed. Like when you go to like the Halloween store and it's like, be bat female and super lady and like it's <laughs> they're going as close as they can without being sued i agree with you josh that like um i was fine with it with stephanie's colors because she was used to be the spoiler and she was purple but i i never really liked purple on barbara because i honestly thought that okay there's definitely like you know a, an yvonne craig element that they're borrowing but it really felt going from stephanie to barbara just making it keep on being purple it felt dishonest and it, it didn't feel like barbara's character i was like this i i even with the with the uh, Burnside suit, which I like, I thought the purple thing was a real kind of cheap route to go. So I like the the classic, more traditional gray, blue, and yellow because that's Barbara Gordon. Like that, that that's her initial design. Uh, I guess her initial design was black and yellow, but whatever. And it, it definitely recalls Batgirl Year One. I like because I was looking at because we did uh, let's romance. I was kind of looking at the details of that old costume because it was a, the yellow and gray costume there, and you have like you know the little bat details on her boots and and her belt and stuff. I was like, oh yeah, so there's a real classic retro look to this um, in a good way, where you have like her gloves and her belt and her boots evoke kind of the bat symbol. And that's really cool without looking like dated or anything like that. So I think that like I agree that like um, the body of the suit is is perfect. I, I, she can wear this as long as she likes. But, and it's weird because the mask it it looks like Barbara Gordon essentially. And I was I think Robin is a good comparison because anyone who knows Dick Grayson should see that that's Dick Grayson. I was also thinking of Huntress because Huntress has a similar kind of approach to her mask. And then I actually have a tab with her all of her costumes. Her mask has always been larger than what Barbara's wearing. Like, it kind of covers up more of her face than just her eyes. And she's had, like, kind of the bat ears every now and then. So I think that Hunter's tradition has a better-looking mask. But it is the sort of tension between a domino mask covering up your whole face and, like, her very characteristic uh, red hair. And I think sometimes Barbara's drawn to have freckles. It's, like, it's good that, like, Gordon was knocked out in this issue because... It's impossible to suspend your disbelief and say that, like, oh, he would never know that she's Batgirl. And I think by this point, the writers aren't necessarily playing him as, as being stupid. Like, I think it's kind of coy where he might know, but he's not said anything. If Barbara Gordon is any bit famous, then this would be hard to swallow. And I think that um, it's not a bad design. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a bad, ugly-looking costume. It, it evokes, like, the thrill killer look she had. But mm. it's obviously Barbara Gordon and... Maybe it's because Barbara Gordon's never had this less of a mask before that you can't help but 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 ask questions about that. Overall, I, I like the costume. I just think that like um, the mask is really distracting because it's like, well, that's Barbara Gordon. Other than that, it's it's a fine suit, and I think it's um, it's probably my favorite design they've she's had since 2011. In terms of, it's, it's probably my, my, in terms of like a uh, Batgirl designs and for Barbara Gordon, it's one of the better ones. It's probably like in my top five or whatever. 
remember, Jim ain't nobody's fool. So once, you know, I just want them to have a a serious conversation. And we've not really seen that since, you know, post No Man's Land, uh, I think. So it would be great to see it in this continuity, in this rebirth, New 52 merge continuity. There was, it was around Infinite Crisis, maybe a little bit before, where um, he like brings her, she brings him to the clock tower and like reveals that she's Oracle and also that she was Batgirl. And he's like, oh, I already knew about Batgirl, but this Oracle thing is like a big surprise. That bothered me because it was like Gordon finding out for the first time, like again, because it was, it's always been inconsistent since like Crisis and Zero Hour. Like if he knew, when he knew, and when he found out, because sometimes like he's fully aware of it and other times he's not. And other times she knows that he knows and other times she doesn't. It's It's just really weird, but. I mean, I like the idea that, like, yeah, he knows and he's purposely not saying anything because if he acknowledges it, it just creates a whole mess of problems. Here's a question for you, too, that that kind of connects to uh, our No Man's Land discussion again. And I remember Josh kind of talking about this a little bit, but darn it, rises. what are your thoughts on Commissioner Gordon knowing who the Bat family are? Because I guess that, like, he eventually knew in the anime series, but they never talked about it. And sometimes, like, I know, I know the, the Batman manga from the 60s, he knows. So, um, like, do you think he should not know? Do you think it would be good for him to know? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's I think I like the idea where, like, he knows, but he's not acknowledging that he knows. And the reader, like, kind of like with Robbie Robertson, where, like, there's enough there that you can say, oh, he knows. But there's nothing definitive that if you were to argue it in, like, a court of law, like, there'd still be a reasonable doubt that maybe Gordon doesn't know. And if he acknowledges it, it just puts him in a whole ethic group of problems. That being said. I don't have a problem with like stories like Dark Knight uh, Returns and stuff like that, where like it's the future and he knows or something like that. It doesn't ruin it for me, but I don't know. There, there's just a part of me that likes to keep things in certain places, and uh, you can't trust a homeless cop with that type of information. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in Gotham, when have Stella to said he, when Stella said like you know, oh, James Gordon's no fool, and I was like, you sure about that, Stella? You're really sure? <laughs> well, I guess it depends on what continuity, what era, what genre, what media incarnation of Jim you're talking about. <laughs> I I think, you know, it'd be fine for him to. I, I, you know, of all the people who's the most trustworthy, it would definitely be him. I think it would make him extremely uncomfortable and would put him in a bad position, though, especially if anything happened where Batman really is on the wrong side of the law. Then Jim, I think it, it is in a really tough corner. And just think about Over the Edge, you know, and, and how that yeah. – the episode and how that all went down so it's probably for the best that he doesn't know but again i'll say that jim gordon ain't no fool so i really feel <coughs> so i really feel like yeah thank you so I, I feel the support you know ninth anniversary ninth time that you guys are on here and that's what i get and josh wonders why i don't invite him on my show more often so anyways i feel like i'm just kidding by the way i'm just kidding <laughs> I, I lost my train of thought now, but I think of I think she he would know who Babs is, and I think even Bruce. It just felt like in the garden that he probably already knew. He just doesn't want to know know for sure. So he would just like to stick with that sneaking suspicion rather than know for sure. I think after Jason Todd died, he probably there was evidence for him to not really ignore. He just chose to. It's, it's like I think after that point, when you look at Jason's funeral, and it's just. 
him and Barbara and Alfred and Bruce, it's like, okay, this kid was Robin, he's Batman. But like he knew by that point, either he arrests Batman for child endangerment or he continues to let him do what he does and he just doesn't talk about it. Well, it's funny too because like he even says – I'm trying to remember. There's like an issue where like Gordon says, I don't remember if this was after the run ended, like if this was during the run or if this was in turning points or something where he says, I'm sorry about your son. And then Batman says he wasn't my son. And like Gordon says to hell, he wasn't. And it's like, okay, well, no one knows that Robin died. So like he's got to be talking about Jason there. Yeah. Well, since we're getting to some father's son, this is a nice transition. A lot of the interactions between this uh in within the storyline is between babs and jim and some of them are positive interactions and some of them are not and and it's almost as if you know they're getting used to living in each other's space again and and but they're also going through and really examining and being open about events that have got them here you know tragic events so what do you think about all these interactions between the two and just the the father daughter dynamics that we see uh, you know especially in these two issues but throughout the whole story what's the most we've gotten between jim and barbara since that dreaded batgirl wanted storyline from a few years ago that like i that left me had me quitting the book and I hated it in the last issue where Barbara's like, you know, you're just ashamed of me being paralyzed. And I don't know why she said that because they're both grown adults and they both know that, that, that that's impossible for him to think about uh, in that way. But here, I like the fact that she comes home and, and it's like, you know, they're very much the Batman, the Batgirl, you're one. Where were you? But it ends up being more positive. It's not just a yelling match and they walk away. And um, I like how proud of it, proud of her she is. He is of her. Where like they're at the museum and, and he's like, you know, oh, she's my little girl and Gordon's don't give up, which they say like a thousand times in every issue. I, I think it, it feels like the comics have kind of coasted upon us presuming that this is their relationship. But but here Margaret Scott's actually showing us this and, and I, I, I like it ultimately. I think that I think it's a really nice uh, portrayal of it. I liked it because it made me think of their relationship in a different way where um at first I was like rolling my eyes like okay she's a grown woman stop being like and where are you at this hour but when he like kind of breaks down a little more and he's like look like it's just the two of us we're all that each other has left like we gotta you know like stick together and like get through this because it did make me think about this continuity version of the gordon family because you know uh, uh james jr became a psycho killer and barbara Keane like abandoned the family multiple times so yeah, it is just like they're each other's like only family, more or less. So that 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 did make me think about that. And it's it's touching. And I'm glad that we're playing with the relationship. I'm glad that it was, you know, Dustin worked out and, and, and had really great thoughts about what that interaction was in 27. But it was still hard to watch. And it seemed like where where is this coming from? Why is she coming at him like this? When clearly that's not what Jim Gordon would mean. But this one, even though there are some tough conversations, I feel like it's more even and it seems more realistic of, of what the two would be discussing. And I just like seeing the flashbacks along with her narration of really trying to live up to, you know, his expectations and, and wanting him to be proud of her. And of course he's proud of her because that's what I always felt like was the reason she became Batgirl because I know that there are conflicting reports on whether it was Batman or if it was Jim Gordon. But in my mind, I think it's always Jim Gordon because of this relationship and, and she very much looks up to him and, and wants to 
do something that he does, but in a different way and and, in her own capacities. So to have them go through this tough conversation, I think was great. And and getting to see, you know, we've revisited the killing joke numerous times, but I think perhaps this added a more emotional and personal angle and, and got to have these two talk about it because you have Jim and Batman talk about it. You have Batman and Babs talk about it. I don't know. I mean, Josh could uh, bat-splain me and correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, I feel like Babs and, and Jim haven't really sussed that, that sort of thing out in, in the repercussions of that. And then at the very end where he's in his hospital bed and, and he's feeling like he let people down and she opens up because she's been this, you know, Gordon's don't give up and trying to be more positive and, and joking around and things. But she finally opens up and says that she's fearful of the surgery, obviously, and, and what's to come. And, and I think that's a very human moment. And she's, you know, finally laid it out there. So I think really beautiful interactions. I'm glad that a lot of this storyline, a great percentage was taken up with these two, because I think they're one of the best relationships that DC Comics has going for them. And DC Comics, I think, has made poor decisions and not showing it. And, you know, her being in Burnside, I think, is great, making it out on her own. But one thing that you leave behind is her relationship with her father. So I very much enjoyed these. And I think, you know, for the most part, Margaret Scott uh, really worked well with them. So we have this um, grotesque who turned out to not be the OG grotesque but grotesque redux as we wrapped up his arc what did you think about him as a villain and if you could clue me in when exactly did barbara put the pieces together that he was the villain was it just from the files because it just seems like all of a sudden she was doing the research worm was all over the files and then she comes to the museum and she knows she's on to him right away so if you know about that but yeah what what do you think about this guy as the first villain in Margaret Scott's run I'm I'm not liking it it's this is a this is like this really weird thing like with the tech stuff and it possessing you and I don't know it's it's a bit too out there and high concept and maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention or receptive enough to it but i prefer like a straight-up villain rather than this oh well he's working with this wormhole thing from the dark web and he can turn other people into this thing and he's like also possessed i like uh the continuation from the nightwing uh issues where you have one villain kind of cross over and she was there and then like he kind of follows her into her book i think it's kind of cool and i remember dc did that more often and like in like nineties era books, like oh you know this guy I just got done tangling this guy now he's now he's over here but like um I'm of two minds um I was really turned off when I first saw grotesque back in this book because uh, I remember the first couple of issues it just felt like Margaret Scott was just doing a cover a cover performance of Gail Simone stuff and I think that like um the story has been turned around a lot more where it's been just a lot more of a kind of wholesome comic book than like just like just like the kind of the grunge era of the, of the Simone run. I don't really care about this villain or whatever. And I don't really, it's been a long time since I've cared about any of the, the Batgirl villains, but I think that like it's been, it's a suitable villain. It's fine. It's not like offensive, but at the same time, it, it doesn't really feel too personal. Like, oh no, it was, it was the cop was involved in like, whatever, because it, it's, it's almost as like, if, if there's a new guy in a Batgirl comic book, either he's a love interest or he's like, you know, revealed to be a villain. It feels like that happens without fail all the time. So, I wasn't really emotionally invested in that. It was just somebody for her to kick. It was a suitable antagonist, uh, I suppose, but like, I don't know. And I don't really, I don't know if I really paid much attention to figure out, oh, it's not the real one. It's, it's this new usurped identity. 
um, with Worm and stuff like that. I, I don't know if I was personally invested enough to make much of a have a much of a reaction towards. So uh, that would be your talking point, Stella. I don't think it's necessarily one I can really provide. Oh, okay. I I always liked how you say, you know, I'm not offended by it because I always think like offended is like the worst you can get. So, you know, you just go to the very bottom. Well, you know, it's it's uh, a little bit. I'm easily offended. offended. Yeah, the the, I would agree with you. Thank you. The I would agree with you that, you know, it's weird is that when I edit this, I'm going to edit out mine, but it's going to be weird and out of context when you do your weird thing. (laughs) you're embarrassing yourself i have a cold people you should be sympathetic to me that i've podcasting for 32 hours 35 hours the i agree with you that's a bit of a cover it's a cover you know like a cover album for gail simone but i think that I had all these concerns going in and all of these, I think, traps that Margaret Scott could have fallen into and she avoided them. So I'm very happy with that, you know, especially when at the end of the previous issue, oh, no, Batgirl's in trouble with the cops again. And so that could have been a hole that she would have fallen down that we've seen before her being in that. And so that had been avoided. There was even a cop that was smart and saying, oh, this seems a little weird. It's not the Bat family MO. I like how grotesque it wasn't grotesque it was somebody different uh still sort of trying to work out his his motives though that sort of seemed to have been pieced together a a little too quickly just the fact that he i guess got addicted to the digital world and the only way to keep that up was to get in league with worm but then the art connection which i guess is but that's more real world than digital world so i just sort of wonder about it but i guess if you think about it he just likes the finer things in life he feels like he deserves them and rich people don't and he yeah he does what he can but it you know he turns around in the end so there's that redemption for the villain which you know some people like to see but with worm and the dark web i'm partially on the side of josh and partially on the side of don i think we've had so many digital things already with babs i mean her chip has gotten messed up so many times since uh the burnside run began but at the same time you know babs was oracle and so her life is very much tied in with the digital world and i did like that nightwing arc i thought that was a well done arc so it does make sense but i hope we don't just leave worm where he is and then he pops up and we're able to wrap that up because right now it's just this really obvious loose end so grotesque is not he is not my favorite you know any villain that comes back from the gil simone run i'm automatically it's like a knee-jerk reaction that i'm not gonna like it but margaret scott i think was able to turn it around and and make it palatable for me how about that rather than not offensive so i I think there's just more depth potentially that could have been added to his character to sort of suss out what exactly he was doing you know in the digital world and how he got that started and and things like that but well you know i don't have too many uh other things except i would say what did you think of Margaret Scott's whole arc and, you know, her first time out on a Batgirl book? Do you feel like she's got the character's voice down overall? Do you think – are you looking forward to more issues by Margaret Scott? I think I think when it comes to Barbara Gordon as a character, I don't know if many writers feel that they, they have her voice except for, like, Chuck Dixon. 
Like, cause, and that's really kind of the, the kind of honestly, that goes the same with the Dick Grease and Tim Drake. Like, it's almost not those characters if they're not that kind of sardonic uh, kind of voice that he gave for those characters. So, but at the same time, so that's kind of a handicap. I mentioned before, but like, I I saw Margaret Scott at San Diego Comic Con, and I actually tried to get an interview with her, and she seemed really enthusiastic about it. Like, she seemed like she was really happy to be on this book um, in ways which I don't think I, I, I that emanated from Hope Larson, uh, for example. So like I was willing to kind of give her a benefit of doubt, and I and I her first couple of kind of you know kind of lean in issues like the story with her and Nightwing and kind of following up that Batman issue, I didn't like her annual with the James Junior, and I didn't just like her just like making the Gail Simone run again. But honestly, this story kind of turned around for me. It you know kind of started out violent and stuff, and I was like, okay, well here we go, more dealing around with her you know her injury and stuff. I liked kind of just turn out to be a basic background story. It was very simple. It wasn't overly complicated. Um, I thought the artwork was solid. I didn't necessarily think that we need this constant refrain of Gordon's don't give up because it's almost like she was trying to make that into like a hashtag or something like that. And it felt like I don't think that like that that like uh, we just it felt like we're trying to make this character constantly you know. No, really, there is a reason why you should like her and why she should be Batgirl, and I feel that like constantly trying to convince us of that. It didn't tip me off either, and I think that like uh, it was a it was a decent beginning. Um, so I, I don't I don't know if I have, I have any complaints. I have personal issues, but that's not really uh, a knock on her writing style. So I thought it was a pretty solid arc overall. I I, I, I like where this is going, and I hope that like uh, Paul Pelletier stays on the book. I really like his style. I thought that the whole Batgirl is wanted for murder again thing. Like I feel like it's not that long ago that we just did that. So. It doesn't look like they're dwelling on it. I did have a note. Did did Barbara steal that dress? No, because she, no, I think it's her. No, she, was, what, she just had it in her. She back. um she did take it, but like she left money on on the on like the window, like uh. Oh. Oh, okay, I, I must have. I didn't that. in the beginning. Uh, I didn't see the money. Okay, in 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 like the in like page like two, uh, where where Gordon says, "Oh, I don't recognize the dress. Is it new?" And she's like, "Just new to you." You see, like it's missing from a mannequin, but there's money left. Oh, I, wow, I, I, I saw the missing that. from the mannequin, but I didn't see the money. So I was like, she steal that dress. Like, <laughs> no, she didn't. <laughs> well, I mean, if Catwoman's allowed to steal dresses, you know, like, uh, remember that bride? It's like Batman, she Batman and Mirror One. Batman, I borrowed, like, I think black underwear and, like, left money for it or something like that. Oh, yeah, underwear? It, I forget what it was, but he, he borrowed something and, like, and, like, and Gordon was following up on like investigating back. He's like, "Oh, it's uh, someone got a body suit and left money for it, or something like that." Oh gosh! <laughs> and then there's a I, I love I love how like instead of saying that the Birds of Prey broke up, she's like, "We're on hiatus," because like even she knows that like, "Oh, there'll be another Birds of Prey book sooner or later." But then she's like, "It's the good thing I didn't sell the clock tower." And I was like, "So does she own the clock tower in this continuity, or like what's?" And then if she owns it, then like. Why is she so broke? She owns real estate, especially like a very, very big piece of real estate. Like I remember at the beginning of the Burnside run, like her not having money was like one of the plot points. She had like a negative balance in her account. She was getting email notifications about it. I'm not, I'm, 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 like not, pro- I'm not crying to make plot hole or anything. I'm just like because it's a very petty thing to cry plot hole about. But I'm, I am wondering like what the status is of like the ownership of this building. And if she owns it, then – why not use it? And and how did she buy it then? What was Barbara Gordon's occupation during the daytime when she was Oracle? Like like pre uh, like during post crisis? Like what was her day job? She she had a cover that she was a travel agent because I remember if people called the number, she <laughs> would say like so and so travel, and then like I think like Kevin was like, hey, you're that voice I heard during Contagion. 
Gawad. And remember, she's filtering money from Blockbuster. So that's where she gets her funding. But this was a... The money issue, I don't think she's broke anymore because Dustin and I had this argument about the surgery. you like, it's no big deal that she's going to have this expensive surgery again. <laughs> Obamacare. On a cost budget. <laughs> and that, oh, okay. And then, um, I don't know what I think about I might have to bleep that out. I, uh, bleep out Obamacare? <laughs> He's not a curse. <laughs> no, but then it's a political, it's a political thing. I try to keep neutral. But it's, it, it's a thing that exists. Like, I'm not saying Obamacare good or Obamacare bad. I'm saying, like, <laughs> Obamacare. Well, does Obama is, exist in the DC universe? I, I'm sure Bruce Wayne foot, foots the bill. He That's does true. exist in the DC yeah, universe. Either he, he, captured, about, yeah. he captured Superman's friends and tortured them. Like, Let's not get into that. That was that was that was. That was like weird. Weird. Barack Obama captured Superman's friends and tortured. Yeah, him. like in in the right before Rebirth, when like Superman like shaved his like head and like was riding around on a motorcycle, like very badly like, written. Yeah, like and like cursing and like be, being mad at everyone, like. The the President Obama like captured his friends. He even like <laughs> exhumed the Kent's graves, from what I recall. Like <laughs> you remember this, right, Don? Like I do, I do. I like read this and I was like, why is Obama doing this? Like <laughs> Why indeed, President Obama. I don't think Michelle would get, would let him get away. It was probably Michelle's idea remember- for her get move campaign. Oh my! I think that probably she's also ha- she's got a bigger bank account due to Gordon Clean Energy. Even though she doesn't run the day to day, she's still the founder. She doesn't do any of the work, but she gets the money from it. <laughs> yeah, well, Alicia is doing all the work, but uh, yeah, just to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. You know this. I think this arc turned out better than I thought. I went in with a lot of fear and trepidation, mm-hmm. mainly because grotesque, and I heard the tone was going to be a little bit darker. Well, I didn't hear that. I heard it was going to be the same tone as Gail Simone's. So that concerned me. The tone was still a little bit darker. You saw more, I think, violent scenes than you're used to, but it could have been worse. So I think overall it turned out okay. I think something that I've noticed about Margaret Scott is she really likes to use narration boxes so she very much likes to more i think be inside of barbara's head than have barbara speak out loud which i think is is interesting i'll I'll look to see how this trend continues but overall you know i i think that she did or has done is doing an admirable job and you know there are some hiccups not everything can be perfect but it's yeah i i think it's much better than i thought it was going to be so thank you margaret scott you really like it much more than um like the first arc with hope larson when she was like in, in korea and japan and stuff oh man yeah that's a question i think you asked me that before i feel like it's i think it's more even i think it's Barbara herself is more even-tempered. I think it's more consistent, whereas everything I was reading was like, what's happening here? What are you doing, Barbara Gordon? So I feel like character-wise, it seems a little more in character than that one does. Okay. I would agree. Would you yeah. agree? Okay. Yeah. I. Oh, man. That one. <laughs> I, I, I thought um, it was funny how mad you got at that one, though. I didn't like it either, but you were upset. Yeah. Probably, I tried. Well, I brought in that whole thing of like, here, without, uh, you know, I'm going to list off problems, but I'll also tell you how to fix it. So that was when I instituted that thing. Well, what would you give 28 out of how, uh, out of 10 bats? So just the first issue, what would you give that one that we're doing here? I would give 28. I thought this issue was all right. Um, the scene between her, her and her father was solid. The artwork is good. 
I like twenty eight nine better. I'll give it, I'll get twenty eight as seven. Seven out of ten batterings. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'll go with Don. Seven out of ten batterings. It wasn't offensive. Oh my gosh, was it offensive? Well, it was. Uh, I think I. W- yeah, well, that's not saying much, to be honest. I would give it, let's see, 28. I think I'm going to give it an 8. 8 out of 10 bats. What about 29? That I would give an 8. Like I remember when I first read it like on my own before we scheduled this, this episode, and I was like, I actually really like that issue. Which is a, It's been a while since I thought about that. Like, uh, artwork was solid. I thought the fighting was solid. I thought the, I thought her and Gordon were like pitch, pitch perfect. Decent ending, just little touches. I thought, you know, that's a good comic book. So I, I would give this a solid eight, and probably like the highest I've given a Batgirl comic in a little while. Okay. What about you, Josh? What's your grade? Oh, I thought I thought I, thought <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Grade. What's he doing? I thought I gave it for, the grade. for part I'm sorry. two. Oh, okay. Um, for part two. Yeah, still, still seven two. out of ten. Like it's the only reason why the grade is as high as it is because like i'm not into the grotesque stuff but i like the gordon family conversations and um gordon. and i'm in and i'm intrigued by him being investigated by the fbi like for all of his high crimes and misdemeanors that he's done she has a um a, uh like a parachute or a backpack on her on in the back of her suit what do you think about that are you talking to me or Josh? yeah and not uh, in like, 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 like all the time she this. has it. I, I, I didn't notice that. There's, you can see like whatever yeah. her cape yeah, is up, she always... has like like this like thing in her back. Like they kinda, I guess it holds up her symbol or something. It connects to the. She's sort of got what are those called that you put to your your pants that hold them up, which you probably need. Josh. Oh what? Yes, thank you. Suspenders. <laughs> Good idea, actually. My pants are okay. Are you even wearing your <laughs> pants right now? I think it's very clear that I'm not. <laughs> you know, Don. So much for the sanctity of this anniversary episode. Put peaches. Don, I always think about you now when, um, <laughs> you know, when I feel. <laughs> how angry I <laughs> You were in love. Do you remember? Do you remember you said when I feel. The naked breeze of nakedness. I pull my pants up. Yeah, because it's like what, what sensation <laughs> of, of your your tears when your when your when your pants aren't on. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> oh man, Josh! Just know that Don and I talked about your peach, perhaps more than was appropriate at Kevin's wedding. Why did okay. you tell him? That? <laughs> I still want to know what that picture was about that I found like five years ago, and you're like, "You will see." <laughs> oh man, yeah, you'll see, you'll see. I like the backpack. Getting back to that sort of thing, I like the backpack mainly because it came in handy here. She was able to put her stuff in it and then use it as an actual backpack, so it worked out. It reminds me of the little web bag that one of the Spider-Man action figures had from the 1990s series and you could put oh yeah well yeah he, he does it every now and then he has a little web pouch well that's that's also in the video game right mm-hmm. he has like web pouches and stuff yeah you have to go find his little backpacks that he's forgotten about i'm gonna give 29 i think also an eight so i think overall you know this was a, a good first start for margaret scott so i'm looking forward to see what happens what do we Positivity. think the, what do we think the fbi wants with gordon <laughs> they've seen gotham <laughs> Sure. <laughs> they like torture him for hours like i told you that wasn't me that's an actor that plays me on tv uh-huh tell us who killed galavan <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe they saw a batgirl and it's obviously barbara gordon and they're like you know that woman who's in surgery right oh, now gosh. okay 
you know that that's obviously back. Barbara Gordon is Batgirl, and you're the police. Of the, of the, you're the commissioner of police, so you're both going to. <laughs> so, so he covers it up by saying she's not Batgirl. I'm Batgirl. <laughs> How do you hide your mustache? <laughs> Oh my God. CGI, just like Henry Cavill. <laughs> hey, don't make fun of me. I also started Mission Impossible. <laughs> okay. Next up is Chris's cornucopia of curiosities. Uh, that's like getting the present you wanted, but didn't know you needed for the holidays and being a part of this wonderful anniversary show. Thank you very much, Stella. Happy anniversary and congratulations. Hello, bad fans. Welcome once again to the Chris's Cornucopia of Curiosity segment. Thank you very much, listeners, for downloading. And as always, thank you for not fast-forwarding. My name is Chris, and I am very glad to be with you. Today, I'm looking at Batman Adventures number 13, Archie meets Batman 66 number 5, and in Nightwatch, Nightwing numbers 53 and 54. If you're keeping score at home, I won't be reviewing Batman Adventures number 12, in this episode, as I covered it back in episode number 147 of this podcast. Batman Adventures number 13 was cover dated October 1993 and had a cover price of $1.25. Our story is entitled Last Tango in Paris, and our writer is Kelly Puckett. It was penciled by Mike Parabek. Rick Burchett was the inker, and Rick Taylor was the colorist. The Batman was created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. This story was reprinted in Batman The Collected Adventures Volume 2, which was released in 1994, and The Batman Adventures Volume 1, which was released in 2015. This does appear to be available on Comixology. Act 1. Old Flame. A riotous suspect at GCPD HQ sends Batman to an apartment address to investigate. Once there, examining the past occurrence of events, Batman pieces together an aftermath of a fight and interrogation. He finds and checks out a wall safe and gets a name, the location of a rendezvous point, and a time. Abdul, Gotham Courthouse at 3 a.m. There, Batman finds Talia and her minions interrogating a man. Batman and the minions fight, and Batman makes quick work of them. Talia explains she's in Gotham because one of her father's employees stole a statue from her father, Ra's al Ghul. The thief had two accomplices. Both we have already seen. One at the police headquarters, and one that Talia had just let go. Talia says she's leaving Gotham. She knows that Batman will follow her, so she suggests that they travel together. Act 2. Paris is Burning. In a Paris hotel room, Bruce relays a message to Alfred that he's staying close to Talia until she plays her hand. Talia arrives at his hotel room, and from there, Bruce and Talia take in the Paris sights, including the Arc de Triomphe. That night, Batman and Talia surveil the remote house of Hassan, the thief who took the statue. Batman storms to the house, but he is met by several guns pointing at him. Smash cut to Batman and Talia tied back-to-back with Hassan's henchmen pouring gasoline on the floor and Hassan dropping a match. Act 3, where there's smoke. Outside the house, Hassan instructs his men to shoot Batman and Talia should they escape. Inside, amid flames, Talia and Batman are free. Talia asks Batman when he turned down Rachel Gull's offer for Batman to marry her and take Rash's place. Was it because he hated his work, or did he find her? Uh, but before she can finish, Batman and Talia kiss. Batman shoots his repel gun from outside the house. It recoils, and he punches a rifleman. Batman fights and beats up the men, and Talia shoots out the tire of a fleeing car. Talia retrieves the statue, but Batman knows there's more to it than that. Talia reveals the statue had hidden microfilm in it that would damage her father's operations, and she regrets she should have told him sooner. Batman says he was played as a patsy. Talia starts to cry and says, well, if she had told him, they would not have had Paris. Talia drops the statue and walks away, as Batman says nothing and stands motionless as the house fire dies. The end. The cover of this issue depicts Batman kissing Talia as the pair are surrounded by flames. And when this issue initially came out, I wasn't sure who Batman was kissing. 
to me it just looked like a woman with brown hair. Half of Talia's face is obstructed by Batman's, and it just didn't register with me. The title of the story, Last Tango in Paris, is also the title of a 1972 erotic drama film that starred Marlon Brando. One of the strong suits of this story is how it moves along with no dialogue or captions, especially when Batman is investigating the apartment and when Bruce and Talia are walking through Paris and Batman standing in silence in the final three panels with the stages of the house fire dying down to show the reader the passage of time. The scene where Batman bursts through the house is also really, really quite powerful. If you're a Talia and Batman shipper, this is right up your alley. I prefer Catwoman with my Batman, however. Still, this was a very well-crafted story, showing just how powerful it can be done with just art alone, with no words. I did have a slight quibble with Talia's capture taking place in off-panel land, so that drops my score from 9 to 8.5 out of 10 bats for Batman Adventures number 13. Next up... Archie meets Batman 66, number 5, and the chapter entitled To Fight Another Day. For a creative team, we had a story by Jeff Parker and Michael Morrissey, pencils by Dan Parent, inks by Jay Bone. The main cover was done by Michael and Laura Allred. There were varying covers by Laura Braga, Bill Galvan with J.J. Harrison, Jamal Igle, Pat and Tim Kennedy with Bob Smith and Rosario Tina Pena, and Corey Smith with Rosario Tina Pena. At the Riverdale Country Club, Bruce Wayne changes into Batman after seeing Jughead's makeshift bat signal. And once outside, he meets Archie and the gang. Veronica rides shotgun in the Batmobile, while the rest of the gang travel by car to Joker's Lair, where they free Batgirl, Robin, and Jughead from the toy monkey clanging torture. They also find the villain's plans to put up a tower to use mind control on the adults of Riverdale, and they also free a captured Dilton Doily. Upon leaving, our heroes find themselves surrounded by the villains, and adults and parents alike, under the villains' mind control, which backs the heroes and the Archie gang to a nearby lake. Batman uses the Bat Radio to call Alfred to bring the Bat Boat to Batman's location. Batman then tells Robin, Batgirl, and the Archie gang to retreat to the Bat Boat, but then Batman is suddenly captured by the villains while the rest of the gang leaves by Bat Boat, to be concluded. Huh. For the penultimate issue, I had hoped for something more of a cliffhanger, perhaps something involving not just Batman and perhaps Archie as well. I guess a death trap was too much to ask for, since this is an Archie publication. Though one of the variant covers done by Jamal Eigel depicts a death trap a bit more exciting than the one depicted in this story chapter. I just don't see our heroes, even with Robin and Batgirl in a supposed weakened state, retreating from a fight. They usually battle to the end and don't run from a scrape. That's not the terrific trio I know, and that really took me out of the story. Siren seemed absent in this chapter, and while I've given a pass to some story elements in this series, I'm just not sure how the Batboat in Gotham got to Riverdale Lake so fast. The artwork was good, and it was nice to see Archie and the gang in some groovy clothes at the time. While this series has been a fun ride, most Penaptal chapters tend to be at the peak of, of the series, and... For me, this one kind of nosedived. This was, at best, to me, just average. And I'm giving Archie Meets Batman 66, number 5, an average score of 5 out of 10 bats. Finally, everyone's favorite segment within a segment, Nightwatch, where I look at the Nightwing title from a shipper's lens. In Nightwing number 53, Dick, er, excuse me, Rick Grayson has a lunch date on a park bench with bar owner B. And in Nightwing number 54, B and Rick share a kiss. Oh, ho, ho. bit of a soul-crushing moment for the Babs and Dick's shippers out there, including myself. Ouch. 
I'm really trying, but I am just not overly fond of the direction of the Nightwing title at this moment. Rick continually reminds the reader he's glad he's not Nightwing to the point where it hits me over the head, where it hurts. Yet whenever he finds some unconscious skill that he has, he likes it, like being able to escape from handcuffs inexplicably. Further, the new Nightwing, a cop who stumbles on one of Nightwing's old bunkers with his costume, has yet to make an impression on me where I feel vested. The title is trying. Even now with giving the reader the new Nightwing's thought captions with the Nightwing logo. So if you are a fan of Rick and B, these issues have a mild, repeat mild, shipper alert. This concludes this edition of Nightwatch. Listeners, be sure to check out Stella on the Required Reading Podcast. I'd like to give a shout-out to the Sutherlands. Be sure to check out Warlord Worlds, Tricker Talk, Xenozoic Xenophiles, Sensational Sleuths, Fantastic Fantasies, and Convention Correspondence Podcasts. Hey, listeners, you can find me on Twitter at BTO on BatBooks, BTO as in Batgirl to Oracle, and BatBooks as in BatBooks for Beginners, another podcast that can I can be found on that I co-host with Jerry Green. That's where we examine and review trade paperbacks and collected material of Batman and related characters. You can also find Jerry Green and myself talking about new independent comics and whatnot on the Professor Frenzy Show. Please try that podcast. Please feel free to leave any comments for myself on this segment or for the podcast episode itself on the TBU website, and consider please leaving us a good review over on iTunes. If you'd like to lend your support to the Batman Universe website that has news, articles, editorials, and a fine family of podcasts, you can make a donation on Patreon, or a one-time donation by PayPal by following the links on the Batman Universe website homepage. Thank you very much for your support. If anyone out there wants to contact me directly, I can be reached by email at bruce.wayne at gothamcity.us. And again, thank you for your support. Hey, happy holidays and best wishes for a great 2019. Thank you very much, listeners. I really appreciate it. What villain holds a bank hostage and can Robin save the day when he's flying solo? What plans does Catwoman, Joker, Penguin, and the Riddler have for the captured Batman in Riverdale? What plans does Stella have for the next podcast? And what will its running time be? Don't fail to listen to the next podcast where the answers to these nefarious, nagging, neurotic, neoclassical, nearsighted newsworthies will be netted and naked next time. Same Batstella feed, same Batstella sight. Thanks, Stella. And as always, thanks for not fast-forwarding. Uh, thanks, Chris. <laughs> Shh, be quiet. Thanks, Chris. Now, this is when you really, as Samuel L. Jackson once said, you need to hold on to your butts. It's Shipper Spotlight. Whoa. I love shippers. Let me tell you about shippers. Get over your own shipping bullshit. Let, let, let me tell you about shippers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Get over it. Get, get over your own shipping bullshit. Shipper. I love shippers. 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 Let me tell you about shippers. Stop talking about Shipper. Ship, ship, shippers. I love shippers. Dick and Babs. Dick, dick, dick and Babs. Batman and Cat, Catwoman. There we go, for the shippers, Batman's marinary to the Joker, to the Joker. There better not be Damien, Seth, 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 any shippers, I'll kill them. Dickin' bats. Okay, so uh, we're going under the sea for this one with Aquaman and Mera. Stella, do you th- uh, why do you think I've chosen Aquaman and Mera? I believe that you chose him because a certain Aquaman film is coming out in about nine days. 
Yes, it is. That is one of the reasons why I chose it. What are your impressions before I start of their relationship? In the comics? Uh, or in general, yeah, sure. Oh, and I, I think it's one of those OTPs that uh, it seems like they don't have any marital issues. <laughs> as far as I've seen. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my goodness! He sounded like a gremlin. Why did he sound like that? That was awesome. That was sick. They seem to have a pretty healthy relationship under the sea, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I guess they're they're lucky to have one another. I mean, they're not really a, a pair that I go out and search for shipper vids on. So <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll I'll see if I need to change my mind about that after this. So uh, um, you, we might get contacted by like Ryan Daly or like Jason Hendricks or. Um, I don't know if Shag is as big in the Aquaman or that just like the other guy. Has. No, it's Rob Kelly. Rob Kelly is the yeah. Aquaman. Guy. I've asked Rob Kelly some Aquaman questions for articles I've been writing. So like uh, he's been helpful. So but they might they might say, Josh, you're taking this out of context after the shipper spotlight. So prepare for the emails. So Aquaman and Mara, uh, they, don't listen to they first met because um, Mara, she's not actually like from where Aquaman's from, she's from another dimension called Zebul, but it was just called like the Aqua dimension or the water dimension in the Silver Age. And she was the queen in that dimension. And she would basically go through war poles to like team up with Aquaman and Aqualad in those early days. And she made it very, very clear, like her feelings for him at the end of all those issues. She's like, Oh, Aquaman, I've grown very fond of you. I hope we can team up again. And he would just kind of like blush and be like, yeah, well, anyway, and she would show up every few issues, and Aqualad would, for some reason, always be on their dates. So I'm looking at some of these images that I pulled for uh, articles I was writing, and there's, like, a mind-control device. And after they stop the villain, Aquaman tells Aqualad to, to break it, and she says, I'm sorry you broke it, Aquaman. But why? I would have used it on you to force you to like me very much, because that's healthy. And uh, he's like, uh, I already do like you uh, very much, Mara. And then, like, an issue or two after that, he's not king of Atlantis yet, but he gets, like, hit on the head with the rock. And he, like, thinks that he's king, but he also, like, thinks that he's, like, an evil king. So he's, like, forcing swordfish to, like, fight each other to the death. And he's like, you, Mara. (laughs) He's like, you, Mara, you're my queen. Sit next to me. And she just, like, instead of trying to stop him, she goes along with this. And she, like, whispers to Aqualad, well, I kind of always wanted to be his queen, so let's just go with this. Because, uh, um, but at the end, when he goes back to normal, she says, you could really be a King Aquaman by marrying me. And he says, uh, I'll have to think about that, Mara. And, um, I'm looking through these images of some of this because this, this stuff is crazy. She like throws herself at him. So like, she like visit, he visits her kingdom in the other dimension and, like, she has, like, a statue built in his honor for, like, no reason. And, like, one of, like, the court people is, like, is it too much to hope, my queen and Aquaman, for a joyous wedding anytime soon? And she says, the girl can't decide that. It's up to a man to propose. And he's like, uh, yeah, well, one, of, one of these days, Mara. <laughs> so, eventually, she finds out that the porthole from, like, her world to his world is going to close for, like, 80 years. And she says, you mean I won't be able to see Aquaman again until I'm an old lady? So she forsakes her kingdom and like her kingdom's okay with this. She like gives up the throne and like goes through the porthole and temporarily 
temporarily like gives up her powers because she had like powers that Aquaman didn't have of hard water just so she can be with Aquaman. But uh oh, Aquaman just became king of Atlantis and he has to marry a natural Atlantean girl. None of these, you know, like illegals from another dimension or anything like that. So (laughs) when he's yeah, so he says he can't marry her even though she gave up her kingdom and all of her powers. So she like gets mad and what? Winds up like this dictator like takes over Atlantis and she like winds up with him instead and just kind of like goes along with like him enslaving Atlantis and like enslaving Aquaman and Aqualad. But then he gets defeated and Aquaman explains that it was all just a wacky misunderstanding that like he wanted to marry her, but he legally can't. And Aqualad's like, dude, you're you're the king. Can't you just like change the law like in Aladdin? And he's like, oh, yeah, uh, Mara, I make you a non-inary Atlantan. So they get married. You still think that this is a healthy relationship, Stella? Oh, no, it's sounding more and more like Batman and Batwoman. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So it doesn't take long for them to have an aqua baby, which, like, she's, like, pregnant and the baby's born in the span of one issue. And uh, the baby gets into lots of wacky misunderstandings by, like, always getting kidnapped and at one point, like science spills on him and he becomes like a full-grown like teenager and for some reason like marries Kangas khan's daughter um i'm not joking i showed donovan that issue like you remember that weird thing right yeah that was last week i think <laughs> reddit gotta love him uh their son does eventually uh die killed by black mansta and mara initially yeah i know i coughed too when it happened Mara initially blames Aquaman, but like decides to like try and work on their work on their marriage. And during like a Justice League story in the 80s, he like comes home and there's like a dear like Aquaman note because she's like, I'm tired of you. Always splitting your time between the Justice League and me. And I've never gotten over the death of our son from 10 years ago. So I'm leaving you. But they do eventually get back together for a while. But then things get really weird here. She, like, her mental state, like, deteriorates, and she, like, starts getting mad at him for, like, the death of their son, even though that was, like, in a comic, like, over ten years ago. And she attacks him and tries to kill him and says, like, it's all your fault, like, that your genes aren't as strong as my, like, other dimension genes that our son's dead. And she's, like, out for blood, and he, like, dodges one of her, like, attacks and accidentally, like, throws her into, like, a reef, and it impales her. So, uh... He's killed his wife. He has a funeral. He's all sad, and he's, like, crying over her casket, like, oh, Mara, if only it wasn't like this. And she sits up from this casket and is like, boy, please. And he's like, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not of this, like, dimension. My biology is different. You never knew me at all. Goodbye, Aquaman. You'll never see me again. And she, like, fades away into, like, nothingness. The implication is that she went back to her dimension. And Aquaman's like, oh, she had the power to return there the whole time. Which is really inconsistent, which they, they did in the interim, like, fix that portal so she could go back and forth. Um, how are you feeling about this marriage now, Stella? Are you going to keep checking with me every time? <laughs> Not every time, but, like, during, during, during like, one, two major turning points. You still think that this is a healthy well, o- kinda... OTP? I mean, it's, it's still not the worst I've heard. So... I mean, you did it. Patsy, for goodness sake. Well, Mara basically becomes, like, a rape prisoner for, like, five or six years, and DC does nothing about it after this. So she actually doesn't wind up in her own dimension. This villain named, like, I think it was, like, Xanatos or something, he disguises as Aquaman and basically mind-controls Mara 
and she's like in his dimension for years and time moves differently in the dimension. So while she thinks it's Aquaman, they're doing stuff and she has a child with him and that child like grows and the readers find out about this. And like, it's an issue of like a random early nineties Aquaman comic that like, Oh yeah. Mare is like this guy's brainwashed prisoner. And like, they have a kid together, but like it is not followed up on for years until the Peter David book. So like, it's kind of like horrifying when I found that out that like they just like let Aquaman's life be this like rape prisoner for years and they never followed up on it until the Peter David run where um, she kind of like breaks the spell, gets up, goes back to Atlantis and sees Aquaman, you know, uh, having adult time with um, another um, underwater woman named Dolphin. She's not an actual dolphin. Her name is Dolphin. She 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 looks like a. <laughs> 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 she catches it with a dolphin. Oh! Uh, I hope that's I hope that's cut out. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean cut out? No, I, I had to clarify. Like, it's not an actual dolphin. Just so leaders, just so like <laughs> listeners don't hear this and think that like Aquaman cheated on his wife with a dolphin. Terrible be... tickets for the Aquaman movie. <laughs> <laughs> redheads gotta love him uh, no she looks like a 1990s like you know calvin klein model with like her like ripped like jeans and like you know uh daisy duke like shirt and stuff yeah um and there's some cattiness but uh they, they go to that dimension and they like you know that mara's freed and uh but mara has to remain there with her son because like he ages more rapidly and if he goes to like our dimension he'll just like age until he dies and um, Mera becomes, like, queen of, like, another dimension called Oceanoid. And when Aquaman goes to, like, help a war there, like, a few years after, like, that other story where Mera, like, gets out of the guy's control, um, their son, who's now grown up because of, like, the rapid aging, and he looks like Aquaman does, he, like, forces her to, like, go through the porthole that's going to, like, close forever because he wants um, them to be together and be happy. So, but Mara, like, looks up ancient Atlantean laws, and she's like, actually, according to the fact that, like, we both committed adultery, technically, we're not married. And this is, like, in the mid-90s. So, she's, like, saying we're not really married, and Atlantis people are like, but you're still our queen, we don't care about this law, and Aquaman's trying to win her back. And he eventually does, but, like, and I asked a few people, like, Jason Hendricks about this, I was like, so, like is the legal status of their marriage ever dealt with? And from what I understand, it's very inconsistent after that. Like some books refer to them as divorce, but other times they call each other husband and wife. And that's just the way it was until the new 52 where, um, their relationship was reset again. So that's basically their pre flashpoints. Well, well, there's oh. also the, like you thought that they were like husband and wife. And then the Dio said that they weren't because there couldn't be any marriages in DC. Well, yeah, that was after the new Fifty Two. That 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 was really weird. So like, uh, but that's their yeah, pre flash engaged in the rebirth. Sorry to interrupt, but like, I remember yeah. as engaged. Yeah. So, but that's their pre flashpoint relationship. Um, I didn't read a lot of their new Fifty Two stuff, but uh, so Aquaman and Mara, redheads, go cool to love them, hot or not. <sighs> I'd say Just crazy. Say. <laughs> like, I guess I'm gonna have to say not. And like as unhealthy as that relationship is, the 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 kind of like icing on the cake for me was when he like killed her and she like rose from the coffin to like yell at him and like this is just and and that's just like nothing compared to like 
her behavior in the silver age where she was like, I didn't even mention that story after they got married where like, she was like whining all the time. Like I'm bored. Stop going off and having adventures. Leave Aqualad here with me. If you're going to have adventures. And he's like, what? I don't want to do as she says, boy. And then like, well, the thing like is that like, like, like they, they, like she has changed though. She's not, I know you just read those 60s comic books, but like that was like yeah. a century ago. <laughs> it was, but like it, it when I was reading these stories, it took until like the nineties for her to be like kind of an interesting character. Otherwise it was just husband. What about this or that? And stuff like that. So hot or not, I'm saying not Direct all your hate mail towards Joshua Lepertoni. <laughs> yeah. We're going to hear from Brian Daly. Does Aquaman love Mira? You think he definitely loves her. It's just, <laughs> it was very hard for him to like, put up with some of that stuff like she like randomly tries to kill him at times like there are so many comics where like in the silver age where like an evil guy will take over atlantis and like mara will just like go along with it and be that person's queen and like <laughs> and uh, there I'm, I'm sure that jason hendricks and ryan daly will have a lot to say about how i'm missing the context and how mara is a feminist icon um no she is though but, like now <laughs> She is now like I I think she's cool in the books that she is now. But like I was very shocked to read her uh, history, <laughs> the history. Thank you, Dustin. Do you think this is the most dysfunctional one you've done? No, okay. I still think Barry and Iris is pretty messed up with the whole like they're engaged. They're not movie. engaged. They're the like she was a from the future and then she became a man like a man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Who can forget the flapping fish talk that we had? That was two years. Ago. That was two years ago. Two anniversary shows ago. Flapping Boy, fish. Boy, I think of it every day. <laughs> Donovan said, "That's a kettle of fish," <laughs> and then you said, "What's that even oh, mean?" Oh yeah, remember uh, that? <laughs> what does that even mean? Still, Don doesn't even know. He just no, uses I don't. phrases whenever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, she well, thank she looks you. awesome in the movie. So, so. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, thanks for your shipper spotlight. I hope people survived it. <laughs> it wasn't as crazy as some of the other ones, and no like crazy sound effects like those ones that I used to mail to you. Oh, We're saving gosh. all those. Maybe maybe crazy car will be in the podcast that Love built. Oh gosh. Okay. Now it's time for my anime watch list. First up on TV. We've got Steins Gate Zero, which was just wrapped 2018, 23 episodes. The eccentric, self-proclaimed mad scientist Rintaro Okabe has become a shell of his former self. Depressed and traumatized after failing to rescue his friend Makase Kurusu, he has decided to forsake his mad scientist alter ego and live as an ordinary college student. Surrounded by friends who know little of his time travel experiences, Okabe spends his days trying to forget the horrors of his adventures alone. While working as a receptionist at a college technology forum, Okabe meets the short, spunky Maho Hiyaja, who later turns out to be the interpreter at the forum's presentation, conducted by Professor Alexis Leskinen. In front of a stunned crowd, Alexis and Maho unveil Amadeus, a revolutionary AI capable of storing a person's memories and creating a perfect simulation of that person, complete with their personality and quirks. Meeting with Maho and Alexis after the presentation, Okabe learns that the two were crews whose college in university and that they have simulated her in Amadeus. Hired by Alexis to research the simulation
simulation's behavior, Okabe is given the chance to interact with the shadow of a long-lost dear friend. Dangerously tangled in the past, Okabe must face the harsh reality and, and carefully maneuver around the disastrous consequences that come with disturbing the natural flow of time. So previously, I recommended just Steinsgate and then, of course, the film. And so Steinsgate Zero picks up on a timeline, one where, yeah, he he let uh, his good friend Liz, but then Kurosu dies. And so we go on that timeline and, and throughout. And I enjoyed it. I think maybe it has sort of the same speed, I think, as the other one, where it takes a little while to build up and then all of a sudden one thing happens and then it's very very quick there's were some twists and turns that you weren't expecting and then some people did just a dumb thing that i just didn't agree with that basically made okabe have to time travel again which is super frustrating for the poor guy but i do recommend it so it is i would say you know if you're into time traveling just like the other ones i I would recommend it it's got a japanese with english subtitles and an english dub so you've got that and then the recent film that came out 2018 was Mirai. It was an hour and 38 minutes. I actually got to see it at a Fathom event and the Fathom event was in my hometown. So I didn't have to go, you know, an hour and a half out of my way. When four-year-old Kuhn meets his new baby sister, his world is turned upside down. Named Mirai, meaning future, the baby quickly wins the hearts of Kuhn's entire family. As his mother returns to work and his father struggles to run the household, Kuhn becomes increasingly jealous of baby Mirai until one day he storms off into the garden, where he encounters strange guests from the past and future, including his sister Mirai as a teenager. Together, Kuhn and teenage Mirai go on a journey through time and space, uncovering their family's incredible story. But why did Mirai come from the future? I would say that this is new anime viewer approved as well. It's got the Japanese with English subtitles and an English dub. And it is very much about family dynamics and what it means to be, you know, the firstborn and then have another child and sort of dealing with that jealousy and all of the different people that he meets, uh, sort of call them, I'll call them spirits for right now. They teach him some sort of lesson. So he comes back from that and is like better behave for a hot minute and then he goes off and has a tantrum again. He does get on my nerves a little bit, but I think it's just true to, you know, how kids actually interact. And it was actually based off of true experiences with the director and his son and everything and and his family. So I absolutely recommend that. And it's the same director. I'm sorry, I don't have that with me now, but the same director as Wolf Children and The Girl Who Leapt Through Time and The Boy and the Beast. So if you liked any of those, and I was concerned actually that there was going to be a sad ending because I've seen all the other ones and they're not the most uplifting. Boy and the Beast is probably a little more uplifting than the other two, but there are some some sad things. But those are my two recommendations for anime. And finally, my literature recommendations. First of all, A Doll's House by Henrik Ibsen. It's a three-act Norwegian play in prose, and it premiered at the Royal Theater in Copenhagen, Denmark, on the 21st of December, 1879, having been published earlier that month. It's significant for its critical attitude toward 19th century marriage norms, and it caused great controversy at the time due to its ending, which I shan't spoil, but it's basically about this relationship between a husband and a wife, and then you find out sort of the scandal uh, that the wife is involved in, but the husband doesn't know, and then he later finds out and just, you know, yeah, 
I, it's all, it's, it's, I, I recommend it. I mean, you can read it in one sitting and Tom and I recently covered it on required reading. So you can give that a listen. Then I also read because of Donovan's recommendation and I was on a flight to Montana to see a college friend of mine who just had a baby recently. And so I decided to get Crash Override, How Gamergate Nearly Destroyed My Life and How We Can Win the Fight Against Online Hate by Zoe Quinn. Don eloquently talked about it before, so I don't need to, I think, go through the the plot synopsis or anything. But I will say that uh, it was hard to read at some points. I think if you ever had a question or was dubious of the fact that we're living in a fallen world, look no further than that book because of the the terrible things that some people did. But I appreciate that she doesn't just take it lying down and, and she fights back and then helps other people fight back against it as well. And Rhett Butler's People by Donald McCagg, which is a fully authorized by the Margaret Mitchell estate, which is important. Through the storytelling mastery of award-winning writer Donald McCagg, the life and times of the dashing Rhett Butler unfolds. Through Rhett's eyes, we meet the people who shaped his larger-than-life personality as it sprang from Margaret Mitchell's unforgettable pages. Langston Butler, Rhett's unyielding father, Rosemary, his steadfast sister, Tudis Bono, Rhett's best friend and a one-time slave, Belle Watling, the woman for whom Rhett cared long before he met Scarlett O'Hara at Twelve Oaks Plantation, on the fateful eve of the Civil War. Of course, there's Scarlett, Katie Scarlett O'Hara, the headstrong, passionate woman whose life is inextricably entwined with Rhett's, more like him than she cares to admit, more in love with him than she'll ever know. I like this a great deal. It starts before Gone with the Wind would start, weaves through Gone with the Wind, and then picks up afterwards as well. And it was interesting because I was talking to my mom about this because I have Scarlet that I've yet to read as well. And there's continuity errors, I said, if you know, with Scarlet. And I guess Scarlet was also authorized by the Margaret Mitchell estate, but things turn out differently in Scarlet than they do here. I mean, Rhett and Scarlet get back together, spoiler alert, but in different ways, I think. So that's sort of interesting. Once I read Scarlet, I guess I'll know for sure. But I really enjoy this. I got this as, I think, either a Christmas or a birthday gift several years ago. And finally, it's been on my little to-read list for a while, so I finally read it, but I recommend it. And then also while I was on the plane and in the airports and things ready to go over to Montana, I read the first four volumes of the 2008 Guardians of the Galaxy by Dan Apnett and Andy Lanning, and it's highly lauded, and I think it deserves that. And I, yeah, I recommend it if you're a fan of Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it's it's a high point. It was interesting to read it, and then Secret Invasion started weaving through it. And I don't know if there was anything else that started weaving through it as well, but it was just weird to sort of flash back and, and have this crossover and like, oh, wow, I remember when that was happening. So isn't that fun? Well, we're at the end now. We are at the end. And so something that we often do on these anniversary shows is saying what we're perhaps hoping for or looking forward to in 2019. I look forward to people getting out and voting and being active in their community as responsible young people of our generation. Um, and I am also looking forward to just a lot of a lot of dawn after some darkness and uh, a lot of positive and good vibes from everyone manifesting their own destiny, including you and Josh. Yay. Young Justice Season 3, Outsiders, will come out January 2019. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to Shazam. That movie looks fun. Uh, maybe I'll have to do you a see picture of him uh, 
it, it, the little girl crying when she met Zachary Levi, he started crying too. Oh, that's sweet. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. She drew a picture of, of like Captain Mar- Shazam and Jesus together and like he met what? her and she started crying. Yeah, there's like a little like, like five year old girl who drew like Jesus. <laughs> they're brave in the bolt. <laughs> yeah. And when, and when they met, it's like, oh, I drew that picture and they, they, they both started sobbing. It was, it was really sweet. It was really sweet. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, uh, so I'm looking forward to Shazam. I'm looking forward to uh, Young Justice Season 3 Outsiders. Uh, that Harley Quinn cartoon could be fun. That's that's coming out. Uh, I am looking, I'm looking forward to getting more freelance work and possibly, if I get enough, maybe quitting this overnight job that I have. Looking forward to the Batman conference that the three of us will be going to in, um, I think it's April. Yes, the, has that been mentioned on this show? I don't think it has been. But we'll be doing um, uh, we'll be guest speakers at uh, Bowling Green University, I think it is Batman conference to celebrate his 90th uh, anniversary. So that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to Stella returning to San Diego Comic Con after a year long absence, hopefully. And I am what else am I looking forward to? Like I'm looking there's things that I'm looking forward to releases. There's things I'm looking forward to in my personal life and professional life. Um Looking forward to resting. <laughs> that too. I'm looking forward to Stella reviewing Cassandra Kane's comic book. Yeah. <laughs> oh my looking forward to um, not happy that Gotham's ending, but I am looking forward to the last episode, which will air in 2019, which will be set 10 years in the future. And um, it's possible that Stella, if during the 10 year time skip, you like, we have Barbara Gordon uh, Jr. Would you cover that on the show? I think you have to. In what way? I don't know, but like Babs in the Tube or something. If like Barbara Gordon makes an appearance. I just watched that episode. <laughs> it's only one episode. Well, I, I, I don't know. I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't know how many episodes she would be on if she'll even appear. Yeah, I maybe. I mean, I might get a look at it to see what if they're doing her justice. <laughs> the city of justice. Yes, the city of love. I am looking forward to because it was just recently announced within the. 32 hours that we've been doing this podcast episode crash team racing remastered on the playstation 4 i'm hey yeah about that that's one of man it's one of my favorite classic games crash in general is like my it's my jam and so crash team racing is my favorite racer i think my favorite kart racer and once they had the crash remaster i was like they've got to do ctr and so i'm looking forward to that and on's got to get a headset so we can battle it out online so i'm looking forward to that justice league not justice league justice uh young justice hello that'll be good i'm sure i'll be clutching my pearls the entire time (laughs) and yeah hopefully san diego i've got to get I yeah, I think I need one more article in order to be in the running in order to go. And then we'll see if I can pull something together for Bowling Green State University, who knows. But overall, yeah, 2019 I just try to keep it open. There are certain things I don't try to look too far into the future, but you know, some changes might be nice. So we'll I mean, it might be nice to get a new apartment after the the gunfight and the knife fight that happened outside of it. Uh, what some of the floods that i've had yeah it's been an interesting year in my apartment let me tell you that but you know 2018 black friday ended with me uh, purchasing my first firearm so now I, am, I feel more protected within yeah i feel more protected within my little uh 
domicile for sure. Kind of but anyways, yeah, yeah, that's it's my life now, frankly. You could walk out the door and anything could happen to you. Well, this is the end of this episode. That's really is really gone on for over thirty two <laughs> hours. Because you guys were so gracious to come on, of course I want to support you. So what can listeners and readers do to support you? And we'll start with you, Don. You can uh, find me uh, waxing poetic with Harrison Chute at questions we don't have answers at kinoanswers.com. I also provide content on the Batman universe. Uh, Josh and I have been doing a lot of commentaries as of late. That's pretty much it. I mean, I guess we're still on uh, uh, Clone Saga Chronicles and Spidey Spidey Dash dot com. And I suppose by this time next year, we may have, have we may have might have even finished the original Clone Saga uh, from the nineties. But QNOAnswers uh, dot com, where you find questions that we don't have answers. It's a weekly show. In fact, um, as I, we are recording this, we the next episode will be the one hundredth episode. So we are trying to figure out what to do about that. But uh, thank you very much for inviting me on again. So let's see. I can be found on. Um uh, I'm happy to be able to like freely say this now, but uh, DCUniverse.com uh, and the app, uh, the streaming service, um, I provide uh, articles many times a week um, for that site. They keep me busy. And uh, it's funny because Stella and I were talking and we didn't realize that like the person who set me up with that job actually like uh, sat next to Stella at like uh, the during the Supergirl press room at Comic-Con a few years ago. They're like, oh yeah, <laughs> he he's been a background character in, in in our comic this whole time, so that's fun. And the Gotham Chronicle podcast will be uh, returning very shortly for Gotham's final season, where Donovan and Janet and I will be covering No Man's Land, but in a very different way than Stella is, you know. Uh, so look forward to more song parodies, more homeless homeless cops, and uh, all the craziness that Gotham will have to offer for its final year. Um, I am on Clone Soccer Chronicles with Donovan. Uh, I'm, I get so busy. I don't remember what we've recorded and what's been released, but I feel like we started recording Revelations. Like I do remember talking about that recently. The first three of the four issues, yeah. Yeah. So I remember that. That was fun. And uh, what else do I do? I do the commentaries with Don. Uh, I don't think I'm up to much else now. Um, DC Universe has actually been keeping me pretty busy. Like I've, I've, I send them like four or five articles per week, so that's uh, been nice and consistent. And uh, covering conventions, having fun, and uh, maybe you'll see me on BTO in 2019 covering a special story where I make fun of Stelikoff. Yeah, it, that's that's anytime you're on. Yes, yeah. I forgot to say in my 2018 recap that I went to Baltimore Comic Con, but people are there. It's always hard to think back across the year and think, what what did I do that was noteworthy? <laughs> well, remember, you can send any questions or comments to backrolloracle at gmail.com. You can also find the show on Google Play and Stitcher, like the show on Facebook, or follow it on Twitter at backrolloracle. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. And support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to My High Comics for sponsoring Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Thank you to my two wonderful co-hosts. It's been nine years. Uh, we're going to be reaching a milestone next year, but we shan't skip ahead that much. But I'm just always appreciative for them giving me 32 hours of their time <laughs> next month. Praise the Lord, I will be by myself, and I think I'm only going to review one issue. So that will be, I mean, th- the weight is off of me. I am so tired after this No Man's Land, so just warning to anyone who decides to do No Man's Land on their podcast. Well, until next time.
Fly on, Fly on, Dabs lovers. Should old acquaintance be forgot or just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle? Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Love a happy ending, don't you? I am trying, but we're gonna do uh, red red carpet. It's gonna be fun. Oh wow! Yeah, awesome. You you brought your tie and your belt. Yeah, and and he has his suit. Did you see that? I sent you the picture of him with his suit a few uh, months ago, right? Yeah. yeah. I have seen that. Yeah. yeah. So he's going to be my little boys growing up. Oh. He's so big now. I bet you can barely hold on to him. <laughs> I used to be able to pick him up. I have pictures of him where, like, I'm lifting him up with, like, one hand. Yeah. And now, like, sure. I can't do that. I'll fall over. <laughs> <laughs> and both of your pants. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be careful. You're gonna like oh. put this all in bloopers, probably. That's true. I could do that one, huh? Did you mean to type sandwich instead of woman? Oh I my mean, instead gosh. of yeah. what? You, um, I'm trying to understand what you said, which was um, that you just finished this manga created by a woman, and I'm like, uh, did you mean to type sandwich instead of instead of manga or something? Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, well, gosh. You just said that right before my recorder started recording, so like, you, there's no documentation of you saying that. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sell I might have it, though. <laughs> well, no, I just mean it's out of sequence with, like, my feelings and everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, don't, don't worry. <laughs> I could give you those feelings very easily. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, that's how, you, that's how it starts. <laughs> why? 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 Why does this happen? Don? Why? Don't look at me for support. I don't know. Don't look at <laughs> for support. Only time will tell. When I, I remember um, you and I texting about uh, the Clinton's about book. <laughs> if you do, I will stop you. Did you, you said you will stop violent. me? No, he stop. said stab. Oh, no, stab. I did not say stab. I <laughs> oh, I... I, I heard stab. Uh, no, no was, yes, I'm waiting to stab Stella. You heard it here first. Yeah, yes. Oh, I knew, well, yeah, people heard it there first when I threatened to strangle Joshua Lappin Bertoni. Yeah, there was documentation. Yeah, for that. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully, I never go up for a government job. That was very funny. He like ran towards him and just started with his. Oh his, man, I hopped the little carousel with the uh, big tree trunk throat. Put your oh. little. Walk- <laughs> Remember he had a towel around his neck? <laughs> yeah. I do agree with that. <laughs> As Wait, if what? that would protect you. Oh, you put a towel oh, around yes. your neck. Yes, I did. <laughs> How do I request money on Venmo? I'm supposed to do that to my boss now. Are we on your hands and knees. To get this party started? I yes. Just have, we just have two issues and Josh's... Um, 
Anime recommendation? Yeah. Hit, no. I oh <laughs> oh. Josh's anime recommendation? Could you imagine? No. His uh, shipper spotlight. My anime recommendation is Gotham season five. It's it's got all the. <laughs> <laughs> Come in, I say. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Unless they're trying to get into row for Congress. What do you think about the fact what, that? Why would the FBI house? do that? The FBI doesn't do that. She not, well, she, uh, now has Robert to... Mueller says otherwise. <laughs> what? When did Robert Mueller say like? <laughs> vis- I'm just kidding. I'm gonna cut all this out. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like. <laughs> <laughs> on the first day of Christmas, Pete. Oh no! <laughs> BTO gave to me <laughs> uh, I a ship or a spotlight that was crazy. <laughs> you didn't remember this, Don? <laughs> it's obvious. Like, <laughs> on, on, <laughs> on the second day of Christmas, BTO gave to me two, uh, I don't know, two solitaires. <laughs> And a ship of spotlight that is crazy. Okay. I, don't, I don't. I don't have twelve of those plans. So. <laughs> I bet you didn't. <laughs> they don't have any marital issues. <laughs>